Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast, episode 499. It's still summer ween. We still have a spectacular where we're going to skew and review all these darn books. And as you can tell, I will not be joined again by Eric. Eric is still on his hiatus. It's his timetable. I don't know anything of when and if he's going to come back. He has assured me that eventually he will. But as we go forward with this, we're just going to have to treat it as he's on the disabled list. We still have games to play. If you're a sports fan, you know how that is. You can't just sit there and worry about when somebody's going to come back. you got to win each week, right? Each week. So that's what we're going to do. And a shout out to a lot of people who gave me some encouragement as this goes forward. I do apologize. I was not prepared for last week's show. I It, it caught me pretty much out of nowhere that Eric wasn't going to record. I was off my game. I hope that I'm on it a little more. This week, and so going forward to help me out, I am leaning on the Get Fresh crew, and we have a lot of people who are going to be joining me and going through these books. So each each week, we're going to have a plethora, plus maybe 10 guest hosts going through some things. And I also thought, I don't want to have a show that's just, oh, this is the show, it's just without Eric. I want to change some things up, at least while he's gone, stuff that he wouldn't have really been into. Stuff like a manga review that I'm going to do later with my man, Luke Hollywood. Also, a classic Doom Patrol review that I'm going to do with my man, Gray, from the Wakasashi's Tea House. And then even some non-spooky books, because Trevitt is going to join me for the finale of the Dark Knights of Steel book. But we still have the spooky stuff going on. I'm going to be joined by Rocky and Sus Gabe. He was upset we didn't have a Predator book for him to review, but he'll get along well. When we get to that So a lot of people and a lot of other people Have told me that they would join in And get involved as well So I am looking forward to talking with a bunch of people And hopefully you'll be entertained By me talking to a bunch of people But let's get into this Just to let you know You can find us all over the internet You can go to our website WeirdScienceDCComics.com You can follow us on Twitter WeirdScienceDC And just a shout out if you follow us, we will follow you back. You can also go to our YouTube channel, Weird Science Comics, and then eventually maybe go to our Patreon account and help us out for everything we do here. Get a ton of shows also in return. That's patreon.com slash weird science. Two things about the Patreon this week. Number one, next week is an annuals week. And when there's an annuals week, which is a fifth week of comics in a month, it only happens a couple times a year. But when that happens, we end up having our show Patreon only. I know, pretty low, Jim. But episode 500, the big milestone, that will be Patreon only. So if you want to get involved with that, go over to our Patreon, sign up for as little as a dollar, and it'll make you holler. You get other shows, all the levels you go up, you get more and more shows. So check it out at least. And if you go over right now, or maybe wait a day or so, you could get a seven-day free trial, and that would then also include when we have our Patreon-only episode 500. So you can, you know, get the lay of the land with that. But the other thing about the Patreon is every week on Thursday night, we end up talking about two books, two books picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh crew. Uh-uh. This week, they ended up picking The Penguin Number 1 by Tom King, the book that everybody down at the Five and Dimes talking about. And we also talked about The Unstoppable Doom Patrol Number 5, the book nobody down at the rec center is talking about. But me and Simon ended up talking about both of those in a show that was about an hour and 40 minutes. 
So we went on and on about it, had some fun with it. That's also on the Patreon. All that said and done, let's get to the roll call. Mm, mm, mm. We're going to start off with Steven Bat Dad Mitchell. Then we'll go with uh, Trevor. Joining me later, Dad Nation. Yeah, yeah. Eric K., Jeffrey Greek. This is Night Terrible. The Annihilator, Ted Probes. I love Punchline. Stork. Stork had an embolism. And if you didn't know, that's not some like fancy award you get from the Queen. It's kind of something bad, so shout out to him. Michael S. Cam, Matt Razor, D-Man 3000, Niels T-Work, David Fink, Stephen Baum, Jason Colby, Sue 42 to you and me, Michael G, Ken Halleck, Comic Boom Rocky, joining me in a minute for some books, Tommy Dreamer. Oh, man, where'd that guy go? Mark Jager, Bill Abir from the Bat Pod, Ruben, Carlos, Noah Marv, Matthew Rapier, Luke Hollywood. He's going to be there later on as well. He actually woke up to do something. Simon, Luis, Moonship, and Jim Belfast, Swanee, Anthony G, Josh Million, Batman Beyond, Mark, Brandy, B. Muir Murray, up there in Buffalo, Canada, and doxing his ass, Double A Ron, in Minnesota. And as we always do, give a shout out to the all-time greats, Rob Lewis and Reggie, R.I.P. And Eric, why not? R.I.P. Everybody. Oh, my. But that's the intro. Thanks, everybody, for joining me once again for a week of DC Comics and more. And we're going to go off and start right now. All right. And here we are. We have all of these books to go through this whole Summerween Night Terrors deal. And since Eric isn't around. I have leaned on my man, Rocky, to help me out. What up, Rocky? It's great to be here, man. I know that uh, Eric's not around, but uh, we in the Get Fresh crew, we uh, we never leave a man behind mm-hmm. or a man when he's down. And so we, we're here to uh, hopefully uh, keep the level of entertainment uh, at least as high as when uh, Eric was here. We're going to try. It, it'll be better than uh, than the writers trying to write a good night terror story. I can tell you that much. That might be true. There, <laughs> there's a little foreshadowing for you. And, Rocky has his own YouTube channel, the Comic Boom channel. I will have the link for that in the show notes. And I do beg everybody to go and watch him. And he's already reviewed these books. So I am forcing him to double up on the Night Terrors, which, you know, that that's a lot of trouble. I, I'm sorry that I have to have you double up on this. But actually, you are more positive than me. You're Canadian. You're more positive. You're a lot nicer <laughs> than me. And so I'm hoping that you being on the show will, will kind of get me a little more cheery. I'm not so sure. But me and you are going to be going through Night Terrors, Night Terrors Action Comics, and Night Terrors Detective. And so in these three books, you even said we, we had a couple snafus trying to get this started. And at one point you did say there are some things to like this week. And there's some things to like in the books me and you are going to go through. The problem I have is I don't think any of them are in the main Night Terrors book. I I may be wrong. You may surprise me. But give me your opinion of the actual main story of the Night Terrors up until now since you're just joining me here. I've been disappointed with it. I I share a lot of people's sentiment. I think it's very cliched. I think the the rules are to, uh, to use your word wonky. (laughs) <laughs> wonky. I actually thought that in my head when you said that. So I also caught the using your word nonsense in my own uh, podcast or my own uh, YouTube channel. But no, it, it is. I don't like it. It's uh, whenever you deal with nightmares. To me, it's like dealing with magic. I don't like when the rules are all over the place. Clearly, uh, Joshua Williamson didn't really give a lot of rules for the for the writers for the individual tie-ins. The main story itself has got 
plot holes, which we're certainly going to get into and talk about. But we'll have some fun with it. But that the analogy that I, I want to focus on that I'm going to say is that, that that phrase lipstick on the pig. To me, the tie ins involve writers who do their best. They, they have they have different amounts of lipstick that they're applying to the pig of the premise of Night Terrors. And some of them have thrown out the pig and the lipstick altogether and done their yeah. own thing. Uh, like Dan Waters and Detective Comics, which we'll be reviewing, which I thought was mm-hmm. uh, reasonably decent, and uh, you know, and with uh, different results than some of the other writers. But uh, overall, it is wonky, as you would say it. But yeah. uh, you know, and there, there are fun moments. Yeah, there there are none. There are moments, and the thing is, I know I've been overly negative about all of it. It really did start off with me just being angry that finally people were excited about the Dawn of DC stuff. People were coming back. You actually had people who said, I haven't read a DC comic in three, four years, but I'm going to read Jeremy Adams' Green Lantern. Or I think I like what, you know, Joshua Williamson is doing on Superman. Things like that. And it seemed like, oh, my God, we're actually starting the momentum. It's not like it was set and everybody was loving everything. It was like full blast like we had with Rebirth. And you probably would agree when Rebirth started, boy, you couldn't stop people from reading books. It was so exciting. Everybody was, you know, into it. So just as this momentum starts, they end up having this night terrors. And and from the get-go, I have kind of gone with that idea. Is this stuff that we're getting right now are we getting anything better than what we actually stopped and left behind? And it, to me, we're not. But like you said, the main story, the main story by Joshua Williamson, it's had so many plot lines. And he seems to write the story in a weird way. Like, you finally find out about the villain, you know, in the pretty much last issue that he seems. It's just wonky, like you said. It's just, and I want to ask you something, because a lot of people who are reviewing this book, you know, written reviews and even YouTube stuff, they're really going with the idea that this is the final issue because Night's End is an epilogue. But boy, you don't really get a final issue in this number four. And to me, maybe that's Night's End should have been number five. But it seems like maybe they want to get a new number one out right at the end. Uh, any idea with that? My frustration is that at the end of this issue, all Insomnia manages to do is that he acquires the Nightmare Stone because, uh, as you alluded to, Deadman is stupid enough to literally hand deliver it to him in his in a hospital bed. I mean, and then the big central conceit at the end is that Insomnia is releasing all the nightmares that were previously contained in the nightmares he's releasing anyway which, in my view, defeated half, at least half of the <laughs> no. central plot lines and all the individual tie-ins involved the hero being victorious, keeping their nightmares in their nightmare. Well, at the end of Nightmares 4, Insomnia releases all the nightmares anyway, yep. so it renders half the plot plot lines superfluous. Yeah. It's just insane, but, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but in that, I, I just want to, I'm going to actually think, I think Eric might have bailed on the podcast for a little because he was so mad that I was 100% right of what happened <laughs> in this issue because I ended up calling it weeks and weeks ago. And the reason why, and I'm the whole play, you brought up something that was the spark for me to say, oh my God, I think that what we're going to get is just these nightmares coming into the real world is when we started seeing these nightmares return, say that bat with the gun head, like all of a sudden, like, that thing seemed to have gotten killed like eight times and it just kept popping up. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? Something's a little different here. And then, of course, when Insomnia started yelling about, oh, you know, that I want to make them see what I see, all of that led to me saying, 
I think all he wants is to bring these nightmares into the real world to scare everybody and say, look, this is the horror that I see of the Just League. The other thing that it ends up, and we'll get into Night Terrors number four right now, but by the end, since there has to be a sacrifice, you don't even get that idea that maybe, just maybe, they can not rehabilitate insomnia, but maybe help him out a little bit. He ends up having to sacrifice himself to make all this happen. and it, it, It's just nonsense. Night Terrors, number four, written by Josh Williamson. Art by Giuseppe Comancoli, Stefano Nessi, Casper Wingard. Colors by Frank Martin and Casper Wingard. Letters by Troy Petiri. And we start out with Dead Man. He is reading a Dead Man comic. He's talking about the idea that there are no happy endings or, you know, victors in a horror story. There's only survivors. It's kind of funny when you say that, that by the end, our main big bad ends up kind of dying, but <laughs> it's, it's wonky. I mean, I'm going to keep saying it. Now that you got it in my head, I'm going to keep saying it. But in this, we end up having the last issue where Dead Man in Batman's body, he did get a hold of the Nightmare Stone. Now, the Nightmare Stone, we still don't really know much about. And just I just want to ask you, if me and you are in this story, it's Rocky, Jim, and Dead Man. And Dead Man says to you, hey, you know that thing that Insomnia did all of this to get? You know, he he's depressed. He can't get his hands on. He's been going after trying to kill. But do you think we should take it to him? Yeah. Uh, No, Uh, this isn't Mount Doom. This isn't the ring, right? You got to change the name of Dead Man to Brain Dead Man. Yeah. But I tell him, I mean, that's not it, it really is. I mean, it's ridiculous the way that he comes up with this idea. Now, I thought. At the end of last issue, remember when you had, and there was a little bit of an ambiguous deal, who was really there getting this Nightmare Stone because you ended up having the Nightmare Stone in the eyes of Batman. I thought maybe Insomnia had done a switcheroo and was controlling Deadman and making it. But in this, it just seems like it's Deadman who wants to go to, you know, I want to free Insomnia with this. We get, But nobody knows what this does. It's never really explained. What exactly the Nightmare Stone ends up doing. And I still want to know, when are they going to go get the Dreamstone? Because in this wonky, non-rules deal, I would think it goes against. Dream, Nightmares, go for it. But they don't even do that yet. And I'm sure they're good. They have to eventually. But in this, it, we don't know what the Nightmare Stone is. So when he says we can free Insomnia with it, it's just like, I, I don't think that's going to work. I, I, and so it's just, it's a weird play to have a story like this really hinge on a villain that we only know little bits and we keep getting little bits of that i think is one of the worst things to do in this whole story is to dribs and drab the villain then try to make him a sympathetic character and we'll continue in this do you feel any sympathy at all for insomnia not really well i mean look uh, let's be blunt insomnia's character i think his na- real name character is, is chris something and his, yeah. his family was who was, was apparently killed during death metal. And sure, yeah, I have sympathy like of anybody whose family was killed. But, I mean, really, that's where my sympathy ends. And, and I can't underscore enough. Why would you want to free someone who is in Arkham Asylum? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they keep the asshole asleep. Because they don't yeah. want him awake. Because he's a, cause he's he kills a killer. people when he's awake. So, what are you freeing him from? The whole thing just seems to be odd. Like, what was the plan? Yeah. Perhaps I can give cut Joshua Williamson some slacker by saying, well, it was really Dead Man's plan, and maybe Batman was too bloody tired, and so was Damien. Because Damien, in his defense, Damien was, did fall asleep. Yeah, while well, he's walking so, upstairs here. Yeah, he I actually mean, exactly. falls asleep standing, which is crazy, and kind of a 
a weird play, but in that too, as we're going forward with it. Now, also, just before I do go forward with it, you're right though. Insomnia, he's a murderer. They and it can't just be the one guy, that therapist, because they end up saying then that in the papers they they gave him the nickname as if he was a serial killer. You don't really do that for one kill. Like he must have killed that whole therapy session, went out, started killing it, and then they finally got it, but we never saw that. So he, like you said, is a guy who is in Arkham Tower now, and he's there for a reason, though. It, yeah. It's not like something that I thought where, oh, my God, he got caught in some weird magical crossfire and his brain got scrambled. It's nothing of his own fault, all this. And, yeah, it's sad that his family died, but it's, it's what happened after that. It, he's a killer, and he is in Arkham for a reason and so when he says oh we, we gotta free him this one you're right why would you do that now it also it goes with and again we're just throwing things out there because he says well we'll free him which will wake everybody up but we don't really know that we really don't know much about anything going on here everything kind of is that oh well i guess that kind of works and eh, whatever we don't really know but let's go with it but like you said, Damien falls asleep. When they go into Arkham Tower, it's clean. And, and that's kind of a funny play. They go in and everything's like scrub clean, it looks like, to them. And they're waiting for a jump scare that never comes. But <laughs> I think that one of the problems, and people were talking in the Slack, and you might have been the one who brought it up, actually. The idea that we get thrown in here, and there's a bunch of different things going on, but they're rapid fire, and you can't really settle down. With a lot of them, it's kind of neat that Damon finally does fall asleep because he had done all those techniques to stay awake. But yet he's so tired that he falls asleep. And it's weird that in this last second nightmare, he sees Batman actually tell him, hey, you know, you're doing great, kid. Why don't you go home? And I'd like to sit there and think and analyze that. But I don't think it really means much. This is just and so it's weird because insomnia at this point. Just wants that nightmare stone, but yet here he's trying to tell Damien to leave, which wouldn't really make that much of a difference, I guess. But yeah. he's trying to get Deadman, I think, by himself to draw him in because he's kind of got him hook, line, and sinker. But even then, Damien runs his dad through and then wakes up. Oh, man, you just fell asleep for a second, little guy. It's like Sandman's yeah. the only guy there that seems to have anything going on. Like, he realizes what shit's happening, but it's too quick, right? And it's a missed opportunity by Joshua Williamson because this whole thing, I think Joshua Williamson was trying to create some sense of misdirection here that all of a sudden it's revealed that Deadman's and Batman and Damien's master plan to defeat Insomnia was anticipated by Insomnia. And, ah, you stupid idiots, you actually, yeah. you, you fell into my trap. We were provided no clues that somehow hand-delivering the night, the very thing that Insomnia has been looking for. There's a caption at the beginning of every single Nightmare tie-in that mm -hmm. says, Insomnia's looking for the Nightmare Stone, and then Deadman is hand-delivering it to him. And we really don't know why. No. Deadman thinks that somehow this is going to, I, I don't know, free Insomnia yeah. from what? Or like it just, it, ne it never made any sense at all. No. It's almost like you're the villain and you want a gun. And I decide, well, if I give him the gun, maybe he'll go away. Maybe, maybe Rocky will get this. Maybe this MacGuffin stone will end up where he'll just go away. He'll wake up. It doesn't make sense, right? Just a further point. One of the more interesting aspects here, and I'm, maybe I'm being generous by calling it interesting. Well, talk about a boring origin for insomnia. Yeah. I mean, all of us guessed it. I, I, I think anybody, even with a with a nominal amount of DC knowledge of history, 
we all sort of guessed, okay, well, the, the, D- the Justice League killed his family. And literally, it's that boring. The Justice yeah. League killed his family. Here's here's my quirk. This is Joshua Williamson. Insomnia's family was killed during death metal. I thought at the end of death metal, with that deal that Things Wonder Woman made, reset. I thought everybody was resurrected. It's I, true. And, and I so, true. And, and imagine, you know what? And, and in that respect, I can imagine Insomnia is pretty pissed off. He had the only family that wasn't resurrected at the end of Death Metal. The only one. Now we're talking, right? Now we're talking. He should be pissed <laughs> off at the Cosmic Gods, not at the Justice League. And I talked in, and I did say this myself in the Slack. We had that thing after Death Metal where we had the Infinite Frontier, right? We were starting to go towards, remember, everybody knew there was a multiverse. And even as that was going after Death Metal, the play was... Oh my God! All the multiversal Earths, all the everybody hated the heroes. Everybody hated the Justice League. Oh my God! You on Prime Earth, you guys always end up ruining things, but everything resets for you, and you get off scot free. Not Mister Miracle, but scot free. And so when that was going on, that kind of disappeared, and and the stuff even with Amanda Waller kind of got you know pushed to the side a little to now reemerge. And the thing is, though, if you think about the idea of that story, that was what was seemingly leading into Infinite Frontier and Dark Crisis kind of got wiped away. Yeah. Is the idea of, you know, this basic, the Justice League always does the crap that causes problems, but they never get the effects of it. Everybody else gets the effect. And that's all this is again. I know. This is a repeat just done. I said, at one point, it was like the macro level. Now it's the micro level. You end up having it just as one person now mad, not the multiverse. And it, it's it's a bunch of hooey. It's what it is because I'm getting mad now. Now, I know it's a cheat whenever we reviewers play script, Doctor, because uh, yeah. you know, it's important we review the comic as written, not as we it's wish it true. to be. I do it a lot. Though. I'm compelled to say this one thing. I, this could have been cured, I think, had Josh Williamson tweaked the plot simply as saying this. Remember when in Scott Snyder's Justice League run, there was a vote between Justice and Doom. All of humanity mm-hmm. voted yeah. and they voted in favor of and Doom, they voted Doom and, and yeah. just, Justice lost. I would have thought that Insomnia is pissed off. He should be pissed off at humanity for voting yeah. for Doom that led to death metal, that led to the death of his family. And that's why he wants to release the nightmares to punish the majority of humanity. That to me makes more sense and is more in keeping with it. Joshua Williamson is going with this idea and I, and I get it. This happens in comics all the time. It happens in every sort of medium, whatnot. The idea where you sit there and when you hear what happened, you're like, well, I guess it was the Justice League. But really, it comes down to not the idea that the Justice League allowed his family to die. It was that they weren't there to save his family. And it's such a weird little deal of most people wouldn't just be upset at the You'd have bigger things to be upset about, just like you said, humanity, the idea and whatnot. But again, it goes with that idea that, oh, the Justice League bring the problems to us without them. But the weird play is when we get to it, I really don't like the way Joshua Williamson sets it up where the, you have insomnia, right? He comes home and he says, oh, man, I'm late because the Justice League is fighting some crazy shit battles downtown, but we're okay. We're just going to stay here. This is the idea of a hurricane's coming. They warn you, get the hell out. And you're like, nah, we'll be fine. I can't then blame anybody but myself. So I, I didn't like that. But even when you're getting, we're not even at the point. Dead Man is still just carrying the Nightmare Stone. Yeah. It seems that through Damien, Insomnia is well aware of what's going on here. Why, oh, why would Insomnia try to stop Dead Man from coming in? 
Why would all of a sudden he have Dove show up, a former lover, and say, hey there, yeah. uh, you don't want this, you shouldn't do this, we should all stay like this. And be Why would he do this? There's no reason. I'll ask you another question. They have the Nightmare Stone. Yeah. Before approaching Insomnia, who's just laying in, a, in an yeah. Arkham Asylum bed, they have the Nightmare Stone. What's the rush? The funny thing you say, now that I'm thinking of it, why is it that there's a nightmare kind of deal going on? Deadman's not asleep. Batman's not asleep in this, and all of a sudden she pops up. Is this then the nightmare stone itself? There's a lot of things that I start to wonder that I think I'm giving too much credit for, because this, I think, is just, oh, for the last bit, we'll just throw out Dove there because of that connection, and hey, I get Deadman. The problem also is, is why doesn't she say anything about him being Batman? <laughs> and she's rubbing his, his face. And, and then it's just like, no, I would love to be dead with you, my love, but I'm going in the door. And that's where we see in some. And yeah. you get, you know, dead man's little deal, Christopher Lucas. And this is just think this is the big bad, right? The big bad Christopher Lucas. Nobody will remember that name in two weeks. That's how little this insomnia and it has been set up there's nothing that tells me anybody's going to remember that name because it's never really been told and you're getting it in the last full official issue but again why oh why is dead man going there with the nightmare that's all he wanted what do you think you're gonna do with this it's so ridiculous and then to make it worse he says oh i'm gonna use this nightmare stone you would think that he could like Wave it in the air, and all of a sudden, Christopher Lucas would wake up and say, Oh my God, thank you for waking me up. I'm sorry. Insomnia, that's my evil. No, he decides to go in to the body, into that with the nightmare stone, the one thing that Insomnia wants. And yeah. he goes in. I'm like, That doesn't make a lot of sense. But when he jumps in, we do see the full, or- we get the full origin in the last official issue of the event where he comes <laughs> in. It, 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 that's wonky. And I said before, this is what I worry about with Joshua Williamson in events now, because he did with Dark, and everything changes down the line. You never really get a full, you know, solid footing of the story, the rules, the big bad, everything in Dark Crisis kept changing around, too. So you end up, though, where the past is in Gotham, he comes home, honey, I'm home. Hey, sorry, just like, I, I love it. He's like, they're fighting a monster down the street. They said we need to evacuate. But I know the Justice League will save us. So there you go. The problem is, is you ended up relying too much on the Justice League. Not that they did anything, but his family dies. And yeah. he even says at one point they were fighting evil Batman. That points out the death metal deal. Yeah. So you have all that, right? But I, again, I think this is Joshua Williamson's last ditch effort. To, he wants us to read the story in my mind and say, oh, I get it. Because that is a cool thing. When you end up having a villain that you say, oh, my God, I can kind of see where he's coming from. That twist and turns to make it like, am I evil then? Or would I? That's a crazy deal. Something that I end up doing a lot with is the uh, manga Death Note, which I think does it well. Like if you had a book that you can write a name in and the person would die, would you do it? And you, you kind of go back and forth. Well, I don't know if I would. What? But that makes it really good. But this isn't compelling. It's just him getting mad then because they died. Now, we've been hard on Williamson in this issue. Now let me defend it a bit. Okay. Because I do think that there's some cool moments. I I actually like the fact that when we're introduced to Insomnia's initial identity is Chris Lucas. I love Mm -hmm. that he has the Justice League Scott Snyder symbol on his shirt. I think that's pretty cool. And we could have guessed it was death metal just from that. 
I love yeah. that his kids are wearing the Flash. And I yeah, love the big fact, hero fans. and I love the fact that he refuses to evacuate. Now you could insomnia that was really dumb for his him not to evacuate yeah. his family when the Justice League told him to. But the fact that he had so much faith in the Justice League that they were going to win, you just know that Chris was the guy. Chris Lucas was a guy that voted for justice, and he had so much faith in them. And the Justice League let not only let him down, but his family died. So I can kind of get for Chris Lucas how devastating that would be. And so I'll give Williamson some some props for that. Unfortunately, it's just it's not enough. Yeah. I need more to get behind feeling sorry for insomnia because yeah. it, I, I need more. And it just wasn't there. But and again, you, you end up having this play here at the very end. I mean, this is the very end where if you're going to get my and, and you can tell throughout all this dead man going into the memories. It was trying to build up that sympathy. But you were showing. You know, him kill a therapist. You were showing him cut his eyelids. It wasn't really working well. So when you get this, yeah, I get it. Except that when Insomnia then starts yelling at dead men, don't you see it? The Justice League caused the price. He actually almost says they always do this. And then I'm like, well, is this something that while you were laying around, that's thinking time? Like, <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't see it before. And it would have been cool. Like you said, if you tied into Doom versus Justice, you could have even went with the idea that he'd say, I was wrong. I should have voted for Doom. Maybe that would have been better. And maybe it wouldn't have been better, but at least I'd have my family. And the idea of like really nailing it home, he, while he loves the Justice League or did, you know, he obviously loves his family more and they weren't there to help him. They actually caused that problem. So, okay, that is a good concept. I just think that it was very clunky the way that he presented it. But even in that, again, we're there with the the nightmare stone in insomnia and he says don't you get it i don't want to kill because that's the thing you end up where dead man says killing the justice league because he was pissed when and, and that's the other thing too was he happy when they died because he still seemed to be in arkham tower but once they came back he really flipped out but the idea that man says killing them won't bring your family back your family's not coming back and he says i don't want to kill him the death of my family was my nightmare Justice League made a reality, so I want to return the favor by showing everybody what I see, that the Justice League aren't heroes. They're just horrors. Let, let me just add to that, and let me be really schizophrenic in this. Why doesn't he just imagine his family in a nightmare, and, yeah. since, and, and then the nightmare becomes real at the end? That's what he says. Yeah. The nightmare yeah. stone makes all nightmares real, so imagine your family in a nightmare, pull them into the waking world, and you've resurrected your family. Exactly. And the funny play is, you could say to me, Oh, well, dead is better that if they come back, they're definitely going to have to be like zombies. But there doesn't really have to be a monkey paw here because actually dead man jumped into memories slash dreams when he went in there and they seem fine. And I think that he could do. Why isn't he thinking that way? It's like I get the idea. This is a villain who's so obsessed now with bringing down the justly that maybe he's not thinking of the full picture. And maybe that's interesting. But in here, it's just. Justice League horrors, Justice League horrors, and it was set up with all of those horrific characters that were in each of the, you know, most of the times. But he says that's what he wants to do. And he says, I wanted you to bring me the stone. I tricked you. I duped you in. I sat there thinking when I first read this, like, was he really much of a trick? I mean, throughout all this, there really wasn't anything that I thought, oh, my God, this is going to convince. That it, it's just dead man being an idiot. He ends up, I'm going to use this, right? Let me just point out this other thing that, that an inconsistency that 
Dead Man, the only way Insomnia gets the, the stone away from Dead Man is Dead Man in, in the last issue, Night Terrors number three, at the end of that, Dead Man sacrificed himself. Yeah. Yep. He had to do that to get the Nightmare Stone. And in this issue, Dead Man tells Insomnia, you can't get the stone. It requires a sacrifice. And so Insomnia sacrifices himself. It's it's wonky. How does Insomnia sacrificing himself steal the Nightmare Stone from Dead Man, who already has control of it? And if that's the case, why not mm. just get a bunch of other people in there to sacrifice themselves? And again, the, the rules just seem to be a little bit... Uh, well, and here, and, and maybe some people can figure it out a little more. When Dead Man went into the House of Horrors with Damien, like Joshua Williamson, it seemed like he had painted himself in a corner. You need a sacrifice. You're not going to kill Damien. Anybody who de- you know, dies in the nightmares ends up dying in real life. Well, when you get there, you see in that in-between that Dead Man didn't die. Like, it was wonky. You ended up, he was able to kill another version of himself so that he could get it and continue. But here, you just have insomnia kill himself in the nightmare so that he dies in the real world but then all of a sudden what comes from that because all of a sudden it unleashes the power of the nightmare stone which we didn't see before and how this plays and pretty much we're all screwed everybody does wake up but the nightmares have been brought to the real world and that's where at the end of this i'm like really like what does that mean how did it work what's going on and i i just at this moment before we get to the epilogue I just think it's it is it's very wonky, very you know, it's very confusing about what would happen. Batman ends up waking up then, and you get what you had at the end of the Batman. I guess it was the Batman tie-in issue at the end, or it was one of the deals where Batman wakes up. Oh my God, are we still in the nightmare? And Damien says, No, we lost. But then you also end up seeing, you know, the nightmare creatures are all in the Hall of Justice and all that. But then all of a sudden you see there's Insomnia outside. With the Nightmare Stone and says, come play, show the world, you know, what you really are. And I'm like, I don't know that this really works where you kill yourself in a nightmare so that your body dies. That's the sacrifice. But you have killed yourself in the nightmare. So how are you still there? It, it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, And I, maybe that's the power of the, the the wonky, you know, MacGuffin Nightmare Stone. It's very odd. Yeah, and uh, w- one of the things that I'm th- I think of, too, is because I've been enjoying, and again, I, I use that word loosely. I've yeah. been enjoying some of the Night Terror tie-ins uh, much more than the Night Terror's events. I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, I'm reminded of uh, Jeremy Adams' Night Terror's Green Lantern. Insomnia was terrified of Hal Jordan. Does he not yeah. realize now that he's going to have to deal with Hal Jordan? Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, Insomnia hasn't come across as particularly intimidating. I think the Murder Man is more intimidating and scary and Ravager. And I also think that in the fa- pages of uh, Flash, that nightmare was a little bit more terrifying yeah. what, what Barry Allen Flash had to deal with. You know, the, the whole thing just seems a little bit, uh, uh, it just seems like... Everybody does. Yeah. The guy was going through a nightmare supposedly trying to, and he couldn't find what he wanted. He was getting desperate. He was getting depressed about it. That's not a way to elevate your evil character. He basically failed. In his mission, he failed. But at the end, he tries to make it like, oh, no, no. My mission was always to have Dead Man find it and bring it to me. Bullshit. And if that's the case, you're just fully admitting that these tie-ins didn't need to happen, which I already said they really didn't. But you end up where you have a villain who just kept failing. He failed, <laughs> failed, failed. We, If you read all of the tie-ins, each tie-in, he failed. He never went and found anything and then had to have Dead Man feel bad, act like a dummy, and take the stone to him. I mean, at one point, you had the big bad villain 
couldn't even do anything in the waking world, had to send those, again, ill-defined sleepless nights, had to go and do his work for him because he couldn't even stay in the waking world. He got stuck back in. He's like, he has failed over and over and over just at the end to say, ha ha, I did it. I brought these nightmare visions. You have the gun bat. You end up having that future uh, doom bringer deal of Superman. Yeah, Super Reaper. I think. Super Reaper. And you have even the Wonder Woman deal. But the problem is here, and you already mentioned, he's tying in insomnia into that death metal metal stuff. This just looks like dark multiverse shit all over again. We've seen shit like this. This isn't feeling new. or And even then, we've seen you even mentioned it before. When I see Gunbat, like I, I saw you get destroyed twice. Why would I be that scared of you? You, you got ripped apart. All of you did. So go to hell. And yeah. at the end, that's how you end. To be concluded in Night's End, like every other one said. But I said most people are saying, well, this is the final issue. And that's just an epilogue. But I don't think that's the way it's playing out. We certainly didn't get a real finale here. That, and because of that, I just I didn't like that, it. That's right. And, and it should be mentioned, too, that a lot of the nightmare threats were, in fact, killed and eliminated in the tie-in. Yeah. So there, there's no <laughs> nightmares to bring back, like, for some of these I, heroes. I guess you just can bring them back because it was a nightmare, even though the spell out, if you die from the nightmare, <laughs> it's bullshit. It's, it's such a non uh, rule thing. Every rule break is just, I don't know. It, the art looks good at some point. Yeah. I didn't mind the art. But overall, this this was bad. This was really bad. And when we go forward with the next two books, I will admit right now, I actually like some parts of both of the next two issues we're going to go through. Why can you have that? And the main book sucks this bad. It really stinks. It really does. But what would you give it? I would give it a 4.5. Yeah, I actually thought you're going to be way more positive than me. I'm a four. I'm a four. So we're, we're almost right. Yeah, you know, same score. What what is your reasoning for the four point five? Well, first of all, the art. I do actually like the callback to death metal, and one of my favorite aspects of death metal was uh, I have really fond memories of uh, Scott Snyder engaged with me, and I did a whole video on it, uh, and we we argued about Doom versus Justice, and I disagreed with him as to as to why Doom won. And it sh- Doom shouldn't have won and what it said about humanity. And, and he was defending that. And I really enjoyed that uh, that era of the Justice League. I don't like how it ended and that they lost, but I like that callback. So that, I mean, frankly, probably giving it a two or three. But also, I want to be very clear. The tie-ins, I would say probably 30, 20 to 30% of the tie-ins are, are positive in my mind. You're way more than me. Yeah, my thing, though, is, and you brought it up, the idea, yeah, it's cool to say, you know, death metal, that's a neat deal. And I said, I don't think that Joshua Williamson's going to point of the bad thing happening. And also, the Justice League were dead for a bunch of the Dark Christ, so it makes more sense for it to happen during yeah. metal, death metal, whatnot. But when you brought up the fact that we kind of did reset, we reset, people came back, and yeah, maybe you should have went and dove into that a little more the idea of maybe this is the one family that didn't have people come back and and that would really be upsetting the idea that they were left behind but and there were some people who were left behind i mean at the end of that roy was dead for a bit and that even pretty wonky uh but overall now i've convinced myself i'm at a three five (laughs) i'm at a three five i I thought i was gonna be more positive with a four but i'm at a three five but there you go. That is the official kind of finale to the Night Terrors, but we will end up having the epilogue. And, and the way that DC has played these things out recently, I always expected the 
epilogue to not just be a hey everybody this i figured it was going to be something that you were going to need to read and it was going to be part of the series they just want to bookend it with new number ones on each side of it but there we go with the next book and and i will be a little more positive with this though i think we might argue a little night terrors action comics number two uh you have a power girl story power girl in she's got no strings part two that is written by Leah Williams, art by Vasco Georgiev, colors by Alex Gamirez, and letters by Becca Carey. And then we'll go through the stuff of Nightmares Part 2 by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Nico Soyan, Tico Osio, colors by Ramallo Fajardo Jr., letters by Dave Sharp. But obviously, we'll start with the Power Girl stuff. And it isn't any sort of, you know, whisper down the lane secret. A lot of people are upset with Leah Williams and what she's done with Power Girl. And in this, you do end up, I thought at points, kind of elevating it a little more than what we had had before. She does one little snafu that I saw a lot of Power Girl fans were really upset about. But she also does something that I've talked about before in a bunch of these times. If you don't, they, they don't seem to have gotten much information. I've even talked to some people, haven't talked to Leah Williams, but I've talked to a bunch of the writers, they said they were told nothing about any rules, what was going on in the main Night Terrors book. They were just told to do nightmares. And some of them had the wherewithal to either maybe elevate their character like a Jeremy Adams did with Hal Jordan that you mentioned earlier. Or you'll have what we'll maybe get in these next two books and even this particular deal, the idea of setting up some things later that might go out of the nightmares into the regular run of the books and that's cool enough as well because if you're going to be made to do this shit you might as well set something (laughs) up for yourself and start some you know groundwork for the things and i think that that's what probably impressed you about this leah williams book uh but what you end up having here is her going through these nightmares and it's a weird play because the whole play deals with the symbiote ship The ship that she came to, well, Earth 2 at that point, but who knows how the timelines have changed and whatnot with the death metal again when that reset the timeline and things like that. But in this, it's a weird play because you're dealing with insomnia, but then you're going through a simulation like VR type thing. And it, it got a little wonky to me. And I think that maybe she could have spelled it out a little more. But once you get the hang of what's happening, it is kind of neat. The idea that at one point, Power Girl thinks that she may not have ever came to Earth, that it was all, uh, you know, actually a simulation, that everything that she lived before might not have been real, but she kind of figures out things when Omen is mean and and that stuff. But what did you think? I'm giving Leah Williams some props uh, because I like the fact that, and and you've you've talked to this, uh, you and Eric talked about this on the the podcast, but just for a quick review, just to repeat what what you, you said, that she did talk to editors, she you know, and she did her homework. She knows the history of Power Girl, and they they let her do what she wanted. And I'm I wasn't a fan of her decision to make her temporarily a telepath. I thought that was a catastrophic mistake. But she's not a telepath anymore. This is a callback to her showcase number ninety seven, mm-hmm. going back to nineteen seventy eight, where she comes to Earth in a symbiote ship. And my criticism in Leah Williams here is that she should have spelled it out a little bit more and given yeah. readers a little bit more clarity that because I had to Google a lot of the details, you know. So right now I'm I'm sort of trying to access my inner Eric here because he's I know he's the continuity guy. And I do think that there's a lot of potential, very, very interesting story elements moving forward. And what I like about this is that the symbiote ship, it fed Power Girl her memories growing up. Mm-hmm. This yeah. distinguishes her from Supergirl, because Supergirl came to Earth as a 14-year-old, 
uh, whereas Power Girl basically grew up on the ship. It took her 60 years for her symbiote ship to get to Earth. And when she did, Superman with Kal-El on Earth 2 was already an old man. She's got a significant different type of uh, psychological development and everything else. And you could really, really get into it. It wasn't explored enough. Uh, here, but I like that Lee Williams at least utilizing the symbiote ship. I like that at the ending here, it's teasing that the, the symbiote ship aspects of it, a remnant of it, has been brought back into the waking world and is taking over a fisherman and <laughs> attach itself to a crab and, and is looking for power. I like that. I like that. it's a weird play because at the end, I almost like the main that because she did destroy the symbiote ship and throw it in the ocean. So coming out of the ocean, I'm still wondering, is this actually coming from the nightmare? Or <laughs> is Leah Williams just saying, okay, well, now it's activated in the ocean and comes. And I even got a hold of Eric and said, would the symbiote ship be on this? And he said, everything's wonky now with the timelines and things like that. So who knows? It, it could. But the deal in this, and I thought that when you read it a couple of times and get the gist of it, it's a little better. But when you're just going through, you don't realize fully that, What's happening is she is in a continuing nightmare where every time in, she wakes up in the symbiote ship, that's still the nightmare of, oh, my God, was this real? I have to bust out. And as she starts fighting her way through these multiple, multiple, and it goes down. She even says the amount of you know times that she's gone in and out of this, trying to get almost like learning something each time. She goes, I think it's 547 times. She goes yeah. through these simulations. She punches home and wakes up again in the symbiote. Oh, my God, I got to start over. It's a Groundhog's Day type of deal with the nightmares in the symbiote ship. So she eventually, like, starts putting things together. But there's not enough room or time for it to really be explored. Because the idea of a Groundhog's Day type deal, I think, would have been really cool. But you, you only have time to have a spread page of saying, okay, I did this, 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 and this. Now I realize that it has to have a power core. I'm going to take that out. It kind of goes against, like, the concept of the nightmares. But it works for Power Girl, so I just want some sort of good Power Girl. So I'll let it slide that this is more of a symbiote ship VR type thing than anything else we saw. But in it, it looks like Insomnia might be playing Omen, and the, it's it's weird. And I wish it was explained better, but the one play that I saw people upset about, because one thing at the beginning, we're not getting at first the... Oh, woe is me. I'm Power Girl Paige and nobody likes me. And she's actually fighting back and saying, no way. People do like me. You know, I, and I'm like, okay, we, we got past that stuff that we had originally from Leah Williams until she ends up falling down in that pit and says, you can't hate me more than I hate myself. And that's not Power Girl. Again, you're starting to get off of the beaten path again. You're starting to make up things with this character. Who isn't like that And I'm saying that this is from A bunch of Power Girl fans yeah. They're like we and thought that it was actually That she had gotten past that hurdle Alright let's go I'm getting excited Maybe this you know book that's coming up in September Will be good Oh no you say that she hates herself And like ah oh, that that kind of sucks Yeah I agree and, and her exact words were Nobody hates me like I hate me Is what yeah. she said yeah. And so I really don't know what that means And Again, there's not enough setup to justify that. Why does Power Girl hate herself? Hate herself, and she never has shown that. That's the problem. She was raised in her early life in a symbiote ship. Okay, I'm not sure. How does that relate to self-loathing? I mean, like, again, I want it. Leigh Williams is touching upon something that potentially is interesting, but not enough setup. I like that she's bringing back the symbiote ship, but it's not quite enough setup. What I'm hoping for, and I'm, I know it's lipstick meet pig when I say this, 
But I'm really hoping Power Girl was clearly identified. She always has been an out, a multiversal outlier, along with the Huntress. This was established a couple weeks ago with uh, Justice Society of America number five, along with for uh, Degaton. I like that her friendship with the Huntress is now on the table. If her original Earth to timeline can be sort of reestablished as having existed in the con- continuity, I think that's interesting. And I like what Leia Williams is doing by bringing in this symbiote ship, which also doesn't actually exist. It's in a nightmare. But if the symbiote ship can come back into our reality, then that's sort of that's a kind of a clever way of restoring some of the Earth to continuity in through the Night Terrors event. Now, again, we and I, I agree. It's just like I said, when I asked Eric, like a lot of that has been coming back. And, you know, even with that JSA and things like that. And I think that a lot, I hope that it's established. I hope she does that. But the issue I have while you're saying that's pretty cool. I don't want stories just being retold. And this looks like she might end up just retelling that original story where the symbiote ship ends up taking over a guy. And what the symbiote ship wants to do is it thinks it has to become one with, with Power Girl. It ends up wanting to, you know, simulate with Power Girl so they can be one. And that's what it thinks it's, you know, directed kind of is. That kind of looks like it might happen again. I don't want her to retell a story. So hopefully she establishes something and, and it's something a bit newer. Maybe, but it is neat. I, I'll give her credit. And she said that she did some research and they told her not to. And she shows here that she does know some stuff, you know, right? And it's also worth noting, maybe I'm the only person that felt some degree of sympathy for the symbiote ship, but I did. Yeah, yeah. The symbiote ship begs her for its life, saying, I will permanently end, please. And Power Girl hates the symbiote ship. And she wouldn't exist back in her origin. She wouldn't exist without it. She wouldn't have existed. But the thing is, she, and that's where I think the restore of the timeline deal. It's not like she doesn't, uh, she's like, I had to destroy this before. This thing ended up trying to take me over and I had to rip it apart and throw it in the ocean. So I think that's what she's reacting more about. Like yeah. you could have the idea that she could even be like, Oh my God, it's, it's back. And this is the one thing that connects me to my family, you know, but she's all against the idea, I guess, that it attacked her at one point. So I agree with you that you could be sympathetic for. The ship, but I don't think that Leah Williams writes it in a way that you're you're supposed to be, maybe. I don't know, because the idea that she throws this out there, almost like everybody knows the stuff. It's a shame that she doesn't set it up more, because it is a pretty cool idea. And it is doing some, you know, research and, and showing some back things. But she doesn't really set it up very well for people to know that. So it, it kind of did throw me off. But. We'll move on to the next deal because she ends up realizing, okay, this is it and takes the power off. And then she wakes up in the big place. She goes to see if Omen's okay. Streaky's there and then takes a shower and then looks up. It's like after all that, she looks out the window. Oh, crap. (laughs) They were still in the nightmares. But then you end and have that epilogue deal. But that is interesting. And I'm looking forward to see if she can play that out in the Power Girl book because that at least gets something that I'm like, all right, you know, the, you know, doing the mind reading crazy psychotic that that better be pushed out and gone and hopefully (laughs) we did end that and i want to get past the what was me deal i don't mind kara going against the symbiote ship that sounds pretty cool i just hope it's something different but we'll move into the next story that's the stuff of nightmares part two i said it before but it is philip kenny johnson writing art by miko soyan and pico osio which i probably said wrong Colors by Romalo Fardo Jr. and letters by Dave Sharp. And you continue this whole play in this 
collective nightmare. That's one of the things that I've been kind of, you know, rolling my eyes about through all this. But I actually like this enough. I think that this and I'll even say it for the detective comics that you you keep hinting that you really do like. And I like it as well. But there are some of these things where maybe this could have been better served as a regular story, not in the nightmares, because before we got into the nightmares, you had the super family fighting and Kenshaw. You had him fighting Cyborg Superman. And this ends up being a better fight, even if it is Superboy Connor Kent kind of in there. Everything gets a little wonky with it. But it is a cool fight and goes with, you know, the deep dives of war worlding almost goes with that Supergirl. Like, oh, my God, maybe everything I thought was real never was. It's a lie. In this, the play is you guys never got off a war world. You're dead. You end up, you're being eaten by worms. You never got out of there. And I like the the concept of, I I think that if you had more room, I think it could have been been even better. But I'm glad that we get the Super Twins. They play off pretty well in here. And I I just think it's well written. How about you? Yeah, I I do. I I think it's well written. It didn't really challenge any of my presumptions about any of the characters. Frankly, some of the tie-ins to Night Terrors did. Uh, very few, but some did. But the art was so fantastic. It, it really yeah, was. Like it, it felt horrific. And maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I actually never saw it coming that, that it was actually Cyborg Superman's nightmare as well. I thought it was mm-hmm. the, the yeah. twins' nightmare. And I thought it was a really nice twist that it was Cyborg Superman's nightmare as well. And they realized that's how they got one up on Cyborg Superman is that, oh, he's vulnerable in the dream world too. And it's actually his nightmare as well. They become dream warriors. I thought that was well played. I always get frustrated uh, with with the, uh, I call them the awful twins because I can never say their names. Ovary and awful. I just call them awful and awful. (laughs) (laughs) I just, the problem with me is I know their names, but I always forget which is the boy and the girl. So I did, hey, the super twins. But I do, you do. And again, this isn't anything that's going to be surprising. Oh my god, you know, Otho is scared of Osul because <laughs> he actually became something different. He ended up being resurrected on Warworld and look, she thinks that you came back and you're not even yourself. In the meantime, you have, you know, Osul also upset that that might be true, but Otho also not being able to break the chains. There's a it all leads back to Warworld stuff. So if you if you're new and haven't read the War World stuff, you're, you're going to be a little confused here. You're going to be left behind. But if you have read, I thought that it kind of ties in that stuff enough. But it felt more, didn't it feel like more of a reminder than an actual like elevation or something new? Like you said, you're not getting anything really new that you wouldn't have guessed about these characters. They're heroes. They love each other. They're going to help each other. But they have these, you know, things that they're still a little <clears throat> scared of. Some of the visuals, though, when you end up and you have, you know, Mongol who was come, you know, zombie Mongol. That looked fantastic. The cyborg Superman deal. He looked horrific. And then when you realize that it is his nightmare as well, you see and he actually becomes vulnerable, but also a bit sympathetic as well, because he's there and he sees his dead <clears throat> wife, Terry, who basically, oh, you know, Terry, it was Superman's fault. I, I'm like this because of Superman. She's like, no. You're not. You were always a monster. It wasn't Superman. It was always you. And you kind of feel sorry for Cyborg Superman for one time in your entire life. And yeah, he ends up getting kind of consumed by his nightmare deal. And that is what, you know, seems to end the whole play when they realize that they can switch a ruin on Hank and show his nightmare and have him being taken down by his zombie wife and a bunch of other zombies. I guess they're all versions. Uh, he ends up just getting closed up and they pop out. There was a weird play, though, at the end. Did you think it was weird where 
Kong Keenan says, what did you see when they come out? And there is a bit of a, uh, a Wizard of Oz play, too, where you were there and you were there and you yeah. and hey, what did you see? Oh, my God, it was Metropolis and Hank Henshaw was here in Cyborg Superman. Oh, my God, you wouldn't believe it. And then you end up where? Oh, no, no, we were there, too. I'm like, why did you have them say that? They're little kids. They probably crapped their pants. And you're there. What did you see? I'm like, oh, and also, I will admit, too, there is a bit of a, to me, a bit of a fudging. Because you do seemingly see, say, Kong Keenan get killed. But they're, oh, no, no, he got grabbed by the unmade. I'm like, all right, that's how we're going to fudge it. Because you even see at one point it looks like Natasha gets but they end up fine, and boom, they come out of this nightmare. Crypto's there. But the, uh, I also like the idea where they go to the they go to the window at the end. They're like, "Wait, you know, at least it's over." No, let's look out the window. I'm afraid this is long way from over. It just looks like an overcast day in Metropolis. It, it really like most of the time we've seen this purple crazy, you know, lightning and stuff. This just looks like it's overcast, like. You know, if you don't have an umbrella, it's going to be a tough day in Metropolis. But I guess that's yeah. just the art there. But the art is really good uh, yeah. throughout this. Anything else? Yeah, one of the things that stood out for me is because I've been enjoying Superman comics by Williamson more so than the action comics. However, mm-hmm. Philip Kennedy Johnson continues to impress me with his his action comics. If for no other reason that he he really manages to handle so many Superman family characters so well. He really does manage to, to pace it well, to, to get them all some moment in the spotlight, because it's just my particular bias for the life of me. I don't understand how Keenan is. Why is he living with them? Why is all of them to be yeah. living in the same? And then having the Felosian twins. To me, this was just adding more fuel to the fire and some desperate attempt to, to, to make up to the fan base for aging up John Kent. For aging and, up John, uh, it was. You know, it just it sort of feels that way. But damn it, PKJ, he's doing a really good job. And this was this was good. This You nailed it when you said this exemplifies what we already know, but it really nails it down, that the mm-hmm. character work and the relationship. I like the fact that I felt that this really was a Superman family story, the way mm-hmm. they came together in this nightmare. I had to overcome it. And I thought it was uh, very well done. And and for God's sakes, to have some sympathy towards Cyborg Superman all in <laughs> all in all in one shot. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's not bad. And I, I think that by the end it's kind of a funny play because you end up having action comics, right? Well and even in this, this is action comics night terrors, but you are able to have that Power Girl deal because the regular book's an anthology book anyway, so that's cool. But when you get into this story, the Philip Kennedy Johnson story, in the actual run of action you don't have a ton of space but you have a ton of characters you said there's maybe too many characters so i like the idea that he was using this to give you a little of the twins give you not much of kong keenan but some and even connor and stuff like that so and it but it never felt like we were doing because of the way this is played out we already have the superman book night terrors by joshua Williamson. i never read this and said Man, where the hell is Superman? Like, why is it because we have him over there? So it allowed Philip Kennedy Johnson to use the space to give us some, you know, of this so that when we get back to Night Chairs, people will have, you know, maybe not say, oh, I, I, they're not even using the twins or we're not doing this or do it. You do it here and it's well served, I thought. I thought that that was a good idea of how he ended up doing it. At first, I was kind of thrown off that it was going to be the twins. And their nightmares, but by the end, it's like everybody's nightmares in this, including Cyborg Superman, which, like you said, that was a surprise. I didn't really think 
that was going to happen. Never thought we were going to see the Mongol who was or ever talk about chains again. We got that. But what would be your final score for this? I'm going to be very, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm giving Lee Williams the benefit of the doubt because I've been pretty no hard God. on her from the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to hold you on that. So I'll tell I'm gonna, you. And, I, and I, I like the backup, EKJ. So I'm going to go 6.5. Yeah, I actually think I'm going to try to be a little more positive too. Maybe, maybe that's it. Eric was so sick of me being miserable. He just bailed, so I don't want you to bail on We have one more <laughs> book to do, so I'm going to go six. I'm actually going to go six because, like you said, while I'm you know, cautiously optimistic, I'm very cautiously optimistic of what Leah Williams might end up doing, it wasn't it, just that one deal of, uh, you know, basically, you can't hate me more than I hate myself. The way that it was worded, it was a, a little weird when she did that, but yeah. I felt like if it wasn't for that, that at least she was showing that, oh my, because actually, in the up until that point, Power Girl was actually like winning the day because of the fact that she had gotten over people not liking her or her not having a place because it was getting thrown at her again. Oh, nobody likes you. You're redundant. You're the no, I'm not. I know this can't be. And I was like, yeah, finally, you actually got the memo. And maybe this is the step forward. Takes a little teeny step back. And I'm worried that she's going to repeat a story. But hey, if she's going to do anything, why not repeat a classic story? Then give crazy mind-reading psychological nonsense that we had before so i'm for that so i'm gonna go six so that (laughs) it's funny when i say it it's one of my most positive scores of any of these books that i give it a a six Uh, there is the lay of the land the last book that me and you were talking about though i i did like i didn't love the first issue i was a bit confused but this actually ties in a lot and actually kind of a light bulb went off in my uh Dim head. Night Terrors, Detective Comics number two, written by Dan Waters, art by Ricardo Frederici, Mike Perkins, Stefano Raffaele, colors by Brad Anderson, Mike Spicer, Lee Lowridge, and letters by Steve Wands. There is a lot of artists on this, but yet the book still looks damn good. It looks damn good. And I, I have been a uh, not so big a fan of Ricardo Frederici. And every time I tell people that, they go nuts because he has that. You know, crazy looking, fancy style. My whole play before was that it didn't really give you a lot of sense of motion. A lot of the war world stuff with uh, PKJ was uh, Ricardo Frederici. And while it looked great, I didn't think it had a lot of motion to it. It didn't really give a storytelling deal with it. This actually is a little better. And especially the way when I see now that if it's written in a way that kind of accents that it really does end up pretty good. And like I said, when you get into this, you are given more information that makes the things that we saw in the first issue make a little more sense as we go forward. And the only big problem I have is that I feel like Dan Waters might have wasted an opportunity with a story that actually could have been an arc in, say, a Detective Comics backup or something like that being done in the real world. Because by the end, it looks like it might end up continuing in the real world anyway. So I thought that yeah, I was I was kind of impressed with the story. Uh, how about you? I was very impressed. I'm going to probably, uh, if anything, I'll probably risk overselling this. This is better than the first issue, but I really enjoyed the first issue as well. Dan Waters has been very hit and miss with me. As he's hit and miss with me as well, I was going to say that. I did enjoy his sort of Azrael series. I, I thought too. it was really good. I wasn't a fan of his Arkham City, The Order of the World, mainly because of the art by Danny. I think with Dan Waters, I think having a really good artist like he does in this issue really sold it for me. Dan Waters, you can tell him and Ram V probably drink the same beer or go oh, yeah. to the same bar. To, to his credit, what I love about this is that this is a fable. 
This is a human mm-hmm. fable. This is a fairy tale. This yeah. is like a grim fairy tale. And the whole idea, Barbara Gordon accessing the dark web, obtaining a pocket watch that accesses the pentapriest that grants free wishes to free random people of Gotham, and they wish for wealth, power, and knowledge. And Mm -hmm. that big reveal that the person who wished for knowledge was Oracle and how that plays into Jim Gordon's hero's journey from issue one to issue two and the way it ended and the message it gives and and the fact that this doesn't take place in the nightmare realm. It's implied that insomnia can't penetrate, takes place in the realm of imagination. I thought this was just this was a, a beautiful read. This is why I read comics straight up. And the thing is. Imagine uh, my pleasant surprise reading this when I'm not a fan of Night Terrors. It's a two-month event because editorial needs a break or some uh, whatever the gossip is, whatever. But I read this and I felt this is awesome. I really enjoy it. I'm going to remember this story because the great thing about fables and fairy tales is that they're easy stories to remember. For me, this is an easy story to remember. And it harkens back to Scott Snyder's run and Super Heavy and that ridiculous bat suit that Jim Gordon wore. But it justified some of it. It justified Jim Gordon's struggle. It refers back to the first issue of Ramfee's Detective Comics, where Oracle made the uh, observation, as well as us readers, that Batman is slowing down. And 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 it, it that actually it, was before Ramfee. Actually, Mariko Tamaki started that as well. But just enough. to point, I don't like to give Mariko Tamaki too much credit, <laughs> but that was in that as well, where he fell. You got to give Dan Waters credit then, because he's he's referencing that, and he's. He created a fairy tale out of all that baggage. I thought it really worked for me, but uh, what about yourself? I know that the fifth dimensional deal, and Eric, actually, that was where he started having problems. When you start throwing fifth dimensional imps and things, you pretty much throw out any rules that you would ever have, and they could do whatever they want. But at the end, it's weird because in that, you do end up having you know insomnia looking in again like he did in that House of Horror in that you know deal where Damien and... Uh, dead man went to go find the nightmare stone and so i i do like that the problem i have the only real big problem is this has nothing at all nothing at all to do with night but if you're not going to be given information just go for it i mean this really and that's again exactly. where i said at the beginning i find this more of a shame because i think that this could have been a pretty good six issue miniseries with all of what was going on and i think that by the end you even run out of a bit of time with the idea of why, you know, it's affecting Gordon the way it does because of Barbara and how this is all going on. But there's some interesting ideas in this. There really is. And the art really does accentuate it. It becomes very horrific. And I love the funny play is I love the rookie suit. And I love thinking back at the time where we had Bat Bunny and Gordon while we were <laughs> doing it. Didn't love it. I mean, there it was wonky. But it's one of those weird things now. And I think that there's that with everything. It's not just comics. It's not even just with entertainment. You end up where you go through some shit, right? And then when you get out, it's kind of like you fought the battle. And then when you think back at it, you're like, oh, you know, that was pretty fun going and yelling about things. I mean, you used to write in and call in while we were doing all that, too. And it was fun. But not really that. But when I saw the the rookie suit, I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. The first issue threw me off because I thought, and Eric, I think, even said when we talked about it, this isn't the rookie. I, I could barely even see it was that and whatnot. But at least now I'll give Dan Waters a lot of credit that we go in the second issue and he does explain things. Now, that's going to play better when you read them both at the same time. Because, again, I didn't love the first issue. But when we started out here, I even thought, 
okay, what are we doing? And this one really sticks with me a lot. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, the lady was, you know, pretty much throwing up diamonds. And we end up continuing with that where Gordon gets this message that she talks about. And this lady is kind of a sympathetic feel. She was trying to get money to help Gotham, but it was it was a monkey paw. She ends up, you know, pretty much choking on that. And, oh, man, the damn fairy tale, it didn't work. But the big play is through this is who was that original person that showed up. And I'll tell you, she shows up with the clock of penaprismic mystery is what it's called. <laughs> and she ended up, you know, showing up with that and giving these other two these wishes. And the guy, this guy, Mortimer Blake, he was part of that rookie program. And he thought this could have been really good and we could have really, you know, changed some lives and blames Gordon for why it failed and says, I need that power back. I can make this work. And they are really trying to help Gotham. But in that, you know, monkey Paul way, it's not really working out. And I do like like little things like Gordon. He is kind of breaking the glass and he ends up like taping himself together. Then he's like, I can't step off of the, you know, the curb here. I, I like that as you end up having the rookie going around and just blasting away and that's where gordon runs into him and he ends up having to jump out of his car the rookie just destroys the car and gordon's there i'm I'm telling you to stop this has to stop please you're not helping anybody and you end up where gordon has done his research and knows this guy's family i thought this was a real good twist and it's kind of like a twist on a twist where he says i went and got your wife and kids to come and talk you down you can't do this this isn't helping we're stuck in this wacky deal here please stop. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, where are my wife and kids? Oh, they're in the car. You just blew up. And that's horrific. I mean, there's a nightmare. And then you find out that Gordon actually was lying after he self-destructs. I'm like, this is dark. I mean, it really is dark. And even with that, Gordon's falling apart even more as this thing blows up, blows up half his head and his arm. He's in bad shape. And I started, this is where I kind of got the idea. Oh, crap. Like, he might die in this, but when we find out later, it's kind of in this in-between deal. It wouldn't have mattered anyway, but it is this kind of cool deal where these Panda priests are playing. It's a game. I mean, they seem to be almost like those really bored demons or gods that just want to kind of like, okay, let's do this and see how this works out. And let's see if the monkey paw and let's have a laugh or whatnot. And I thought that was Pretty horrific. Yeah, I mean, I, these pentapriests are pretty horrific as well, right? The way Jim Gordon describes the pentapriests, they're studying him like bacteria in a Petri dish. The reason why I, I love the, the pentapriests so much is that I would love to see them return and have them appear in the imagination of other heroes because what, what I love about this is Jim Gordon learned something about himself. And so did Barbara Gordon, so did Oracle. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's a moral here. There's a lesson. We got wealth, power. Too much wealth. I mean, well, obviously, all the wealth in the world can't solve Gotham's problems. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Neither can all the power. And guess what? Neither can knowledge. Knowledge in and of itself is useless, as Barbara Gordon discovers. What I love about the heroic journey of James Gordon here, he's the only guy, he doesn't ask for any sort of power or wealth or knowledge. The Pentapriests imbue him with some knowledge and he suffers the same fate ultimately as Barbara Gordon and that he turns to glass. The fragility of him and Barbara, th- their fragility is representative of Gotham's fragility, always living on the edge. Gotham is always one step away from, from being destroyed by multiple villains. And it's, yeah. it's a, and la- as they say in the narrative, 
as Dan Waters makes clear in the narrative, it's a miracle that Gotham even exists and continues to yeah. exist and survive. I mean, those of us who've been reading Batman for any period of time, and we joke all the time about a uh, joke of war, City of Bane. I mean, how yeah. many times it, Batman loses Gotham all the exactly. time? Yeah, it's always getting taken. Somehow over. Gotham survives, and yeah, I just thought it was really good, and it's exemplified by the heroism. Not of Batman or a superhero, but of just an ordinary cop, James Gordon, in his daughter's observation. You know, I love her observation when she said, Dad, when was the last time you, your hair turned completely gray? Yeah, like, you know, when yeah, was that? She didn't even see that happening because it just happened over time and it, it shocked her, right? And you go with that. I really like the idea because when she ends up and she wanted this knowledge and she's thinking about Gotham, I'm glad that she doesn't say, oh, Batman, he's slowing down. We're screwed. She actually says, what I'm worried about is, what is Gotham going to be, not only with Batman getting old, but you, Dad? You know, there's Gordon. And Gordon, in this point in the comics, he has been shoved aside. He's not commissioner anymore. He ended up going after the Joker. That seemingly ended wonky. And, you know, right now he's kind of hanging out with Bullock. So he doesn't feel and like he's really gotten the spotlight lately. And I like this with Barbara saying that, that I worry about what Gotham would be without you and Batman and you're both getting old. And when, again, you do have that point, you're starting to sell me a little more Rocky, because when she does say that about the gray hair, that that's not Oracle slash Batgirl talking to commissioner or that's daughter talking to dad. The idea that yeah. she's been so busy. She just said the idea that Batman, he never br- takes a break. He's well, that's been happening with her as well. You see that she says, when did you get all gray? And that it, it's just that moment where you realize I, I'm not going to have him forever. That, that's He's right. now gotten old. That, and if you end up, obviously, everybody has parents and things like that. Mm-hmm. But if you have kids as well, it's something you wouldn't want your kid to notice. You don't want to look frail. You don't want to look like you might not last forever. But eventually, you know, you figure that out. And, and that's the sad deal. And it's uh, wonderfully symbolic of the state of Gotham City. Uh, Gotham City is growing older. And uh, the, the Buddhists have a saying, the, the bucket fills drop by drop. And mm-hmm. the, the problem with so many of us uh, is that... Is, your is that because full? they t- use a bucket to go to the bathroom? Yeah, is, yeah. That, is that yeah, why? Yeah, well, that's one of it. But, you know, we don't know if our bucket is too full, we get filled with anxiety and stress. In the bu- and we don't know what, how full our bucket is. And we don't know how far things have gone. It's like death by a thousand cuts. You know, Gotham's had a thousand cuts. When is it going to die? When is it finally going to bleed out? You know, when is when is Jim Gordon finally going to die? When is Batman finally going to end? I mean, this is speaking outside the comic. I, I say often that I'm a sucker for a good metaphor. And this is literally riddled with metaphor that we could talk. You could, so many symbols and metaphors here. And that's that's what makes a good human fable. And so not only is this a good human fable because of the characters themselves, but it's also an, a fable that deals with an inanimate object, namely the pocket watch which forms the basis both at the beginning of the story and on the final page. And I, I thought it really, Dan Waters really brought the story home uh, on that final page, teasing that maybe we haven't seen the last of the Pentacles. Yeah. I'm more of a simile guy, by the way. But when we go to that <laughs> end, it is funny that this book actually just says, and Dan Waters is like, what? Night's end? Screw that crap. We're getting out of here and we're going back afterwards. Everything's fine. But is it because you end up finding out that, oh, my God. And it makes sense. Again, I ended up saying, and Eric was upset about fifth dimensional imps. But when you have that, anything can happen. So at the end, it plays. this plays out like a classic horror movie ending. The idea that you think that everything is fine, 
everything is back to, oh, my God, it was just a nightmare. Oh, my. And then you just have a random scene where somebody is in a clock store or what and says, oh, you know, I've been looking for this piece. I think it's over there. And the guy, the shop owner, like, I, I don't know. We didn't have anything. Le- oh, wait a minute. We do. I don't remember this being in the inventory here. Let me get it. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's the watch and i do want to repeat the name of the watch again because it made me laugh so much the clock of pentaprismic mystery yeah. and then you're like oh my god it's that and then you end up name your price and then you just have end and i'm like all right you know what when people have been begging me to like these things saying well jim you just have to take them as two-parters don't worry about the whole insomnia and the night you can't help it at points because of the idea where some of these don't feel quite complete. We end up with, hey, this is going to continue in the night. You know, this just ends and ends in a way that this didn't have to be anything to do with night. And it kind of wasn't. So I'll give a guy. I'm telling you, you're selling me a lot on this. It, it is the benefit for Dan Waters to say, screw this. If you're not going to tell me anything. I'm going to do what I want and actually did tell a good story. This this is exactly right. That's why I said it when we when we started this podcast, or maybe it was when we first yeah, started it. Couple but I, this is why I said, and you said it. I mean, Dan Waters took a lemon and he made lemonade out of it. And he said, look, if you're not going to give me enough information, I'm just going to tell a fairy tale in somebody else's imagination. And mm-hmm. uh, ins- I'm going to block insomnia. I'm going to lock insomnia out, even insomnia as a spectator in this story. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. Uh, also, I thought that it was very clever. It's so subtle, but it's so perfect and so symbolic again. And a metaphor is, I think it's Ricardo Federici's art, but maybe uh, at the end when he draws Barbara Gordon, who's, who's so fragile, what's the weakest point? If Barbara Gordon was a piece of glass, where would she crack? Well, she'd crack in her back right at the waist. And her legs are separated. Yeah. It's crazy. That makes sense. Yeah. And it, it just works. And there's a tragedy to it. And then, of course, she's got that the pocket watch right in front of where her uh, waist is cracked in half. There's a tragedy to it. And she, she even knew she was making a deal with the devil, but she needed to know. She felt that God, she had to take the chance and that worst case scenario, it would just be her death. So there's a nobility to her sacrifice there in the imagination, but she never counted on the consequence of her father also being impacted by the fragility as well. So this is this is a human fable and it works. And this is something that could have been in a, an annual. It could have been in any story. Uh, I'll slightly disagree with you on a point that you say you wish it was six to 12 issues long. I like the fact that it was only two issues. Yeah. I, I would have liked a little more setup and maybe seen, like you said, some different heroes. And once you'd get that involved, if it was, and I wouldn't go 12, I would go six, maybe four. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just would have liked to have seen it expand and see what else is going on with it. But it does, it works out. I'm just saying it's a shame. That he couldn't. I'm not saying that the two issues he wasn't able to tell a story because he did. I just thought it was a shame that there's enough ideas here that it could have been bigger than just to tie into a shitty event that I really worry that most people down the line are going to be just told to avoid. And you might not get to, you know, read this, this two issue deal. So hopefully that's not the case. I'm going to throw a mind screw into you one final time. Oh, God. The, the time that is on the, the pocket watch on the final page, you reverse the big hand and the little hand, the time is 1040. Because normally it's it, it looks like it's 850. But if you reverse that, the reverse of reality, so it's 850. If you reverse that, it becomes 1040. And 1040 is well known as an angel number. It's a powerful symbol of new beginnings, hope, and possibilities. And it's a sign that your guardian angels are here to help you. And so uh-huh. 
They're not helping me. I, I choose to believe that Dan Waters did that intentionally because he there's so much symbolism in his uh, Azrael series as well, sort yeah. of Azrael. I don't know who this mystery person is that buys the pocket watch at the end. It doesn't look like any DC character that I'm familiar with. But th- does that look like anybody you know? I, I took it as it's one of the Pena priests that has just actually ended up being in human form to go and retrieve it again. Because when it says name your price, that seems like it's the idea of wink, wink. Okay. What, what wish do you want? I thought that that was the start. <laughs> that that this sense. would be, you know, the the evil, you know, almost like the Crypt Keeper that might go off to take that watch to go do something else with it like it it just retrieved it and maybe the play would be that once they ended up getting out of this you know fifth dimensional imagination deal that it then had to be retrieved or this is the way they brought it back in but it is interesting i'd like to see it again yeah by the way who is uh the, the owner of the clock uh, business i take that he owns the place i don't think clocking in is doing that much business that they have like 17 employees <laughs> and he's there like Hey, I didn't know that was in inventory. I'm like, who does your inventory, dude? Like, I, I would think that he's the guy who would do it. That's what made me giggle at the end. He's like, oh, man, I didn't see this coming. I'm like, you think you're losing or something? Because I think you might be the only one working there. I might be off there. But still, it was kind of a fun play when you ended up having He does have those thick glasses like me, though. So maybe he's just like, yeah, I didn't see this before. But what would your score be? Maybe I'm overselling this, but I'm giving this a 9.5. Oh, I really, my goodness. I really Chris. enjoyed this, yeah, because I, I like this. This, to me, is what comic books should be. When you can go in the midst of an event that no one is really crying about and get my attention like this, like, I'm going to remember this. And I'm going to now, now Dan Waters is probably going to regret it. But now that I know he's capable of this, I'm going to expect a lot more from him moving forward. We'll see. Well, see, I'm going to give it an 8.5. And and a lot of my deal is that it did surprise me how much more I liked this after not liking the first issue at all. And so I really did enjoy it. Uh, and I think that it could be a cool deal if this was something that you would have in the backups of, say, Detective Comics. Like, it would work well. And Dan Waters has had some stuff. His writing does work well, you know, going and with Ram V. So I think that this story could be something really cool if we do continue on with, and I hope we do. It might be a while, but we'll see. And I'm with you though. I'm I'm ba- I'm up and down with Dan Waters. And like I like the Asriel stuff. I like some of his deal over at Marvel at a point, but I end up like this puts him over the hump a little. I think that now I can say that I think I'd like him a little more than not like him. So that's pretty cool. And I'm glad that you join me. To get me all fired up about this because we are done with our section. Thanks so much for joining me. And like I said before, everybody go check out Rocky's YouTube channel. It's Comic Boom. The whole play will be uh, linked in the show notes. Please go and watch him and his buddy Jace do their DC Comics Review show comes out Monday night, right? Usually Monday night, but we, we can't always get it done. It's, you have my sympathies because it's 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 a it's a bitch to review every comic book every yeah. every DC mm-hmm. comic every week. I gotta tell you, <laughs> I end up having to watch it later because I don't want you to influence me when I go and do my reviews. I don't need your positive Canadian nonsense getting yeah. in my mind. But yeah, please go to the show notes, click the link, and go. And watch Rocky and Jace. They are really, really good. And with all of that, we're going to go off to some mail.
It is time for the mail, and if you want to get involved in the mail section, just like Craig and J-Man, all you have to do is email us at weirdsciencedccomics at gmail.com. We read everything. And in fact, as we'll find out in just a minute, I may read things more than once, but we're going to start with Craig. Craig says, Dear Jim, what's up, Craig? After Eric's chill-out, me and him will do DC Comics' Peter Panda as a gentle reintroduction into the madness. And he ended up sending me a link to Peter Panda, and it looks really cute. Uh, I'm not so sure that Eric would like it, but maybe when he returns, Craig, me and you will go through Peter Panda. Just a nice four-hour chat about one issue of Peter Panda every other day, and he'll be back in the game. And then he signs off with Weird Science for Life, MFS. He's giving a bit of a salute to us and signs it C, which I think is pretty cool. But thanks a lot, Craig. Now we'll go to J-Man. And yeah, I ended up last week, I was a bit drunk. I ended up grabbing because I had missed one of J-Man's emails the week before. But of course, when I went to grab it, I done messed up again and read an email from him that was from like a month before. So I didn't even read the right email. That was a bit of a drunken snafu. We're going to make that right here because J-Man writes in and says, Hey, Jim, what's up, Eric? And that's a shout out to Eric. Remember, though, this actually originally was a couple weeks ago as well. It's it's a tangled game that we play here. Oh, my. Here's what he said. I decided to read a select few of the part twos for the Night Terrors two shots. Can we call them side quests? I like to call them a bunch of garbage. Again, I could care less about the main series and was curious what a handful of supposed characters' nightmares would be. Well, I'll give you a little hint. It doesn't matter! Yes, through the two shots where I read both issues, Ravager, Green Lantern, Shazam, and Robin, I got uninspired standard nightmare trope drivel. I was planning on getting the number two issue of Zatanna, but decided otherwise when I was able to read through it five minutes at my LCS. It was a very quick issue. And saw that the final page ended in the punchline had some violence. Of course it did. <laughs> DC, please don't make this a future team-up series. There were rumors, and Bleeding Cool actually announced that at San Diego Comic-Con, they were going to announce the Hex and Violence miniseries. And if they ended up hearing a little bit, I still think it might happen. And I'm with J-Men. I don't want that any sort of way. J-Man says the only people that will buy it will be the mothers of the creators. I'm telling you, Eric Shea wants that full out. He wants that book. I don't know why. Probably because he sucks. So the only way to get me out of my state of depression with these terrible books was to come up with some ideas for two-shot nightmare stories if the creators were allowed to break the fourth wall and let the main character tell you how they really feel. It's almost like they'd like to turn the chair backwards and their hat around. Right. And either at that point, you are going to tell your you know, thoughts, talk to the kids, or you might arm wrestle. That's what happens when you turn your head around. So here are some of my ideas for two shots on the characters. Now, before we do go into that, I want to remind J-Man and everybody else that when these writers were told what to do for night terrors, pretty much they weren't told anything. They were actually told, oh, well, we can't really tell you what the main story is about. That's not really nailed down yet. Just give us generic nightmares. And so that's why a lot of them feel that way. That's how they were told to go about this. Night Terror's Wonder Woman. Diana would be faced with her worst nightmare, being marginalized with lackluster stories for several years because DC has chosen a pair of creators to write all Wonder Woman stories until all the fans forget how Wonder Woman is. The pair of creators would singularly be known as the Clumrad, 
and would follow Diana everywhere through the nightmare story, constantly asking for her thoughts on their next shitty idea for a story arc. Just thought of the idea. It is weird that they didn't have the Clumrads do the Wonder Woman night terrors. You know, they actually have the people who have been writing Wonder Woman for a bunch of years, and they can't even trust them to actually know the character on a fundamental level to give us a nightmare. Finally, in issue two, Diana would turn on her creators and mutilate and eviscerate the Clunrad in the style of the most violent Amazon warrior ever. Diana would break her bracelets and go into berserker mode all over the Clunrad, and I bet Rocky would say she would not go down on her knees. Then when the Clunrad were defeated, Wonder Woman would see Miss Clunan and Mr. Conrad in separate rooms and finish them off with the brutalest fashion ever seen in a comic book. The two-shot would be written by Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad. That would make sense. And as Diana wakes up, she gets the script for her next story arc, and neither Clunrad or Clunan are on it as creators. Now, the big nightmare for Diana would then be, oh my god, Tom King's on my book. Holy crap! What's happening? Ooh-wee, but that's what he says Wonder Woman should be. Night Terror's Tim Drake, the smartest Robin. I know they like to say that, since Eric's not here, because he loves the Tim Drake. I'm more of a Dick Grayson fan. The heart of the DC. Also, Damian Wayne, you know, the little prick of the DCU. So yeah, those are my favorite. The smartest Robin realized that something is off with his personality. After years of enjoying Stephanie Brown's company on an intimate level, now all he can think about is the love he feels for Bernard and other non-bat family men in his life. But every time he seeks out the company of said men, Tim has to go to the bathroom and throw up. This seems a little hateful. When he comes up from the bowl, Tim looks in the mirror and feels as though something is off with his face. It's like a modern-day Picasso twisted his face and all the faces of people around him. Then the Rosmo pops up out of the shadows and draws a script in Tim's hand. The script says that the next scene, Tim will denounce any association with Stephanie and the entire Bat family and move to the Castro district of San Francisco with Bernard Worley fight crime there in all black leather and assless chaps. In issue two, Tim rips up the script, passes the bar exam, and initiates a class action suit on DC Publishing, Megan Fitzmartin and Riley Rossmo for defamation of character. All the characters affected negatively uh, by these entities join in on a class action suit, and Jim Lee settles out of court. At the end of the issue, several DC characters now at Bruce Wayne's level riches, Fitzmartin and Rossmo, never work in a comic book again. I don't know where you're going to get all this money from Fitzmartin and Rossmo. What do you think, they're billionaires? And the rights to Tim Drake are given to Xenoscope Publishing, where the once Robin has many team-up adventures with sexy female versions of fairy tale characters as the Drake. You have know, that, that'd be odd, uh, but that's what he says. The I actually think the nightmare should end with just somebody with a good story, no matter what's involved, because that's all I need are good stories. But he continues with Hal Jordan, which I liked, and a lot of people did like the Hal Jordan night terrors. And again, the funny play is people were giving shit to Jeremy Adams for what he was doing before in the DC, uh, Dawn of DC, before the Night Terrors. Oh, man, that's an immature Hal. That's not a kick-ass Hal that we want. Then we go into Night Terrors. He actually doesn't have much to go with, but gives a kick-ass Hal, and people didn't like it either. Night Terrors, Hal Jordan, I did. Hal finally ties the knot with Carol. Is, is that like getting married to some sexy coat? Tying the knot. And they have three children. That doesn't sound very fun. I have five, and I'm telling you, I don't feel like a superhero. Hal, Carol, and the kids move into a house right next to Hal's brother and the family in Coast City, and then all of a sudden it gets destroyed. Oh, no, that's not what he said. 
because nobody wants expensive state-of-the-art planes, Ferris Air goes out of business and Hal has to juggle doing odd jobs as Green Lantern around the neighborhood, taking care of three kids and being a member of the Green Lantern Corps in Sector 2814, which is the only job he enjoys these days. But Carol is always telling Hal he can't go out and patrol the sector until he washes all the damn dishes and takes the kids to school and their daily extracurricular activities. And you know they're going to be like, into all sorts of sports and craps. Yeah, it's going to have to do that, right? Fed up. But my mom and dad never took me to those things. I don't, My dad came to one baseball game in my entire life, and it was a Connie Mack baseball game. I ended up, I was actually pitching, and uh, I ended up, I used to, in those days, I actually batted uh, third. So I was not so bad, right? He showed up. I struck out because I was so nervous he was there. Then, And I struck out looking. I started arguing balls and strikes. I got kicked out of the game. And then when I looked up to like, have my dad take me home or whatnot, he left. He left in shame. He did. I just wanted to push that I was batting third at that point. And I was, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, too, at, at that point, I didn't really know how to pitch. I just ended up I could throw the ball pretty hard. And I would have this knuckle curve that I thought I had. I really didn't. I was just goofing around. That wasn't too good. Fed up with this, Hal sneaks in or seeks out Salad to wash the dishes. It's a living. And Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz to take the kids to school in their daily activities without Carol knowing. Oh my goodness, this is going to cause some trouble. Then to wipe the stank off marriage and maybe the hang low, if you know what I'm saying. Wooey, with children off to himself, Hal takes trips with Lobo. To all of the brothel planets, you mean like space brothel, space Vegas, to repeatedly cheat on Carol with female aliens. Is is this still a nightmare or is this now a dream? Female aliens of all shapes and sizes. When Carol finds out, she becomes a star sapphire and kills Hal Jordan. That's all one issue. There's a lot going on in that issue. In issue two, Hal's spirit leaves his body. And his Green Lantern ring becomes the jacket that Hal's father gave to him instead of passing the next successor somewhere in the universe, or sex successor. When Hal's oldest son becomes a teen, he claims the jacket and finds out that it gives him all the powers of the Green Lantern. Imagine a young version of Hal Jordan flying around in a Green Lantern costume with his dad's jacket over the costume instead of a Green Lantern ring. Right? Then Hal's oldest son realizes that the spirit of his father, did he die? I thought he'd just turn... Oh, yeah, I, I forgot Star Sapphire killed him. <laughs> hey, always with him as the entity in the jacket who talks to him like a Green Lantern Ringwood, but it's a jacket. So it says, like, stupid jacket puns, right? I, I don't know any right now. Hey, coat me some there, kid. Coat me some. Where's there? Hal's son has many adventures with the spirit of Hal. A ween? Oh, my. Now I can throw it in. Now, the spirit of Hal, what's that, seasonal work for Jess? Oh, my. Phew. Always spiritually by his side, helping him to become the coolest Green Lantern ever. I don't know that a talking jacket would make you the coolest Green Lantern ever. Talking jacket? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he's yelling, hey, land over there in that hangar. You get it? He's a jacket? Yeah. And that's what you get when Eric bails on me. You guys should try this out. It really takes me out of my night terrorist fuel history state. That's all for now. Keep up the good work, and I'll see you in the sevens. That's J-Man from Half Moon Bay. I just keep thinking of what Eric would be so mad. 
he'll never listen to one of these shows either. But if he does, he's just going to be shaking his head. Maybe that'll spur him to come back or maybe just quit forever. I'm not sure. Both, maybe. But that is that. I actually feel a little drunk now. Now we did the mail. But that's it for the mail. Like I said, if you want to get involved and, you know, have some fun with me, you can end up emailing us at weirdsciencedccomics at gmail.com. We read all of the emails. So thanks, J-Man. Thanks, Craig. We're going to go off now to a, a little special treat. I'm going to be joined by my man, Luke Hollywood. Mm-mm. Don't know why I did that, but Luke does a lot of the manga podcasts that we do. And I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast aren't aware of all of the shows that we end up doing. I will mention them as we get into this, but I'll give you a little bit of a mention because I think I flub it up a bit when we get to it. You know, surprise, surprise. But me and Luke and even Jason, Sue 42 to you and me, and also Stork, Embolism. Is that what it is? Embolism. That's not an award that you get for writing good comics, by the way. But we all get together individually, kind of together separate, and we do. See, I'm flipping it again. We do all the manga shows. We have a Manga Monday show where me and Luke go through a number one issue, usually, of some manga, right? That makes sense. But then we also have manga reading clubs that include Spy Family. Some people who don't know manga, you're not going to know what I'm talking about, but you just tune out for a second. Spy Family, My Hero Academia, Demon Slayer. We did do a Jujutsu Kaisen, but that's on hiatus, kind of like Eric, and I think Eric might return before that one does. We also have a Chainsaw Man, a Death Note, and a Dragon Ball. Each day except Thursday has a show, so you can check those out. I'll mention it again when Luke joins me here, but me and Luke are going to get together right now. And we're going to do the Superman versus Meshi manga. And I hope everybody enjoys that as something a little bit different. Still DC, but a bit of a manga deal. So we're going to go off to that right now. All right. And here we are. And here we are. I mean, we as in me and Luke Hollywood. What up, Luke? What up, Jim? It has been it's quite me. some time since you have been on the regular DC Where's Comics podcast. I would say that it was you calling in drunk with 45 minutes of something that I couldn't even understand what the last time was. As we're getting close to episode 500, it's nice to have some shout outs and having some people back. And me and you, if everybody here doesn't know, do a bunch of manga podcasts each and every week. We have a Manga Monday show. We also have reading clubs, and this is the commercial part of this, Luke. I just oh, want to let you know. We have reading low, clubs Jim. for Spy Family, oh. Demon Slayer, mm. My Hero Academia, wow. uh, uh, Chainsaw Man, Death Ooh. Note, and the Dragon Ball that I do by myself, Death Note. I do with Jason and Stork does the My Hero and the Chainsaw Man with me. So we have a bunch of podcasts each and every week. But I'm never allowed to mention those when Eric's around. So as he Jeez. is off on a hiatus, hiatus, we can mention these things. And because of that, I thought, well, it's kind of cool to go through a manga here on the show. And oh. if people aren't aware, there are some DC Comics manga that are coming some out. delicious manga. Yeah. Each mm-hmm. week, one of these chapters comes out. And one of the books that comes out is Superman versus meshy which is basically superman versus food mm. and i'm going to give the detailed description of what the whole series is about and then me and luke are going to go with the current chapter that's available on the app right now and it's oh. chapter four 
and it's goofy. But the Superman versus Meshi is it's hungry work being Superman. That's why every day for lunch, Superman takes a quick stop over in Japan to try a new chain restaurant. Whether it's a hearty bowl of curry or conveyor belt sushi, the Man of Steel loves to indulge in the delectable delicacies the country has to offer. So pull up a seat and dig in as Superman does battle with lunch. That's basically what it is. Now, you can read each chapter. You don't have to catch up or anything. No, this is not going to be, you know, you're not going to be reading Check Out Superman versus Meshi Chapter 3 to understand what happens here. This, this isn't going to be intellectually stimulating most of the time. It's goofy fun is what it is. It's going to make that tummy rumble, though. Yeah, and if you want to listen to me and Luke talk about the first chapter, you can Fire. go up. I'll put links in the show notes. You can go to our Weird Science Manga podcast where Crazy. we talked about the first chapter for our Manga Monday show. But as I said, we're here for chapter four. And up until this point, the things that Superman has battled besides his hunger and his cheapness, because that first chapter is it revealed a lot. <laughs> it's all about him trying to get a cheap lunch and not wanting to pay for Lois. Oh, so no. that was like the but since then, he's had problems like not knowing kanji enough and ended up ordering, I believe, pork when he wanted, like, chicken. Oh, that that was one. And also, last chapter, chapter three, he was getting food and trying to figure out which food item would best represent a member of the Justice League. And that's just the fun that you end up having. This chapter's Batman. Me and you, when we read the first chapter, we were wondering when they were going to get to Batman. What is Batman going to do? How's this going to go? And we start out in Gotham City, and you end up where it looks like Clark's there under the guise of doing a interview with Bruce Wayne. Oh. And it get, I'll, I'll give them credit though; they're they're asking questions, and then Bruce is basically like, oh, "Let's end this." I know, like they're not pretending they Let's don't put know the each other. Aside. And get the food business. And I love the idea. Hey, why don't we put this interview aside and dress up in our superhero costumes to go to lunch? I swear, I think they want a free lunch. I think I that think a lot so. of places would probably give you free lunch. Now, again, we said that Superman, pretty cheap, but now he's going to lunch with billionaire Bruce Wayne. Batman. And the funny play here is, is that throughout all this, Superman has been going to, like, not fancy restaurants in Japan. They are just regular chain restaurants. He goes to this one that he really loves. And so he sits down with Bruce, and you can see, like, look at this setup. I mean, the table's really big. They have the fancy. I mean, look at in the back. I mean, in the back, you end up having a a ton of just crazy stuff. Bridges. And... He ends up saying, you know, since you like justice, I want to talk to you about justice. <laughs> this is just all the overload to the eating. And they're going to eat lunch. And, and Bruce, Batman, thinks that Superman's going to be really impressed. And you have that idea. Batman keeps tabs on everybody. And he has figured out and knows Superman likes the Japanese food. He says, Ooh. I can tell you've become quite the connoisseur. Of Japanese food You've been racking up them lunch bills over there, Clark Superman's like, ooh, I can't keep a secret from you You always know what I do And you get what you want, things like that So you end up where he then says, though I don't like this food that you've set up Bite-sized fancy food This is billionaire Bruce Wayne food And they're still in Gotham City They didn't go anywhere and so you end up where Superman says, I don't know what the hell 
you just ended up giving me because Batman says these are the highest quality ingredients. They really did this. And it's in a box like each little item. And I'm sure there's a name for this. Mm-hmm. Superman wants no parts of it. Superman says, for the common man. He says, I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't need fancy pieces of food in a game board box. And Gee. Batman's like a game board box. and gets so <laughs> mad. And he says, what? I don't follow you. This is the most authentic stuff that you can have. There's nothing better. I don't think so. Superman could get in trouble here, right? He ends up just grabbing Batman and says, we're <laughs> off. And doesn't even ask him anything. He just grabs him. At the one point, Batman is just holding on to Superman's shoulders as they fly off to go to Japan. And of the funny course. play to me is that, like, I would think the billionaire Bruce Wayne has been to Japan, but. He's not going to eat in these standard chain restaurants. No because way. when they get there, Batman's like, what the hell is he thinking? This is a simple looking, just chain food restaurant. There's Jeez. no way that we'll be getting anything. Now, I want to ask you at this one point, does it not look? And they, I, it looks like they're in the parking lot two inches above the ground. Yeah, is that how he parks? I don't know what's happening. It looks like he's sitting, he's thinking about things while he's using Superman as a couch. <laughs> and he says, so this is where you go for lunch. Ah, this is terrible. And you end up where Superman says you can eat the finest Japanese food for 1,000 yen. 1,000 yen? That's not a lot. I think what? that when we were figuring out, this is like four bucks or something like that. Superman's cheap. Batman freaks out. 1,000 yen, are you insane? And then says, you're Superman. You shouldn't be filling your belly with B-class cuisine. And Superman gets mad. At one point, he is like staring off into a distance, and it says that he's thinking about what he's going to order. You sent me a picture that he was actually trying to figure out how he can get out of the bill, that he could kind of finagle this out of that. But he ends up where he gets offended. And I love where he says, B-class, you say? Is your eyesight as poor as a bat's, too? And like, oh, he's getting sassy. <laughs> and he ends up saying that all this additive free food on the body-conscious menu is S-class cuisine. Super bad-class cuisine. Do you think at this point that you actually have, like, one of the few times that Batman actually looks afraid of Superman? Like, Superman is about to throw fists. Yeah. Don't throw shade at the B-class cuisine, my goodness. And, and it is funny with the B and then the S. And when he's saying that, he's like pumping out his chest with his S. And then he's like, ha, come on in, Batman. And they end up going. And Table for two superheroes. He goes, two superheroes, and they let him in. And, and up until now, at first, these people working thought that Superman was just a cosplayer. Now he shows up with Batman. And again... This isn't what Bruce Wayne, fancy Bruce Wayne, is used to. There's a lot of people around. The tables are small. But Bruce, as Batman, starts thinking about how this is to the advantage of what they want to do. We're going to talk. The tables are small. We can talk with each other. All right, we're ready to order. And you end up where Batman at this point hasn't even looked at the menu. He hasn't really grabbed it yet. And Superman does the power move by ordering for the Batmans. Uh, because Superman says, I'll have the simmered mother hen cutlet set meal. And my friend here, my bat friend, he'll go with the black vinegar sauce chicken and vegetable set. And Batman, what? A dark meal for a dark night. I like that, that he says, you're the dark night. So it'll go good. Batman's confused. Finally says, doesn't look that dark, but I'll trust your judgment. 
After all, you ordered it with me in mind. And you do see, again, that Superman is being a nice guy. He's trying to help out and whatnot. But you end up where when the meal is brought, that's where you get the Food Wars deal. If you read manga and Food Wars, you do get a pretty good page of what this meal is. It looks really good, except there's some things that I really don't like. And one of them is in this meal. Batman starts eating. And he, he smells this vinegar chicken. He's all excited, and they're going to eat it. But they keep talking about things. I don't know why they always do the nose, like when they're smelling. It always throws me off. It, it's weird. And when you have this, you have this weird play with Superman where he says, I put a wedge of lemon, squirt lemon on it. When I eat it, it's like American food. Just like cats. Really? <laughs> the weird play is what Superman says to Batman is. Even though my mother has never made anything like this, she's never even attempted to make anything like this, I think it reminds me of Kansas. And I guess it's just the homey feel of it, that instead of having a fancy meal, he's saying, oh, this is good because it reminds me of back home. And Batman is like, I I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. I don't go. And I do like, too, where at one point, yeah, they end up sharing a meal, like parts of it together. But when Ooh. Batman eats his, he starts drooling and he thinks that it reminds him of Gotham. <laughs> what does that taste like? I, I don't know. That must taste awful. But he's like, oh, my God. And then Batman's just completely taken with this. And we have this with Superman. Remember when he was like, I don't want to eat too much of the rice because I have to save it for the last piece of chicken. And, and he finally does end up just chowing it down. And then in what is kind of a funny play, it's almost the idea that this meal is so good, like the marriage that he's never had. He's Mm -hmm. like, this is a marriage, the likes of which I've never tasted before. I'm like, you know, tell that the cat woman. They're just eating and it's lotus root that I cannot stand. I've had lotus root a couple of times and I just don't like it. Uh, But they're eating this. Yeah. And they're, they're eating and it just, it goes down to just them thinking about the food as the goofy play that we laugh at, but also the idea that Batman is like so upset because he's eating this, what he thought was just commoner food. And look at me, the wealthy scion of Wayne Industries, eating like a pig. And then you, they're both drooling. They're both going. And then he says, you were right. This is an S-class restaurant. It, it definitely is. This is great. I really liked it. And yeah, they end up where they're talking about the, you know, simmered mother hen and the black vinegar rice. I really like the potatoes. Because, yeah, and they have that potatoes. So the big play here in the roundabout deal that get any sort of story out of this (laughs) is the idea that while they are different, they do come together and the common ingredient is justice and the common ingredient is being a hero. So at the end, they have these two potatoes, different but the same. They end up almost like like they're, like they're clinking like shot glasses or glasses here. They eat it and they yell, mm, double cans. <laughs> like, again, imagine if you were in Japan and Batman and Superman walk in and like, you don't hear a word they're saying. And then out of nowhere, mm, double Kansas. This whole play is goofy. It, it really is. The it way sure we're talking is. about it, you might not get the full deal of how goofy it is, but it is in the whole play. Is that when you get this manga, you get Batman, you get Superman, you get the Justice League. It's mainly Superman, but 
people will get to see there's never going to be anything like this that DC will ever do. There's never going to be something. So you still get the characters, but they're doing something completely different than you'd ever see. That's why I like this. Some people argued at one point, why do we need Batman and Superman manga? We already have the the comics and they just end up doing the same thing. And some of the things that have been good from Marvel, we did the Deadpool one and Mm. there's the Spider-Man fake red. Those are more legit, like it's just Spider-Man and Deadpool comics, but as manga. So you have little to This is what I actually have been waiting for, something so goofy like this that it just makes me chuckle every time it comes out. And I'm actually current with this one, and and there are only a couple chapters in, four chapters in. This and the Joker, one Operation Joker, where it's Joker raising Bat Baby, like... These are fun things. But even when you get to the end of this, the funny play is I I don't know that this is a a cool thing, though, because Batman says, I'll pay the check. (laughs) I'm telling you, you know that Superman's doing that move where he's rooting for his wallet, but he's like pretending he he, where where is it? Just so that Bruce can step (laughs) up. And Bruce says, I'll buy it. I'm super rich, which makes me laugh that he ends up. And by the way. Maybe that person at the register might hear this and might start figuring things out. You shouldn't go around as Batman saying you're hmm. super rich, even though people might assume. But he says to this. I'm not just buying the meal. I, yeah, this is. And I, just what is he saying here? Because he says, hey, along with the check, would you get me the owner? And then everybody's like, oh, my God. Now Superman thinks, well, what happened? Did you get a cat hair in your ramen? Oh, is no. that possible? Like, what happened? Didn't you like it? Did something go wrong? And he's like, no, no. I was thinking I would buy the place. I mean, it's a shame Gotham doesn't have an S-class restaurant like this. Is he planning on moving this to Gotham? Is is he is he asking to franchise an open one in Gotham? Move over, Wayne Burger. We got a new restaurant chain. I just bought you. You're like, you're going to go. Who wants to live in Gotham? Because he says, or is it that he just wants to go there occasionally, but you don't have to buy the place. This is like, Bruce, you're a jerk. I want the taste of double Kansas all the time. Like, why why do you have to buy it? Why don't you just give them a tip? Well, they, they don't like tips in Japan, but still. Why don't you... Maybe help them with finances. Maybe that, like, hey, I want to be a silent partner. <laughs> He's going to buy the place and maybe take it to Gotham. It really threw me. And that's where Superman, who I thought was going to get mad, goes, I get it. You're, that's your super rich power. And I really do think that it was Bruce was upset that he looked like a jerk. He looked like a schlub and Superman proved him. He won up them with this regular chain restaurant meal. And he's like, well, guess what? I'm buying <laughs> The best would be next chapter, we find out it's over. Batman bought it and closed it, so Superman doesn't get to eat there anymore because this is his favorite place. But I don't know. We'll have to see. But it was kind of a weird. I don't know why he had to buy it at the end. It threw me off. But in that, what would you give? What would you give this goofy chapter? You know what? It may be goofy, but it's got heart, Jim. And we read We read three different mangas today, and I think this is the best one of them all, Jim. Uh, We really like this series. Uh, like we always say, you know, when you're jumping onto the mangas, you can try the Spy Families, you can try the Chainsaw Man, whatever. I think this is the one to try because this one's got all the heart you need. It's got some tasty looking food. It's so goofy, but you know that's fun. And you know, sometimes I don't know 
the state of the current books with the night terrors giving everybody the nightmares. They're a little. They're giving them the nightmares. They are. Eric failed. I mean, that's how bad they are, right? A bit of goofy is what the world means. Here's the thing. Before you give your score, the one thing that I've heard from people though is when they go to this one first, they end up not getting like what kind of thing is going on because there are Eat plenty the of there's plenty of manga with this sort of deal with food mm-hmm. like this this just has superman doing it and you know getting all excited at one point he didn't actually it's good he didn't get so excited this chapter because usually the heat vision goes off he, yeah he'd be lighting everything on fire he oh could have goodness. ended up killing batman uh and in this, I will say, too, just as an aside, we, we like this chapter. I think that the first three are a bit more fun when it's just Superman losing his crap because it's just him. It's really goofy, then, when he's talking to himself. Monologuing, oh yeah. It, it's so over-the-top funny. So this one is a little bit down, but I still liked it. But, again, if you go into this with an open mind, but a lot of people who are Oh man, I want some. And they go and like, oh, is this what manga is? Just Superman acting goofy and getting food? I'm like, eh, some because there's a lot of different mangas. So it's a, it's a weird play to be the first deal, but I do think it's some fun stuff. Uh, what would be your score? I'm going to go with my highest score, an eight point oh five out of ten. I think bit. I'm an eight point five as well. I, didn't we give the first chapter like a nine or something? Oh, we, we know that. First I, I get it. It was so funny. We were giggling it up and having some fun, but this was fun because we we expected Batman to get involved. I don't know that what we're going to do from here on out is Aquaman next, Wonder Woman. It may switch it up or whatnot, but we'll have Mm -hmm. to see. And maybe when the next chapter comes out, I'll get you on again Mm -hmm. and we'll go through it because I, I end up, me and you do a lot of manga together and it's something, again, Eric doesn't really love. Got to get pushed on the DC. Well, with this one, he's missing out. Yeah, and it's a DC thing. So I, I, at the last second, I was like, maybe we'll throw that in. That would be pretty cool. And I hope that people enjoy, you know, us talking. And again, if you want to listen to us talk about the first chapter, go in the show notes or just head over wherever you listen to podcasts. Just type in weird science manga. You'll find a bunch of shows, but look for our main podcast with this as a Manga Monday. And also the one Operation Joker is on there as well. With the Joker raising a bat baby So that is pretty cool So check those out Thanks for joining me Luke And we're going to go from here back to The regular DC comic books Now I'm not so sure that these are The regular DC comic books But this is certainly a DC comic book And this is a classic Because this is going to be Something that I probably do each and every week since we've been down on the Night Terrors and a lot of the books in general, I always like to dive back into some classic things. This is one of the big things that we do over on our Patreon is end up having reading clubs and things like that with books that I know are great and want to get involved with, like a Walking Dead or a Hellboy or even a New 52 type thing, even though people might argue that with me. But We have a ton of those shows, and this is actually one of them. This is a show that I do with my man Gray from the Wakazashi's Tea House YouTube channel each and every week, where he has been trying to convince me to love Grant Morrison. He's been doing a really, really good job at it because I've really been enjoying a lot of Grant Morrison stuff that we've been talking about, stuff like The Invisibles, Animal Man, and what we will jump into right now. 
Doom Patrol, and this is Grant Morrison's first issue of Doom Patrol from back in the day, issue number 19. And I wanted to do this because we end up having the Dennis Culver Unstoppable Doom Patrol coming out right now. But this week, that was picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh crew. So you didn't get to hear us talk about that, which I didn't quite love, to now talk about something that I did love. Spoiler alert, the Doom Patrol by Grant Morrison. So I'm going to go off to that. As I've said with just about everything, I will have a link in the show notes for Gray's and Wakazashi's Tea House YouTube channel. You should go and check that out immediately. And then you can come back and listen to us talk about Doom Patrol, but I'm going to get into that right now. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Gray from Akasashi's Tea House and joined by the wonderful and uh, not at all weary Jim Werner from Weird Science Comics. How are you doing today, Jim? I am Genki. I ended up, you said that I sounded like I was half dead, or maybe more than half when we first got into it today. But now, now after talking to you, you've picked up my spirits. I'm ready to go and ready to jump back into some Grant Morrison. That's good. I'm delighted to hear that. It's great to hear you being Genki. And yeah, we had a good laugh before we started recording today. It was good. Good to talk about all these kind of crazy things going on in the world of comics. A lot of crazy things. There's a lot of crazy things with uh, that will have some videos, I'm sure, from both of us in the next couple of days. Some wacky stuff going on. Absolutely. So anyway, Jim, we're going to be revisiting or returning to Grant Morrison, but this time not the Invisibles. We're going to start his Doom Patrol run, which began with issue 19. Of volume two back in February 1989. I won't tell you how old I was then, Jim, because I'll, I'll get embarrassed, but I was pretty young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I might not have been as young, so I, do, I really don't want to mention it. But yeah, uh, it, it's a while back, that's for sure. It is a while back. It's back when it had the DC new format design. Remember those? And it was, how much is it? $1.50 or UK, only 80 pence. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And then the poor Canadians, I guess, dollar eighty five. Yeah, those Canadians. You know, <laughs> they, they certainly did. It is funny you had that deal like eighty nine. It's dollar fifty, and then even as you went forward and like the new fifty two, it was hold the line at two ninety nine. So it didn't go up that much for that long bit of no. time. And now it's crazy. Now they've lost their minds, and things are eight dollars, nine dollars, and that's nonsense. But dollar fifty, it's fun when you go and read a book, and it's like ten cents. That's the best when you sit oh there, like, goodness. oh my god, that that's crazy. But uh, I I'm interrupting you about pricing because I'm cheap. That's why I bring that up, and you keep <laughs> no. going. Don't be silly, don't be silly. Well, this is cool. It was good to go back. Um, I read this when it first came out, so we're talking many, many years ago. I've not, I've, um, I've revisited Volume One, the first one, and one what was it called, Crawling from the Wreckage. I've revisited it a while back, Jim, but I don't remember that much about it. So I was delighted that you wanted to cover this. How have you found it? Getting into this first issue of Crawling from the Wreckage, Part One. I liked it, and I, I ended up talking to people because we have a new Dawn of DC by Dennis Culver. Like, yeah. I like to call him Denny Colvert, kind of <laughs> fancy up his name a bit. But <laughs> when I read that, that was kind of my first entry full out into reading the Doom Patrol. I didn't watch the television series. I didn't really read any of this Doom Patrol at all. I wasn't reading comics when it came out. But even when, you know, I got into it and we had our site and our podcast and things like that, I mentioned my buddy Reggie, who unfortunately passed, he was a big Doom Patrol fan. So anytime okay. something like a Doom Patrol, like a Gerard Way, when yeah. he ended up having the Young Animals imprint, he would just do it. 
And so I, you know, because at, at a point, me and Eric for our DC Comics podcast, we made the whole thing. We have to review everything that comes every out. Comic. Wow. And then it became everything in continuity. Then it became a little, we're still, you know, trying to cover most, but at, at a point, we had a little conundrum because they announced that young animals and we like, do we have to cover this stuff? Because neither of us really liked the deal. And Reggie and his buddy Chris, who they had a, a separate podcast themselves as well, they ended up covering it. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I mm. knew nothing about it and wasn't really interested in it. But it's weird. After reading the Denis Colbert, Dawn at DC, not that I think that's great. But it actually, like, as a weird entry point, does get me wanting to read better versions of of the Doom Patrol. And this is supposed to be the best. So that's why I am excited. And I think that Grant Morrison does a pretty decent job of being an issue 19. And I didn't feel completely lost. So I'm going to give him a lot of credit when we talk about this for how I'm not, I guess, kind of straightforward. It is, but still not holding your hand, so you get to figure things out yourself as well. So I, no. I, I really enjoy it. Good, it's good to hear. And it's like you were saying before we before we start recording, Jim. It, it's not Invisibles out there. Yeah, it is Grant Morrison. He's still got his, you know, his kind of crazy sense of humor or his, his out there ideas. But it's a little bit of a restrained Grant Morrison. I mean, he's come to this from Animal Man, hasn't he? Which again, was even more, if you could call it mainstream, than his regular, well, what he's, well, he's more famous for. Yeah. And then I love, again, that's one of the things that I have read by Grant Morrison, not all of the Animal Man, but every issue. that It's one of those things where when you go and look at lists, best comics, single issue comics since you were born, or this amount of things, you'll always get at least, you know, that Wiley Coyote issue of, the whole animal man that that's on so Fantastic. many lists yes and it, it really goes it's funny and if you ever get the chance most people that's kind of the fun of not reading comics growing up at a point because i actually read in one sitting that issue and also anatomy lesson alan grant swamp thing and it was like the greatest sit down and read session ever that i read it like blew my mind both of those issues especially with characters that i'm not really that familiar with at the time or really love so that was like my grant morrison introduction was that animal man and this doom patrol like i said it's funny like the invisibles when you're reading it it's like you're you're on lsd like you're, you're smoking <laughs> Jeez, yeah. blue mold right and then <laughs> when you read this i'm like huh this is kind of like the you know I'm, I'm, my my buzz is wearing off but it's still like slightly there like it's not as wacky i didn't feel at the end of this like oh i'm gonna have some dreams about this unless no. maybe it's for you know calder i have a dream that his you know peppered beard is so sexy so i don't <laughs> i'm not gonna have dreams about it but it's funny but in the issue you actually lay off with nightmares and things like that but you keep going because you know in this you were you know a comic fan when this and you read it when it came out which is pretty cool as well I know, I was just lucky just to pick it up at the time. Um, it was mainly through, first of all, Arkham Asylum, which got me onto, yeah, as I say, Animal Man, and then this, and Doom Patrol. But Jim, just briefly before we go on with this, um, I didn't read the run before Grant Morrison took over, and it was um, a writer called, where are we, is it Paul Kuppenberg? Okay, just he says, this is Grant Morrison from the introduction to Volume 1, yeah? And he says very briefly, my feeling about the recent incarnation of Doom Patrol was that, quite simply, they were too normal. 
I propose we create a more or less completely new team based more clearly on the tight family structure of the original group. Paul Kupperberg, via the Invasion crossover, kindly agreed to kill or maim most of his characters and leave the field clear for me to introduce a Doom Patrol that was a little less comfortable and a little more unsettling. There we go. So that's how we started it. Yeah. And it's funny, I I mentioned Alan Moore and... This does kind of remind me of when Alan Moore took over Swamp Thing, the way that, oh, yeah. you know, he wants to change things around. Now, he ended up where Kupperberg seems to have set this up for, you know, Grant Morrison. Hey, Very I'm going to do this and go. Yeah. yeah. And then I think when I read this, I thought that while you're getting that new team, you can tell as he's kind of getting the wreckage of what was before and kind of molding this new team. He's not doing it like a spiteful thing. He, no. he may not have loved what came before, but he, like, you just, he just thanked the guy. And you can tell he's not like, okay, everything before this was nonsense. And now we're going to go, it's kind of how I felt Helen Moore did when he jumped on Swamp Thing. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to burn this down, which he kind of did the first. And then Anatomy Lesson just throws everything for a loop. Obviously, it's a classic and people love it, but I, I felt like this felt more respectful a bit from the, former run or at least what came before it a little more than that but i think that he he did a pretty good job like i said i come in here not even knowing you didn't read the run before but you can kind of even if you don't know there was an alien invasion that ended up happening you know something bad happened and the team is in disarray not even just like you're not just getting the standard oh man the team ended up being scattered or that this team is screwed like they they aren't right they they don't and you don't even get the idea that they're a team anymore but is there any other info before we jump into it no that's it that's good that's all it was um, as you were saying a very respectful sort of nod to the previous writer and yeah i, I was amazed that he would do that you know Kuppenberg, he he said okay yeah i'll kill off some of my characters for you i'll leave the the playing field open but grant does actually nod his head to some of his characters and he brings them into it you know, they are mentioned in here aren't they jim oh yeah and Again, just from reading that little bit of the Dawn of DC and everything, like, you know, if things are out there, I've seen some of the things about the television show and people say it's great. So maybe eventually, but it's one of the things I don't watch a lot of of television or movies. So it's one of those where I, I know Robot Man, though, because I've seen the character and I've seen, you know, some of the things I've seen a little clips, even when you. Don't even seek things out. You'll see the things. What's the actor called, Jim? Sorry, is it Bren- Brendan Fraser doing it? He's fantastic. I've seen the first few episodes of season one, that's all. I've not seen the whole thing. But he's great in it. Yeah, I love him. So that that's the, uh, that's probably why I ended up seeing anything of it, right? Yeah. So when you start this off, you actually do start off with the easiest guy. I think the easiest guy to explain, even though he's a crazy robot man, right? It's the idea yeah. he gets in this accident. They end up transplanting the brain into this robot body. But even as we go forward in this issue, you throw in Will Magnus, the guy who created the Metal Men. And you do have a play where most people would go and might have been in the run before. However, the play, whatever the case may be, Robot Man himself, though, you just kind of think, oh, that's cool. He's a robot man, but that's not great. The idea that he goes into like his problems and things that he's experiencing, it really makes you, you know, like the character, at least feel sorry for him right away. And it is kind of horrific at the beginning, that wreck. But it, it's again, it's like that Grant Morrison deal where 
he's just going to throw you into it and you're going to go with the emotions and you're going to go with the scene of this nightmare. And I even like the way that it's such a bad nightmare for Robot Man that his yelling even goes into the border a little. I think that's kind of a cool thing. The idea that the border of the page can't even contain how much he's upset about this. So you end up seeing him. But that's a hell of a start, right? It is. It's a huge opening. I remember, yeah, when I first read this, because I had no idea about the characters. I just thought, okay, there's a, as you say, there's a robot man here. Why is he screaming? Why is he uh, in a hospital? Obviously, you know, he's having some kind of nightmare. And then we get, the more we get to know about him, he's like, oh my God, this is, this guy's like, sounds like he's in therapy. And you start to think what a horrible situation it would be to just be a brain in, you know, a metallic body with no feelings, hardly any memories. But yet as a kid, I would have thought like, and the way they usually would play this, it'd be cool. Oh, yeah, man, exactly. look at him, a robot man. That'd be awesome to be a robot man. You read this issue, you don't want to be robot man. No, and you that's, don't. That's kind of a funny thing, that going with the invisibles into this. I never thought, like, hey, I want to be Dane. Or I would, like, and in this, you're, you're never going <laughs> to sit there at least Tom right away. <laughs> yeah, Tom, I'm like, I don't want to be robot man. I, I don't want to be any of these characters. And not that they're unlikable. But they're not, Grant Morrison writes these characters that are damaged and you don't really want to be them. You might not right. even want to hang out with them, but you start rooting for them because, you know, you want them to do good. You want them to end up feeling okay. And that's pretty crazy in this. Every character seems to have their issues and, you know, one worse than the other at points. But yeah, there's Robot Man and he's pissed and he's not happy and i don't know when you first get this orderly come in not very nice either like it doesn't seem like they're like okay they're here for you know they're really going to treat him with like baby gloves or whatever you no. would say like she's scolding him into yeah, you got him a off. problem you get an <laughs> attitude and i'm like oh that's not good because the idea of this when you get to the point like you almost think well is he there on his own or is he, and it seems like he can check out at any time, but he's, he needs some help. And the whole team needs help and just being a team, I guess. But you continue because, yeah, you, all the, when you go to see all the characters in a team and they're all either in a regular hospital or a mental hospital, you know there's some wackiness going on here and what's going to happen because every character seems <laughs> to be really beat up. And it's because they were attacked. They ended up in this big attack. And, If you don't read before, you don't even realize they do mention a lot of the people they know and love, teammates, they're dead. They didn't even make it. So it's a crazy play to to start a issue. I mean, really is, right? It is a crazy play. It's an awesome play. A great idea by Morrison, you know, is basically... We hear this throughout the issue. It's the Doom Patrol. It's like, well, the Doom Patrol, are, are, they're all dead or half of them are dead. They're finished. You know, it's like, no, you know, now it's called that he wants to restart it. He wants to make a new Doom Patrol. But imagine starting the, you know, this book called Doom Patrol where you've lost half of the, the team. It's, I think it's great. It's a great take. And Jim, I wasn't clear, like, um, is, is Robot Man, is Cliff, is he in um, the psychiatric hospital or is he in the memorial hospital? That's what's weird. And you end up, because I think that when you go to the memorial hospital, yeah. then you end up having more of uh, Niles Trainer, I guess. Is it not that? It, what is, I don't even know half the names really yet, but it is Negative Man, I think, is there because oh, they Larry, have. Oh, Larry, that's right. Larry Trainer. Larry Trainer, yeah, yeah, because they have that combined deal. Uh, and you end up being introduced to a character that you probably wouldn't even realize, like, oh, Eleanor Poole, like, she's going to be very important by the end of the issue. And uh, when you get in there, 
there's just some weird place in in this where everybody is kind of beat up and hurt and whatnot but yeah you end up having her on the phone and hey yeah he should be okay larry trainer yeah he'll be released in a couple days all that stuff going on to then get to niles calder who's there with joshua and again when you first read this i'm like okay who's this guy who's Who's this guy guy? i have no idea jim yeah joshua yeah joshua and i i like the play where as i go in you know reading it without any info i'm like okay what happened to their headquarters like is is this just a piece of crap place like my house because half the time i'm (laughs) telling you you'll go to a random room and there will be just boxes gym stuff and there'll be a hole in the wall because my kids can't take care of things but i'm like (laughs) now i think this is more of a jokey jim come on hole in the wall broken pipes like stains everywhere seriously it took us like (laughs) a, a week now to get a damn refrigerator because things are so wacky in this house but you end up where it's a cool play again this isn't Grant Morrison going, okay, everything happened here, and we just had this happen, and we're going to do it's Everything's natural, and you do get more into it with the questions like, oh, what happened to this building? What I mean, happened? That's just saying, he's not holding like, your yeah. hand, is it? He's like, he's he's basically just showing us these places. Okay, we're switching between the psychiatric hospital, the main hospital, and then the Doom Patrol's broken headquarters. Love the way he does that without explaining it all. And the funny play is, and somebody listening might say, well, of course, he's not going to explain it. Most people at the time would have just read issue 18 going into this. But right, sure, now yeah. when you do end up getting trades and things like that, the big play for this is Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. And it starts with this issue. And yet you still aren't that confused. You may not know the particulars of what happened. But by the end, you realize like he actually was still giving a bit of an ease into his run by not explaining things overtly, but explaining them in a way that was natural. Like you end up just seeing boxes with property of the Doom Patrol. Maybe giggle, yeah. actually, that they're there. Okay, this <laughs> one's the Doom Patrol. It's like, what else is there that isn't the Doom Patrols? But you end up where it ends up and you have the this moving company and you have like water pipe, like Okay, I, something bad happened, and then that just keeps combining with, well, especially with Joshua. What are you talking about? A team? Everybody's dead or in the hospital. Like, th- there's no way. There, there's no team anymore. And he says to Niles, I'd love also, we're usually, and this is such a funny thing. I don't even, it's not important, but usually you'll have somebody come into a room and say, oh, my God. Hello, Mr. Werner. Oh, no, no. Call me Jim. But in this scene, Joshua keeps like, oh, come on, Calder. And at the very end, he goes, oh, by the way, call me Chief. Call me Chief, yeah. (laughs) And he reverses it by the end, like, yeah, I let you say your piece, but really, I'm I'm the Chief. I don't need your nonsense. Like, don't call me Calder. But I, I thought that that was pretty funny. Like, almost at the very end, I let you just rail into me about how much you think this is bad and the bad I... But I am a little above you, and and you should remember that I'm not just called her to you, as he calls him Joshua, because like, hey, I'm a little bit uh, more important. But that pretty big deal of this, like we saw Cliff at the beginning, Mm. he's losing his mind. And then as it goes forward, it gets worse. But there's Calder who you do get that deal of, okay, like he's the chief. He, He should care a little more about these people. Like they are at a point now that they need some, desperately need help. But he's just like, man, eh, it'll be fun. They're going to be on the team. They'll, they'll be back. You'll see. It'll be great. But again, you could play the idea. Again, I don't know what happens in all of them. Calder, I would assume that he's kind of a little sus. 
But he might also realize that the thing that these people need is to be back together as the team as well, because they all have their problems. And, you know, maybe the team is the way to kind of get them all back and, and going and getting in good spirits, at least for a little But at Right now, it seems like a disaster, right? Yeah, you do. As you say, Jimmy, get this feeling that, OK, something huge happened. There's even one panel where you've got Joshua just listing off names. He's saying, Arani's dead, Scott's dead, Ray is in a coma, Larry's hospitalized, Val's resigned, and no one's even mentioned Cliff. So just in that one text box, it's like, okay, you know, there's this huge history, this huge backstory that's hinted at there. And Joshua himself, Jim, we're not clear, are we? What? He was part of the team, but he's like, no, I'm out. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm going to be a doctor now or something. I'm just going to push you around, push him around in a wheelchair. Exactly. And Looking up things again, I don't read forward, but I I look up characters and see this. Yeah, and I he ends too. up Yeah, and he's Tempest, and it's okay. funny because because the play that uh, with him is that it seems like he's one of the few like mutant characters. He's actually, and he's a, a classic character. He actually was from like back in seventy seven. I saw oh, wow. so it's kind of a cool deal uh, with that. But he's there as that like you know mouthpiece, somebody who. <laughs> Luckily, isn't in the hospital, so he can be there with Calder, but thinks that this is done. All these people that we were, t- they're dead. Like, how can you sit there and want to continue and want to yeah. do things like this? And you can't put these people through this hell again. But, you know, he even calls him, you're an ice man, Calder. Ice man, Calder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so you get that. <laughs> It, it's a well-played deal by Morrison, I think, at the beginning, because so far we've, we've seen Cliff. We got a mention of Larry, but we haven't, yeah, you know, Cliff seen seems him, like yeah. he's in pro- he's having some problems, but he seems yeah. more mad than anything. But as we go forward, you realize, man, they, they are broken. These characters are in a lot of pain and a lot of trouble. And when we get that, you know, you're a nice man, this is bullcrap, we do go off then to see, you know, a bit more of this with with cliff because they have will magnus show up and talk to him and me and you were talking before will magnus created the metal man he ended up creating this robot man suit which makes sense in the dcu Mm. but even he's there to kind of like i don't know it seems like he shows up and i said to you what makes me laugh about will magnus is he's always a guy who looks like he's straight out of like leave it to beaver from like the (laughs) 50s like he's always smoking (laughs) his pipe he's got that suit on like there's never in my mind like the the updated version he is stuck in that time but it works out when he comes in but he almost like oh send him will he made the robot man suit he'll be able to you know pick up his spirits but yeah cliff is, is he to get not- to cliff but cliff's like he's like um well cliff you remember me don't you i made you i made the metal man cliff and cliff's just like I knew I recognized that patronizing tone from somewhere. He's <laughs> <laughs> so pissed off, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He says, I, if I could, I'd spew right in your face right now. <laughs> and, and you know what the, the crazy thing is right there is it sets up also the idea he can't spew in his face right now because he can't spew. He can't do anything. He has no yes. human functions. And That's I think it. that the way that Grant Morrison plays it is so, like, it, it's not for, you know, the wow factor of it. But he ends up talking about things that I don't think anybody would bring up later. He says, like, I wake up and I everybody has their routines. Like, I get up and I do go to the bathroom when I get up. A lot of people do. Cliff, he's still but he can't go to the bathroom. There's a point where he says that 
the one thing that he can't do that he misses amongst other things is to take a crap. And that's right. just so crazy. Like you think of things like, man, that'd be awesome if I didn't have to do that or I didn't have to eat. Right. But it's not that awesome because that's no. what kind of makes you human. I mean, that, that brain, crap in the it? morning. Yeah, makes me human. He can't do it, but he, he ends up instead of phantom limbs, he has phantom everything. He says, "Oh and my it's, god, it's, it must be it's so bad, hard. right?" It is, yeah. and it it shows you that Grant Morrison really has worked out in his head this character because most people, if I would, I'm a hack. If I wrote something, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm the robot man," and I'd have him shoot <laughs> lasers. Hey, this is awesome! <laughs> I'm the robot man. You can't hurt me. But there's more to it than that, and there's that darker side that I don't think has ever really brought up and will you see the metal men he made the metal men mercury he's his biggest problem is he's always yelling that he's liquid at room temperature and they're always doing their thing but i don't think will really realized even oh man you know i i kind of made this a prison for this guy i like i'm torturing this guy by making that body and will magnus who's not a main character he it's thought out i thought it was really mm. well done i thought it was really cool uh then we go to larry right Larry, I, uh, the art, I like the art in this, but Larry looks like he's like five. I, I thought <laughs> he like he's like a little, little boy, like a real little boy. And this gets dark too, but at this point, he's kind of like, I don't know. He's all like a ladies' man. He's trying to, you know. He is. He's trying to like pull. Uh, but what was it? He's making moves on the doctor here, isn't it? Doctor, what's her name again? Is it Eleanor, Eleanor Poole? Eleanor Poole. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's making his moves. It really is. Yeah, and you then again, if you don't know Negative Man, which I really don't, no, when you end up having know. the negative spirit come, what little I do know, like the thing is, if somebody says, "Oh, that's Negative Man," I'm like, "You don't look like the Mummy. What's going on?" Like, "Oh, you know what? He doesn't have the the negative deal, and now it's its own entity, and it shows up, and when he reacts again, not knowing that much about it, you see though." He doesn't want this. He looks terrified, doesn't he? He's like, oh my God, you know, what What do you want? No, and then we get a bit of crazy Grant Morrisonism here with a flash forward to the Invisibles. I am the spirit in the bottle, the invisible fire that works in secret. Here I stick among the roots of the oak tree. Jim, we're thinking, what's going on, aren't we? Yeah, actually, I'm like, um, <laughs> here he goes. He's, he's he going goes, for it. But at Grant. least, yeah, it's almost like Grant's like, listen, I can't not do Grant here. Grant being Grant has to do something. And that's it. And it drove, drove me nuts that it's pretty much one word, all the things. But for some yeah, reason, it's hard to read. It was driving me nuts, too. <laughs> it was driving me nuts. It's like these a ton of backward magic that I just always give up. My brain doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, my oh. God. I'm, I, I'm telling you, I sit there with a ton of backward magic and I I'm gone. And it might as well at the end say drink more Ovaltine. Because when I'm reading it, I'm like, this is going to be real important. What? What is she? Oh, it says. Stop now. Oh God. Open why did I why did I spend that much time on go away? And somehow oh, it, it like it the, the thing about it, at least this we know you're going constantly left yeah. to right, even though it's one word kind of deal, everything's good. It's a ton of thing. They really have to nail out an exact rule set of okay, it's it's right to live. Some change the the pattern of uh yeah. drives me nuts. But this was Full Grant Morrison. Jim, just at this point here, I want to briefly mention the art. I love this change in the art between those two pages. Again, it's Richard Case who does the art here, and he's he's got a very distinctive style, but um, it's more the colouring, the shading, isn't it? We go from the bright hospital room to suddenly the negative spirits here, and it's like, oh, my God, you know, we're in a nightmare. Yep, and if you go with it, 
you have there's Larry all happy, right? Hey, yeah. Doc, hey, maybe me hey, and you Doc. can hit the town later. I'm getting out of <laughs> here, and it's like I'm getting out of this, but I'm gonna get into that. But she's like, "Oh, you." And then all of a sudden, when it gets dark, you have like the shades and the the light coming in almost makes the wrappings on his face with the actual shade, you know, deal. And so when he sees this, he's almost like, what? And then, no, 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 I don't want you here. Like, I I thought I was off and out of you. I'm I'm now happy. And it is kind of a shame the way that it plays out because, yeah, you get the Grant Morrison deal with the negative spirit telling him, you know, hey, open the window, and it becomes just horror. Uh, It's just you know, the worst thing that can happen to him. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then, then you, I mean, it's not really a feel good comic at this point. And then you go to the scene with Robot Man. It's a huge, intense jump, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yes. he's like, I can't, you know, I can't feel anything. I can't, I can't do anything. Yeah. And the funny play is I'm like, and I have, I have a master's degree in psychology that I did nothing with, but things oh, when wow. this comes up, I'm like, okay, there's still is a, why are they letting him do this graffiti all over the place? Like, they, they shouldn't be allowing that. That's all I kept thinking of at the one point. But you end up where all this, like, he is saying the will. We know also from Calder that yeah. he can check himself out at any point. He does want help, but he's resistant to get it. He just, right. wants, I think he just wants to be left alone at this point. And this is kind of the best way to do it. But you have everybody around, you know, everybody's having problems, but there's, you know, Robot Man who just starts talking about, I want to take a crap sometimes, and I can't. I can't taste food. I have nothing. You have set me up in a prison, and then I get headaches, and I it's just the worst. Imagine all you have is a memories, Jim. That's all you got left, memories of like how you used to know, how, how things tasted, how things fell. That must be awful. But again, you got Morrison developing this, this um, tortured soul, this brain inside you know, a metal body. Yeah, and mentions Rita. And Iranians, mm. like they're dead, mentions them again. And then he just goes over to the wall and just starts bashing his head into the <laughs> wall. Intense. Like, yeah, like, look at me. I, I you can't hurt me. I can't, I, I don't can't. feel anything. And that's pretty intense. And then I'm like, look at them. Look at them pants he has on. Like, <laughs> it looks like red undies. It's like he borrowed them from Superman. Uh, it made me laugh, but still, he is hurt. And he's like, please stop. Please make, make it, it stop. stop. God. And Jim, you mentioned the graffiti. You can see up on the top panel there. It says die. One of the words. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. I mean, this is the thing. This is at the mental hospital. And they're, yeah, they're what like. What are they doing? I love the idea. They're like, oh, what happened today? I, I don't know. Johnny, he wrote die on the wall. Oh, well, at least he's, get, at least he's <laughs> getting progress. better. <laughs> like, what did he write before? Like, why are they allowing that? That, that shouldn't be. I mean, uh, it's bad enough that you have people walking around like like Cliff bashing his head in. I'm actually uh, shocked, but it's kind of a, a neat play, I guess. But yeah, I think that normally they might want Cliff to like stay away from some of the people because they might start getting delusions with Cliff. Yeah. But now everybody's just walking around doing graffiti. And it's kind of funny. Uh, and then it leads to the, another character later. But we go back to the Memorial Hospital. And yeah, I, I love the idea, too, that Eleanor Poole said to Larry, listen, because Larry seems like and she says, you you love the attention here. You're having yeah, a ball. You can tell. And it's a cool setup because at first it's played off almost versus Cliff. Cliff is, is miserable. 
he's in this hell. And you get Larry's like, hey, yeah, I'm going to get out today and we're going to go for a date. But once the negative deal shows up, you see, oh, my God, he's got his problems, too. But she said, don't ring the bell or anything just to, you know, flirt with us. We have a job to do. And he's desperately, you know, hitting alarms and stuff like that. And even the spirit says, I'm not an idiot. I know you hit the alarm, but that's what I want. I want this woman. We need the woman here. And I'm like, oh God, what what is going to go This is what I've forgotten, Jim, about this this first yeah, the first part of this story is so cool. I didn't realize there were two, two, you know, they need the male and the female within this negative spirit, and they become three. They become like a, a trinity, don't they? Yeah, and I didn't. I had no idea anything about that. So I'm thinking like, okay, what is? Do I not know what's going on here? Is it something like the only way? The negative spirit can get back yeah. to Larry is that there needs to be a sacrifice, they, something like that. But I start worrying about this Eleanor Poole. And then when she shows up, yeah, you should be worried because now she's involved in their nonsense. The poor lady doesn't seem like she deserves what happens or is expecting. And yeah, it's a combination of the three, like a trinity into that to become this new entity. Which is pretty crazy. I I mean that isn't the the, the nicest thing to have happened. To no, it a isn't. Doctor it's stunning art, though, out. isn't it, Jim? Eye catching art. That page when they become this like three into one. Now we are one. But we're also three. My God. I just want to mention when Grant Morrison's writing here, he tends to go full out Grant Morrison. Then from here on out, but it's always with the people at the asylum. Who aren't doing so well it's like he, he really knows how to write those like you have talk going from you know the sides and things with a guy who's cutting himself and then this person but they start talking and you do get the beginnings of the mentions of what will be it seems the uh the bad the big bad the villains the scissor man yeah, one of the villains the scissor man the coming jim to, to cut us all up cut us out of reality it starts to remind me a little of the Invisible. It's not that this was, oh, yeah. you know, before, but still, it, it's got that Grant Morrison kind of deal. But even that, as a setup of the big bad, I like that it's like the subtle thing. And what he is doing is making it seem like, oh, it's just, you know, somebody mumbling things or somebody who's got their own mental problems and they're not meaning anything. But you find out by the end as it keeps going and going that it is something. But this is still just will trying to yeah he's actually I'll, I'll give will credit he does he doesn't sit there and try to convince cliff that he's wrong he doesn't say like oh you you know ungrateful bastard i'm the one who made like he does seem concerned he does but he wants him to get better and starts to kind of use the you know you, you kind of need to pick yourself up here and you know get going with your life whatever you like it or not you're there uh but cliff just wants to give up and starts saying you know, how, what do you know? I, it's the worst for me. I, nobody knows my pain. Because Will says, I, I know what you, you're feeling. And that even, I think that when I read it, I don't know about you, but I actually thought to myself, yeah, that, that's, you're kind of pushing it there, Will, with your pipe. He's saying the wrong thing there. Yeah, definitely. He ends up showing that, I mean, like, almost like tough love, whereas Cliff is, woe is me. <laughs> to me, I would have said if I was Will, listen, you keep crying like that, Cliff, you're going to rust. Now let's go. And he ends up saying, <laughs> you think it's bad for you. Come on outside. I'm going to show you what's bad. And then ends up going and we get crazy Jane. And I don't know about you, like flying a kite at night, like you had Bart Simpson and the Simpsons do. That, that's pretty crazy. 
painting in the middle of a rainstorm. That's pretty nuts, and that's crazy. James just out there painting. Warning bells going off, Jamie, in the background. How do you think? What what is she doing? And what's going on with the art here? Her face looks very strange. I know it does look strange. And I'm thinking again, like, where is the staff? Get her in. It's raining. She's out there. Like, what are they doing? Uh, but again, I think we saw earlier that they're not really that nice anyway. The one guy was no. yelling at Cliff, even though he was kind of pissed. But yeah, this whole deal that she ended up, you know, being abused by her father, like really abused. And she has disassociation. She has multiple personalities. And the big player is she has 64 separate personalities. And each of each one has its own meta ability, not just a personality, but has its own distinct meta human ability. It's pretty crazy and pretty. You know, it's sad what set this up, but there you go. I mean, all the things it seems are sad with these characters, but she's painting this picture and it is horrific, right? It's like you're looking at a, a gate to hell, uh, but she ends up where it starts moving. Cliff freaks out. Like he really gets upset about it, but it does seem like he does feel bad and realizes maybe I don't have it as, as bad as I thought. There's other people who have problems, right? Yeah, sorry, I'm still here. I just got I got some background noise. I thought I actually I thought I actually lost you because we've been having problems no. with the whole recording and Grand the background Morrison noise you me. had. The the background I thought it was my kids. I was about to mute and yell at them. I was gonna <laughs> yell at them. So luckily I didn't. But yeah, this this whole play with the it's it's pretty horrific, right? This this it painting. Is. When the painting starts moving, that really freaked me out. It's like, oh my god, what's going on here? It's moving, it's alive. And then you get them. Who is it again? He's saying it's psychically active. It's been like this since the invasion. So what? Crazy Jane is able to create these paintings that move? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah. That they kind of come to life and move around. And and she's just doing her thing. And then the rain, it ruins her painting. And, and also, like, she's <laughs> Only crying. Only she this. Yeah. yeah, and she's crying. Like, she really <sighs> seems to be hurt. But I do like this deal where Will's on to something. Like, he realizes that Cliff needs to not just, like, Cliff, you jerk, you think you have a bed. Look at this. I think he realizes that Cliff is kind of a good guy and needs somebody to maybe protect or somebody That's who... That's it. It's a great move, isn't it? It's a clever move. He needs someone to care about, to look after, to try to just distract him almost take him away from his own problems his self-pity and you get the idea from that that what will knows that we kind of get then that robot man is a a good guy who will you know protect people who are weaker than him and you you know you almost want to get him to realize how much better he has it and, and he'll end up because he does even put his hand like almost to like comfort her by the end, even though he probably can't feel that, but ends up saying, you know, come on, come out of the rain because she's like, my painting's ruined. Everything's gone wrong. She's crying. And then he says, you know, come on out uh, of the rain. And that's a nice way to end their deal. And then we go off then to get, you know, the big bad. And this again this big is. Jump, don't we? What's going on here? We see some kind of um, traffic accidents, a big crash. The guy didn't stand a chance, and then we see somebody walking out of a burning car on fire, reading a book, Jim, saying, the scissor man. <laughs> reading this book that Where the book's we? not on fire, it's, it's able to go through this. He looks like Ghost Rider. He's just it coming does. out. And then you end up having these guys show up to ask about this, and even they feel sus and odd as they ask this cop, hey, what's going on? Oh, this guy was burning. I almost threw up. The skin burning. It's an awful smell. He was reading this book with black pages. It's wacky. And they're like, okay, we'll take that. And then they end up getting in the car talking about this whole 
deal because the scissor man and he's like, okay. And he goes through the progress of, okay, the company calls the Pentagon, the Pentagon calls the president and he calls Niles Calder. And that's the deal. The car rolls off and that'll be like, hey, you got to get the Doom Patrol back together, whatever the deal may be. But this is pretty crazy with the scissor men. I'm like, oh, my God. As well, at the end, the talk of these two, like, sus-looking guys. One's wearing a red jacket. One's got a kind of a cream jacket on. And they said, the man in black stuff's really getting me down. So they're not typical men in black, are they? They're wearing very colorful clothes. Yeah, and then he's like, how do you laugh. keep up the act? And he's like, I'm like, okay, are they aliens? Or they, what's going well, on oh, here? Yeah, like, they are, yet, is they it? something a little sus, it seems. But I thought that they were actually, the. I thought it was going to be revealed. Oh, my God, they went there and got this book because they're the scissor men. But once they start saying, hey, we got to get a hold of this, 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 and Niles Calder, I'm like, okay, well, something else is going on. Yeah, But yeah, right. it's, it's pretty crazy, but it's pretty good. I mean, it, it it's pretty good start i'm i'm into the characters because grant morrison does that classic where we don't really have too much of a story yet he's gonna give you the characters and that is something that i think gets lost in the shuffle nowadays that's something why in my mind manga is so popular because usually in that first chapter or so you end up dealing mostly with the character work and you get the people familiar i always say it if you love a character You'll just follow him through whatever story. You definitely need that, don't you? You need that first. Yeah, and you can get through downtimes if you love the character. If you just throw characters in a story together, what investment do you have? What do you care? And a lot of times nowadays, they don't really do a lot of character work at first. They're so busy of their story they've had in their head for years. I want to tell the story and the characters get left behind. And that's why a lot of things fail, because you're not connected to it in that way. So I, I'm connected. I, I like the characters, even though they're not very likable yet. They've got a lot of problems, but that makes them unique. And I, I think that that's cool. How about you? Yeah, me too. As you say, um, you really just focus on the characters, and especially we get a lot of Cliff in this, don't we? So we get to feel for Cliff by the end of the issue, as, as we did for Dane eventually with the, the Invisibles opener. So I just want to know more about them, as you were saying. I want to know, you know, who these people are, where they're going to go from here, and what's this connection with, like, why Niles Calder is the final call after the president, after the Pentagon. It's like, wow, you know, how powerful is this guy? Yeah, that's crazy. This guy we just saw getting yelled at by Joshua about how you can't put the <laughs> team together. So that is pretty crazy. Uh, what would you give it? Okay, as a um, here we go. This is tricky, and thinking it's hard to. Th- Thinking about what we're reviewing these days, you know, as you just men- mentioned briefly, Jim, modern comics, modern character creation, it's, there's nothing like this at the moment. So I'd give this a 9 out of 10. I'm giving it a 9 as well. And I, I really like it. And it's, again, you, I'm, it's fighting me because I don't know anything about the Doom Patrol. I don't know what happened before this, but yet I still, at the end, I'm like, good, that's a perfect way to start it, isn't it? To jump in. Yep, the characters I'm in, I want to see what happens with this. The team, I mean, we, yeah, there's a robot man and there was a negative force, but we didn't really get like the wow factor of, oh my God, this is crazy. By the end, no, you're like, man, right. I feel bad for them. You're like, oh, they're, they're all hurt and whatnot. So I think that's a cool play as well. But we'll continue on with this. We are talking about how we'll continue on maybe a bunch of issues and just talk in general or through each issue. It'll be up to you. You, you let me know what we will be doing uh but we'll be continuing with the doom patrol at least we know that so we'll figure that out but yeah i'm i'm still really enjoying 
Ooh, reading some you're Grant Morrison. Yeah, you're in. You're in with yeah. a, a bit well, more of Grant Morrison. I always say it. We'll get to something that'll throw me off, I'm sure, down <laughs> yeah. the line. But so far, it hasn't. And Invisibles didn't throw me off after that first issue. So I don't know. Maybe Maybe I'm fully in. Maybe I'm ready to expand my mind. I like the way you always give it three. You've got a rule of three, haven't you, Jim? Give it three issues at least, you know, anything, anything new. Just give it a try. Because so. then you get that first issue. Sometimes the first issues are wonky, but by the third issue, That's if, right. if you're not really invested in it, I don't think that you're going to be unless there's drastic changes. So, uh, But, yeah, I'm, I'm in it after one for this, so I'm excited to keep going. But you take us out of this, and then we'll will be off good me too I'm, I'm looking forward to it already i can't wait to talk about and as you say we'll we'll talk afterwards about how should we do this should we do it uh, one issue at a time or should we try and cover the next three all together that could be a big a big episode couldn't it if we try and do three in one yeah it might be okay but as um as always like thank you so much for listening and jim thanks again for, for doing this with me um i love really enjoying revisiting Morrison despite the, the madness, the bonkersness. I think it's been good to go back to his early, you know, his early days to see how uh, how different he is, what we've read recently, comparing it to, to this now. And also starting with the Invisibles and then kind of coming back a little bit in time with this. As you were saying, this seems like a, a breeze compared to that, doesn't it? Yeah, the craziness. It yeah. Yeah. And you could tell maybe it's because, you know, he has a little more constraint on him here but it works out i mean it's still crazy i wouldn't have thought we'd have a comic to have a guy say i can't crap i can't take a dump (laughs) and make it really (laughs) give the feels from it you're like i I can tell that he's upset about that but yeah i thought that it was good even the scene of a supposed crazy i mean she calls herself crazy jade a crazy woman painting in the rain and then morrison the writer makes us feel sympathy for her and you know and another character by just helping her by just a small gesture and to say, please come in out of the rain. Great. Yeah, great start. Totally in. So there you go. A classic comic book review. And let me know if you like that idea. I like going through classic stuff because it does give a little bit different feel, gives some more positivity on the show that's been lacking that for a bit because of Night Terrors. I kind of think that might be one of the reasons why Eric is taking a hiatus. So maybe he'll hear it and get all fired up and come back. But again, Remember to go into the show notes and click on the channel, the Wakazashi's Tea House link to go to Gray's YouTube channel because he does reviews for all sorts of comics, DC, Marvel, indie, really, really good reviews. Please do yourself a favor and click on that. But we got to get back to the night terrors. And it's funny, I ended up getting Sus Gabe to join me. And I figured, what should I have Gabe help me reveal? Oh, I get it. Let's have him do two of the worst books out this week. Just to torture him a little because, you know, he did give Predator number one a nine out of ten, which he will never live down. And I will mention by the end of these reviews. But again, I had Gabe join me and do the Night Terrors Titans number two and Harley Quinn number two. And we will go to that right now. He was a patient of our Killed out to destiny, jumps through your nightmares, and that's nightmares with a T. Built in a remedy, body from John D. Sucking a line around for most of the time. Sleepless nights and the Lazarus, causing such a fuss, extraordinarily dumb. It's a summer, we the 
Oh, yes, and here we are with more Summer Ween Night. Terrace, I am being joined now by my man Gabe. What up, Gabe? What up, Jim? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Summer Ween, right, here we come. Yeah. Summer Ween it is, and Gabe does the reviews on our both our DC and our Marvel sites, but also has his own site, Comical Opinions. And if you want to go and look at his reviews for a lot of indie stuff there, I will put the link in the show notes. But we have we have night terrors to go through here. And and how how have you enjoyed the night terrors so far, Gabe? <laughs> night terrors, boy, that's that's quite a uh, you know what. I'll, I'll give William some credit. He must have some really good friends on the inside of DC editorial because I can't imagine anybody who has stumbled and tripped and fallen and broken his face so many times on crafting and architecting events and still manages to get put in charge of them. Do you think he has friends or do you think he has pictures? I think <laughs> he has both. I don't know what I, I this is not an event. I don't know why this is an event. This is not an event. This is at best. It's a three-part Dead Man Batman, Batman crossover uh, miniseries at best. And why it ballooned to this boggles my mind. I just, I don't get it. You're right. And the funny thing is a lot of people have said that this should have been more of a miniseries. You know, you could have had just a little feel. But even then, it would have had to have been tightened up because it's not that good with that. You'd have to figure out to get Batman involved a little more things like which you could have, you could have had a dual personality Batman kind of, cause he showed that he could fight off dead man, have it there, have like my two guys in there with, and I like having Sandman, some characters that we don't usually yeah. see, but not in this, not in the, this the villain doesn't make sense. The rules of this, uh, of the, the, the plot doesn't make sense. None of the tie-ins have practically have anything to do with the main event. And, and, and it hurts me more because Dawn of DC was just starting to pick up some steam, was just starting to kind of do some interesting stuff. And then you just put a big old kibosh on Dawn of DC for this. And it makes no sense. I don't, I don't get it. And it's funny. I mentioned it earlier and you would have, had no way to have heard it because I haven't even edited it yet. But I was talking to Rocky and I said my biggest problem is the idea that the Dawn of DC actually didn't even start yet. It had just got started. So we were all optimistic. Everybody had that hype going. And then you stop it. It wasn't like it was established yet. If it was established and it was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Then you can make that assumption people will come back. But because it was so early, some of the books, one and two issues in, you can't assume anything, especially with how DC's been running stuff lately. It's a shame. It really is. It's a shame and it's a mess. It's a shame yeah, and it's a it mess. Shazam, Shazam, Shazam is picking up, so, you know, looking interesting. Uh, Green Lantern, although Hal was kind of creepy in that first issue or two. If, if you see what Jeremy Adams does in the Night Terrors tie-in, uh, tie you see what he's doing with Hal Jordan, and that looks like fun. And you just kind of wipe all that away to kind of uh, you just basically have them all slam into a big brick wall to say, Night Terrors, we got to do this. It, it, it's, it's bizarre. And the rumor is that they ended up having uh, editorial behind on things. They're, they don't have as many editors. That's one of the rumors, that this was a planned deal to give them some space to catch up on things. But if that's the case, then everybody's to blame. I mean, you can't fall yeah. behind to then let a shit-ass event that has tons of books. And you still need editorial to do it, because if you if you read, the, if you read these issues for both the times and the main story in order – some of the books are out of order. They, they're, some things come before and after the other things, and some books that are written by the same person, <coughs> Joshua Williamson, uh, 
he references things in one issue and but does it differently in another issue so he can't he can't even keep his own personal corner of yeah, the but event street. the architect and not quite an architect but uh, speaking of architecture we're going to get into this with night terrors titans we're going to start off with night terrors titans number two written by andrew constant art by scott kudlowski mike norton colors by ryan cody high fine letters by wes abbott this is a mess i i mean when you had that first issue felt very basic it was a basic bitch issue you end up having oh my god i see the nightmare that is me i gotta fight it and we had this girl that immediately everybody said oh donna oh it's not donna troy who is it that one of the biggest things i thought was a mistake was having that girl look like donna troy but then she's nobody we didn't know when we find out the twist in this one and I just yeah. rolled my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Some people, some people, some people also were saying that maybe it is like the the human half of Raven because Raven wasn't in any of the rooms. And, and you're right; it's a, it's a basic haunted house story. You've got the endless hallways. You've got the stairways that are going on forever. You have like different kind of horror traps, sort of torture chambers traps in each and room. Tropes, right? Yeah, it, it's it's a very basic haunted house story. What we find out later as we get to the, the meat of this issue is it, it, it seems like Andrew Constant was bar- borrowing a lot from like Poltergeist. Poltergeist. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and some of the other kind of like basic horror stories where you, you built on an Indian uh, burial ground. Or I know that's not the politically correct word to use. I, I see what he tried to do, but the execution just flopped. It just, just didn't pull off. Well, and and here's the problem. And, and again, it's the Titan's Tower was built on the sacred land of the fur pay prison, right? And, <laughs> and that doesn't really work well. No, I do no, like the idea of, you know, a prison. We have a prison right near us that is a big, ho- you know, Halloween attraction where people go yep. and walk through because of the idea that there would be a lot of anger and pain in a prison. Obviously, a lot of times when you get these haunted house and haunted building stories, a lot of times they're going to be asylums, they're going to be prisons, even some that'll even be schools, like stuff like that. There'll be there'll be structures where like the bricks and the wood kind of absorbed all that negative spiritual energy, and I get that. That makes sense, and I and I, and I can see where he was going with that. The problem is doesn't work, right? Bill? It doesn't work because this is a brand new building. I know, and, and <laughs> they, that's tore, they the tore funny down play. the old one to build the new one. Exactly, and what I love about it, where when they're sitting there trying, remember the last issue ends with, "Oh my God, the the tower, it's alive, it, it's the horror." So they, they're there and they're trying to recoup and you kind of get a little bit of a recap, which is kind of funny. But, hey, we fought our, you know, the visions of our ghastly selves, what we think of ourselves and things like that, that whole play, which doesn't really work well with the overall story anyway. But they end up realizing and it is funny. All of a sudden they're like, oh, crap, the people we were killing, they were inmates <laughs> like they actually have the orange jumpsuits on they're like, oh, man, what did we do? But Raven says, don't you get it? Our home was once a prison. Once a prison? That was two weeks ago. That's one of my biggest problems. I mean, they are barely there after the construction of this tower, which went up in a weekend. It's ridiculous because the new Titans Tower has only been there for, in, in common time, a few days <laughs> yes. or, or a week or two. As a matter of fact, that was, again, that's another book that got interrupted from Dawn of ZC. It's, it's, it's Taylor's run on Titans. The, they've only been in there for one issue. That's it. <laughs> that's and so, it. and it's a completely new construction because if, if you remember from what would happen in Nightwing when uh, Harless came in and he released everybody, there's nothing left. It's a plot of ground. So if you're telling me that the that the negative prison energy for being a full pro- so in other words, the spirit of uh, commercial 
uh, corruption seep into the well water. Okay. <laughs> sure. and, and the thing is, That's I even had an with. issue because that was Nightwing number 100 where we had a lot of the prison thing. And Tom Taylor, who's Australian, was going big for this prison for profit deal, which isn't quite that big a thing in the United States. Not yeah. that I'm saying the United States is a be all end all, but a lot of people reading it would be that. That's a big thing in Australia. It is, but not And Andrew Constant kind of plays on that in this issue. He spends he like at least a couple pages rehashing that same kind of crit- social criticism. And so when we go through that, this is another basic issue. It really is. But I do have to give Andrew Constant just a smidgen of props that at least he tried to get something from the run of what was actually Nightwing, but leading into Titans. At least he did grab something from there. But with this, you really had a, a you know, a blank slate. Hey, Throw nightmares, you, you might have been able to do something a little more with characters than just going with one thing from a Tom Taylor run that nobody actually seemed to really like anyway, that whole prison deal. And remember, I love the idea that they're they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. You end up having the prison torn down to be the Titans Tower because Dick Grayson said, I don't like the first sight of people coming into Bloodhaven being a prison. I want it to be a, a look of hope in this tower. And now in this, it's the opposite. Oh, my God, you build it on the, you know, the burial ground. You move the tombstones. You didn't move the bodies, all that stuff going on. But like you said, if there is the spiritual energy, you think it would have been in the building, not in the reconstructed. It's wonky. But when we get into this, you know, you do have Raven who has entered the dream. She seems to be protecting them on the outside, which doesn't seem like they really need that much protection Uh, with her soul self in the dream. She says. I'm having problems myself getting out. We have to figure out how to get out. I thought it was going to be more of a play. If you're doing a thing with a prison, you have an idea of, oh, my God, the prison for profit. And they even say it. You said Andrew Constance says this is where innocent people. And, and again, most of the time when you have a prison, I'm like, oh, these people have to do something to get in. But it's like they had done their time, but they extend it to make more money. And they, you know, all that. I thought there would be more of a play of now with the Titans trying to get out almost playing into that they are prisoners but i never got the idea of oh my god this is just like a prisoner in that prison when it was there that they couldn't get out and they wanted to do this maybe you could have played into something where it was like you have to pay a sack i'm just saying just random things but you know to get out you have to pay with something you have to pay but now they're just kind of Hanging out, talking. Yeah. So the problem that we have with with uh, part of this issue is most of these prisoners that were uh, giving off this negative energy that eventually seeped into the well water or the soil or I don't know, call the EPA. Got to figure that one out. They were all put there by Nightwing because this is Bloodhaven. He put them there in the first place, and he doesn't even show up in this book. So I, I understand he has his own separate title. It, it makes sense that they need to be separate, kind of, but not exactly. But uh, yeah, they're, they're all fighting against a system that Nightwing helped. He maybe he didn't create it, but at least he helped propagate it. And he didn't do it. And he, the only time he really said, "Okay, we're going to clear this out and build a new tower," is when Heartless actually blew up the, the beginning, the building in the first place. He just took advantage of the situation. He wasn't doing anything to make that system any better than it than it already was. The funniest thing, and again, this isn't a, a Nightwing review, but in issue I believe ninety nine, before that one hundred that went into this prison stuff. You ended up having Tony Zuko and the hold and things that we'll finally get back to, I think, when we get out of this night terrors. And the hold was going to take Tony Zuko. And <laughs> Dick Grayson said, no, you can't do that. We need to use the system. We need to. Ta-. And Tony Zuko ended up in this prison. So it, it made Nightwing just feel like a flip flopping dupe. And in this, maybe the play could have been 
Not that the evil spirits of the prisoners are trying to get at them. Maybe it was like they don't have a home now. These spirits, they, they've been displayed. Maybe they could have played the idea. I know it's not as much of a horror, but to actually make a place for these displaced spirits that had been mistreated, as they say. Instead, you're just going to deal with this idea that this girl is the tower. She ends up being like, that's the twist. Don't you get it? You're the tower. You tried not to give your name. What's your name? And she just starts naming off prisoners. And oh my God, those are prisoner names. I don't believe it. I'm, I'm the Ark or Arkham Tower. I'm the now Titans Tower, which again, how does that make sense? Cause she's the prison. Eh, it's all wonky, but this is the play that they're going to go. And I swear to God, later on in the run of Titans, if they start talking to her, <laughs> That's the building. I mean, like, this is well, we've already shit. Yeah, we've already seen it at the very end. The the door sort of magically open. It's like, oh, now that now the building is alive. Now it's yeah, like, bullshit. now it's like that. Now it's like the house of mystery or something like that, where the building is alive and it makes no sense. And again, in 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 Titans time, they've only been in there for a few days. How were how were the, how were they in there long enough to create a whole new? Even sort of split personality that's positive to match off the negative. It doesn't make any sense. And in that, it could have been the idea. Like I know that the you know a lot of the things that went on in the building were bad, but it was me, and now I I've been destroyed. And it, it's not like they ended up wrecking the prison and then like grabbing two by fours and rebuilding Titan's Tower with the actual materials that were made either. And the way that it went up, I swear, I said it was Atlantean technology. Those guys can get things up quick, but in the meantime. They have to fight through, I mean, a second wave of their nightmare creatures, which Beast Boy says, oh, it's the sequel. Better special effects, but not as good. I'm like, yeah, it's not as good. You're right, Andrew Constant. I don't know why you're saying this, but this is kind of bullshit, right? And so what do you get from this? It's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. It really (laughs) is. And so by the end, you even get because obviously Raven's there. You have to get Etrigan, but even Etrigan just like shows up as a joke. It's all a joke to then have, you know, the prison girl rip open a tear so they can get out. Go now, get out of here. And they try to fall out, but then she has to face herself. What is going on here? Please. I mean, you end up where she's like, I'm going to face my dark self, the part of the prison that wants to be mean. But, hey, we can all get together. We can uh, love these guys. Or guys and gals are nice. Let's shake hands. And, and that's it. I mean, that's it, right? Yeah, I think what I said in the review was Constant was trying to get really fancy. He was trying to create create some sort of existential threat that you had to think about yin and yang and dark and light and trying to do all this stuff. And it, it just it doesn't work because the timing doesn't work. The place we let's let's make it even worse. So so we already know from one of the other tie-ins from the uh, Superman number two that the way the nightmare wave works is by sound. I know the, that's how we figured out how people are falling asleep. So how does how does a building fall asleep because of a sound wave? How does, it, does a the building, building does it hear? Does it and, hear? And that, they try to make it seem like oh you know certain structures they get a life of their own. He, he tries to fudge it in, but again. I'm sure that nobody told him how this was meant to be in the rules because we didn't even know the rules. And when you ended up and you said, when we find out that the Elanians are able to not be affected because of their inner ear and it seems like a sound thing, that threw all the shit out. Like all these rules. And that was a Joshua Williamson book. He's young, And yet everything got thrown out. So yeah, I guess this, you know, building could hear. It heard the thing, but. 
it hurt him. But so, and, and so, what, so why was it Raven affected? Because of magic? Why does that change how she hears? Yeah, does it, the magic protect her ears? I don't. Uh, maybe the more, the more you dig into it, the more cra- crazy it makes you. It just you makes end you crazy. Up in- People have told me that we can't rely, like, don't look too far into it. I'm like, how can you not? Especially when you're reviewing it. At one point, Raven says, well, you know, Magic P and some other people, they weren't affected, but just as a throwaway line. And so at the end, really what this story is, which is hilarious, because the the Titan stuff is, is basic. Beast Boy's fighting a darker version of Beast Boy, right? That's nothing. You have Cyborg. Oh, my God, another Cyborg. It's about this building and this girl. And by the end, I'm like, I, I kind of would have liked more Titans and, and maybe progress something with those characters. But again, this is also the problem when we talk about all the problems of Night Terrors. Jeremy Adams doing Green Lantern. He's doing the Green Lantern book. So what he did, and, I, and you even pretty much alluded to why I really like the Night Terrors team, uh, Green Lantern, because of the idea that in the two issues or so of the on a DC book, a lot of people thought Hal's a little creepy, he's acting immature, this isn't really Hal. Then you get to Night Terrors, and boy, all of a sudden we get Hal. Like, and uh, hopefully that builds from that into the story. But when you have Andrew Constant, who's never going to be writing any of this stuff, the big thing that he wrote in the past was an Etrigan miniseries that sucked. I remember me, Eric, and Reggie reviewing it. It was not good. He's not going to be good. So he probably isn't allowed to do much this is, is, that, is that the one is that the one where etrigan is a rapper no no oh, no no, no. Okay, no that, that was, was i think that was uh the one black label this was like in 2017 or so it just was trying to give you a little you know play with etrigan it was not good the rapper etrigan though oh. it made me giggle and oh, that was, that was that ridiculous was but, that but, might have been uh, Batman damned, actually, when the one of you the know issues what, I, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. But so, so, but, and so here's why, part, also part of the reason why this, it, it's not consistent with the rest of the, uh, the tie-ins or the, the rest of the event is when, when you find people that are trapped in other people's dreams, they're, they're inside that construct for what the dreamer is dreaming. So if that was the case and, and the, uh, the tower is taking on the persona of this, terrible prison system where everybody's being mistreated and all the all the inmates were just being abused and taken advantage of why didn't the dream um, construct or the environment take on like a like a broken down sort of torture chamber type prison why did it look like a house with generic rooms and, and all this other stuff going on it didn't look like a prison even though that's what the nightmare was about it was about the nightmare of having been this terrible awful awful for profit for for-profit prison when it should have been just like here is this you know like a like, like the haunted prison that you say that you go to every year around halloween time it should have been something like that and yeah, then the titans had to find their way out yep and, and when they find their way out maybe they do find a you know girl in there and she seems to be lost and maybe can work that in but even at the end when you have this idea of, well i'm the good version of that awful prison now I have to go face the bad version, but it's also me, the split personality. It doesn't really work on any sort of level in my mind. And then it's like pretty much the bad version of the pressure becomes Palpatine, starts, you know, electrocuting Luke Skywalker. And like, no, no, you're wrong. We can get along with these Titans as if, again, this building has any real connection to that prison. It was just built on, it's nonsense. But at the end, you end up, hey, we'll get along. I think these Titans could be pretty cool. All right, we're gonna, and then out of nowhere, I love the idea where Raven says, "All right, we're up." 
And she wakes up last, which kind of made me giggle. But then she's like, hey, we're all accounted for. Thanks to you. No, thanks to Joanne. That's what she wants to be called. I'm like, really? This is what we're going to go with? I, I swear to God, if we're in that Titans book, which already I have worries about with uh, Tom Taylor, and he says, everybody, back to Joanne. I'm going to be like, I'm done. I'm done with this bullshit, Joanne. That's what she wants to be called. That did like the idea where you would think there'd be something that would be clever at the end for that. It's just nah, she liked the name. And then they're like, Titans go. And the, I love the idea that at the end, when they end up having that door open, like, oh my God. Though I do think it's one of those like supermarket automatically opening doors. Now they think it's haunted. But they're like, oh, my God, let's get the fuck out of here. They fly away from the, the tower at the end. Like, they're, they're not even there to, like, you know, commiserate with this Joanne so they get the hell out. But then it says they're they're going to go fight in Night's End. We'll see. Oh, my goodness. You like Joanne? You like that name for a tower? That's a terrible name for a tower. <laughs> Joanne. That is a, ter- that is a terrible name for a tower. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's so... I mean, well, I mean, let me take it. Let me take it back. I don't know what would be a good name for a tower. Why? Why does it even name name in the? Oh my goodness! I'll give you something that might have been something. Have it begin with a T. Just do that. The tower is a big T. Tina, Tina. Teresa, right? Something like that. That not Joanne. Tracy. Mm -hmm. We're gonna call it Tracy. Yeah. Teen Towers Tracy. I, there we go. I know what I'm going to call it. Bullshit is what I'm going to call it because that's what it is. I, I swear to God. It's if awful. they sit there in that town, Tom Taylor, and a lot of people are down with him, right? He can't be reading this and going, oh, my God, I would have never thought that. So, oh so, now, so now consider the implications of this tie-in. Now and forevermore, if they really you know stick with it and just don't ignore it, now you're going to have the tower acting on its own in like weird ghostly ways for the rest of Tom Taylor's run. It's like, why is that door open? Why is the refrigerator door opening by itself? Exactly. Why, oh. why is, why are the lights coming on? When it, Joanne the, needs a snack. Why is my alarm clock going off? I know it's time <laughs> to get up. And, and, oh, and then Beast Boy starts talking to it like it's mom. I'm like, give me five more minutes, Tina. Give me five more minutes. I'm trying to I'm sleep. I'm telling you, it's going to be like, you know, Kit or Charlie and oh. Charlie's Angels. All of a sudden, you'll just get this voice. Titans, how are you doing? It's me, Joanne. Uh, I need you to sweep up. Or, you know, somebody's clogged the toilet. Joanne's pissed. It, and it gets really nonsense. quiet. And almost like, don't do that, Beast Boy. Don't yeah, do really, that. Yeah, yeah, that's when it starts. Beast Boy's running around. Red rum, red rum. All of a sudden, we got the shiny going on this shit. This can't be good. Okay, it can't no, be good. You, you turn me around. Now you turn me around. Because now, now you I gotta, want that? Now I want it that. Now I, now I want to see the Titans have the tower come alive and go crazy and trapping the Titans and they have to try and escape it and destroy it or shut it down. That but might that's be what interesting. This should have been. <sighs> yeah, I just love it. I, in the middle, here's Cyborg. Now you, now you turn me bullshit. around. Now you turn me and around. Now I might have I might have increased your, your score, but it didn't increase mine. The yeah. art's okay. It's kind of like, you know, normal standard deal. Now I'm picturing Cyborg plugged in to get powered up, and then somehow, <laughs> oh, his, somehow his AI gets into the building's yeah. network, and it converts the whole building. into. Wasn't there a Teen Titans Go episode like that, I yeah, think? Yeah, I, I believe there might have oh, been a lot goodness. of Go episodes of what we're explaining, because <laughs> it probably deserves to be in something like that for fun and goofs, but not this. I just I see what Constant was trying to do. I, yeah. I get what he was going for. The execution is where he screwed it up. It just he he didn't create his rules. He didn't his rules are not consistent from the front to back, and the rules are not consistent with the event as a whole. And it's just I mean it it, it, it didn't need to exist, and it, it's the event is worse off for this time existing. Yeah, it is. Uh, what would you give it? I give it a four. 
Yeah, I'm going to give it a four as well. Uh, I'll stick with that, too. I'm going with a four. I like the art and, you, you know, you're doing some of the, you know, you're fighting these uh, undead kind of prisoners in their orange jumpsuits and you're doing all kinds of uh, big stuff. So, I mean, there, there's something to keep your eyeballs engaged. But as far as the plot and the script goes, terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible. terrible. There's nothing here. It's terrible. But and we're going to go to a, a weird. I, this is a, a, the next one. Like Terrace Harley Quinn, number two. This is a this is a tie in that. That it does something, like I said, like Jeremy Adams did, it, it, but it does it in the wrong way, and it, it's just a mess. But it's Teeny Howard. It's written by Teeny Howard, art by Hayden Sherman, colors by Triona Farrell, letters by Steve Wands. Hi, hi, hi. I, I don't know what Teeny Howard has with this multiversal stuff. I mean, at this moment, when you get out of, say, death metal, all that like multiversal stuff, we kind of need to settle down anyway. But yet she ends up doing that with Harley with. A Harley book, to me, you, you can do wacky stuff and it usually won't be anybody saying, oh, what about continuity and things like that? But then you don't have to throw multiversal shit in, which she's doing in the regular run because it's it's terrible, terrible. Then she goes into this and she's playing this weird play that Harley was too smart to get taken over by the nightmare wave, which doesn't make sense. Then she's in the multiverse. Then it's a computer deal. She's playing off the idea of a speed run and a, and a cheat code, all that to get to this issue where it's just, it, it's just nothing. It feels like random thoughts just thrown on a page just for shits and giggles. And let's just kind of crunch them all together. And nothing in this works for me at all. Even the overall tone of Harley thing. Oh, you know, there's worlds where I'm considered like almost like she's trying to be meta with people getting upset that she might be part of the bat family or the thing. But she's playing it the opposite way. It actually almost convinces me that, yeah, Harley shouldn't be anything like that. Then she gets everything. Everything's wrong. It's so bad. It, it drove me nuts. And I'm telling you, there is a backup in this. And I'll let you go one sentence with that when we get to it. because I couldn't even take it. I ended up bailing. I'm not quite there yet. I'm close to. <laughs> can we have Stephanie Phillips back? I mean, please. Can yeah. we, this is. Uh, I mean, uh, it pains me to even say that out loud because if but this people is, don't understand. <sighs> Stephanie Stephanie Phillips hates us. She ended up getting in a fight with Gabe, then a fight with me. Blocked us. Had people talking shit left and right, just throwing jabs at us because of her. Ended up Jeff Lemire ended up blocking us. He unfollowed and blocked us because of it. I blame you, Gabe. You're so no, it's my fault. But, it's my fault. So all that was just because, you know, you ended up saying in an issue that seemed to be a very much a filler issue. It didn't seem to be taking much that that they may not have put their most, you know, best foot forward in effort wise. She flipped out. I want her back because Teeny Howard is worse. How could she be worse? And this just shows you the landscape of Harley books. Harley is a character that I do like. Uh, a lot of people don't. I do like her. I don't even mind her trying to be a hero. And I said a year and a half ago that they need to put Harley away for a bunch of years so that people want her back. Not just put shit like this out to make it more and more of the case where people people can argue with me and say, Harley's bullshit. I can't argue back. I can't say that she isn't because of what they're getting. And I said when we go through even the regular issues, a lot of these writers, they try to hardly it up too much. They they lose track of a story because it's all about not even gags, but, oh, Harley has to be like that. And that's what this whole fucking thing is. It's just Harley running around being an idiot. 
Yeah, I mean, Stephanie, I mean, yeah, for all the controversy around it, Stephanie Phillips' run was, was mostly terrible, but it was terrible, but it, at least it was Harley within the context of Gotham and her trying to figure out who she is and what, the, what, what, the, what she's trying to do. And at least it was kind of self-contained. You know, she was, she was in a corner. You could kind of keep control of it. And sort of like a, a bad dog that needs to sit in a corner for making a mess. I get that. So yeah, you, you come to see Howard and Tinny Howard is leaning all in on the HBO Max cartoon, all these big wacky hijinks. And now she's leaning all in on the multiverse when it doesn't even make sense. I mean, she, I, I think there was some justification about that. Uh, she got touched by the Lazarus rain and now she has the ability to touch through the multi, something like it, it was never really even explained. It's because she's even just crazy and, and it, it doesn't make sense. I'll tell you right now with this multiverse stuff, Grant Morrison, he's not dead. He's still rolling over in his grave. That's how bad this is. That's how bad he has to be nuts about this bullshit and how she's going through the multiversity book, which doesn't even make sense now because after death metal, we have an omniverse. We have an infinite earth, not this bullshit. So it doesn't even make, she doesn't know what she's writing. Yeah, one of the first things, one of the first things that you notice is this tie in has, is the, is the, is the least tied in tie-in to night terrors i mean the, the 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 nightmare aspect was pretty much gotten rid of in the first issue like in the first couple of pages so this has i mean it not only has nothing to do with with night terrors it has nothing to do with it doesn't even know that night terrors is happening it's just out there in in the universe and so the what it's doing is it's pulling in the main story from from Tini howard's run with madam quark who said look you're, you're breaking the, the multiverse by going in and out when you're not supposed to and if you keep doing it, I'm going to wipe out your universe and Earth and everybody in it. And Harley's all freaked out and afraid about that. This is just a continuation of that with Night Terror slapped on the on the cover. It, it, it doesn't even have anything to do with anything. It doesn't. And and so when she's trying to push this multiversal thing, the idea, like you said, you can't mess with the multiverse. Lady Quark's going to be mad. So what she ends up doing is messing with the multiverse to just have at the end for Lady Quark, well, you're kind of good and I might need you later. I'm like, bullshit. Plus, when you get into this world, you go to, all, you know, a, a golden age type deal where she ends up, she looks like Rosemary from the Dick Van Dyke show. I, nobody's even going to get that, but it's like, who was that, right? I and I'm you. like, look at her. And so she's doing this, but now we are going to spend a, a large amount of time Talking about how there's thought bubbles. Oh, thought bubbles. Oh, my God, thought bubbles. We don't have thought bubbles where I am. Thought bubbles. And, okay, that could be a funny one-panel joke, not a whole issue. And then even at a point where she's like, oh, man, I can't get rid of these. They're like being followed by a fart, only not funny. Those are the jokes here. This is the problem is Teeny Howard, in my mind. Teeny Howard is not, not funny. funny. She's she not, is funny. not funny. She's not funny. And I'll, I'll give you here's where when I read this, this is shade. This is multi company shade. I had a, a less fun in this almost as the Alyssa Wong Deadpool. Both books not funny that you could be funny and you just can't do it. So you end up with Teeny Howard just. Same jokes that never hit, not funny. Having her go through this world where there's a brainiac that she thinks shrinks brains and they, you know, all this nonsense to then get this idyllic world with Pam that then, and, and the art, like I said, I laughed that it looks like Rosemary, but the actual art with the, uh, the Bende dog, it, it really looks like it's like an old comic. I give that props. But when you're just there, all you're going to go into and what you're trying to do is, Oh man, back in the golden age, ladies never got the opportunity to do anything. 
But you're not even doing that right because Harley's the big hero of, of the universe. So why couldn't this have been where she wants to be the hero? And at this point, she's not allowed. Oh, you should just you could play with the idea of her being the secretary of the Justice League like Wonder Woman. You could play a lot of things here and they don't. But you try to do it through Pam. But then it's too late. It doesn't make sense. And she's cursing. <laughs> Teeny Howard's just mixing in so many ideas oh, in so here. So many things. Yeah. That just, but, but so there's no, there's no, there's no focus. There's no direction of what you're trying to play. First, you get this whole thing about the thought balloons and that, that's a debate that goes on between, among comic book writers that unless you're a comic book writer or at least pay attention to what's going on, nobody's going to get, nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. So if you just pick this up and like, Thought, what's the big deal about thought balloons? I By mean, the way, it, I love thought balloons. I, I actually I do too. wish we had more thought balloons. And, uh, and actually, more, more more writers use them these days in, than not, in the sense that sometimes they'll just put the thoughts in narration boxes instead of a yeah, word balloon. That's the but, deal. It's the, but it's the same. It's the same thing. It's just. A, I do believe that I read an article different. with uh, maybe Kurt Busiek who uh, ended up and he was writing a script and he had a thought bubble in it, and basically that was looked at as if you do that, you're a hack. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I like it. I actually like them. I like yeah. how it is, but in this, like, she's almost like, I can't take, like, these are just your thoughts, but she's making it seem like with the thought bubbles, they end up where they take a mind of their own and end up a tag. She's like, I can't take this. Oh my God. My, I'm like, no, yeah, in this no, context, the thought balloon is no different than an inner monologue, which we yeah, see all the time. All it yeah. It's the same thing, you know? So then now you're trying to make a joke out of something that nobody's going to get. Yeah. That's the first problem. Or the care problem, about, really. Or, or care about. The second problem is you're, you're kind of wrapping this whole thing around of what, what does Harley eventually come to, the, to, come to conclude, which is, you know, she's got all this, all this, all, you have to be good to be a hero is where she get, gets out of that. And she's not good, so she can't be a hero. Well, oh, okay, well, welcome to the last 10 years of, of Harley stuff, because that's what everybody's been telling DC for all along. Somehow Teeny comes to that same conclusion, but. The way she eventually resolves it is Madam Quark's like, well, I, this was all a test that I constructed because I thought you were too dangerous, right? That's all coming out of the main run. Again, mm-hmm. nothing to do with Night Terrors. And then when she uh, presents this option saying, yep, yep, you passed the test and you've demonstrated to me that you are truly dangerous. Instead of saying, okay, you're dangerous, so I'm going to wipe you out, which is what she promised to do in the beginning. She's a, she says, oh, well, you are dangerous, but you're also powerful. So now I'm going to, I'm going to put you in a hero role. Yeah, so I what? might get back to you. I might. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And this is what I was going to say. Like you said, she comes to the conclusion that a lot of people have come to. You can't have Harley be a hero. The problem is, is that I think Teeny Howard is taking it the wrong way. And what I like, and I said it earlier, I like Harley. And what I like about Harley is I like when she tries to be a hero. She can't. She can't get past herself. She always messes up. And a lot of people don't like the Palmiati Connor run. But there were points of that that had it where she really thought, oh, I can be a hero. But when she goes and does it, she kills three people to get there. She does this. And I I like that. So what I think Teeny Howard is doing is saying here, hey, get this, everybody. Harley can maybe be a hero, but it's going to be her type. That's all. That It's been what it is. Like you said, she ends up almost coming to the conclusion of people in the negative way, but she's now twisting it because she has a book and we're going to go forward with it with the, oh, get this, Harley. She's her own type of bullshit. We know this. And so by the end, after all this hot fight, Brainiac just showing up and saying, I'm going to grab your brain and shrink it. I'm like, and this is the problem. When you have a Harley book, you can do a lot of wacky things and just say, oh, well, it's Harley. 
right? You can even go with the unreliable narrator, but you can also go with Harley's crazy. You don't, it's like the Joker. You don't know what's real or what. Then you mix that into the multiverse. Then you mix that into a nightmare that should have been had. You could do whatever the fuck you want. So anybody who would say, what the hell is that? I think Tini Howard would say, oh, well, it's just, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it ends up being a nightmare. It ends up being a multiverse. It, it's too much. You have to watch it. I mean, it doesn't matter. you have to make sure with Harley, there has to be some grounding. Well, that's, yeah, what you're Kevin was. Right. that's what Kevin was in the Stephanie Phillips deal in my mind. But there's no ground here. This was Howard's opportunity to go completely, just do something completely different. To say, I'm going to take Harley and go in direction X or Y. And, and if it didn't work out, you could just say, well, it was all part of the multiverse <laughs> dream. It's part of the, the thing. But because she leaned right back into the, the main title, she took away that opportunity from herself. And it's like, why would you do that? She, she gets it's teeny. It's like Harley gets in her own way because really the idea of this could have just been stri- more straightforward, but also better. But the idea that Harley goes into a nightmare, don't play this nonsense because you can still have the nightmare be being afraid of Lady Quark in the multiverse, right? You can still have what you have here, but don't make it that she almost like she was too good to be involved in this thing where Batman, Superman, all all the rest are involved. But in this, you could have just went a lot more straightforward of the idea that Harley's biggest fear or nightmare, which you kind of get in this, is being a hero like actually being a hero because that's not quite her do it in a better way do it in a way that makes sense that you're actually delving into the character more than most people because even stephanie phillips at one point i thought oh my god she's actually doing what i like like let's get into what harley is yeah is she the you know the therapist is she the crazy sidekick a joker lover all that and you know that split deal but in this, she's just like, let's throw everything in, hodgepodge, screw it all together, because her run, I said, it it doesn't have any grounding, it doesn't have anything. Things happen like Two-Face, who's having a prank war, he gets arrested, but he's got lawyers because he's a lawyer. Uh, she even says in this, like, I'm not on probation. I'm like, oh, fuck yourself. I was so but that's the that's the A number one problem with Harley right now. now for, forget about the time for a second. Just focus on the character as far as where she fits in the greater DC universe. DC just does not know what to do with no, her. No, they don't. They don't. You really only have two directions. She's either going to lead in and become the villain that I, th- I think that would be the better choice. I think that would be the more interesting choice for her to become, to kind of lose all her psychologist smarts and, and just the, her past trauma to just basically turn against Joker and everyone else that enables him to kind of like become the next queen pin of Gotham. I think that would be a great choice for her. Queenpin. Yeah, Queenpin. Queenpin. There we go. (laughs) Perfect. Even better. Even better. But But they keep wanting to go in the opposite direction because she's popular. So she's popular. She has to be a hero, which is fine if you want to go in that direction. But you have to do the work. You have to You have to figure out because they never do. People won't accept her as a hero unless you put in the work to have her redeemed through some process. She has to go through that journey of being redeemed and becoming that hero. And they're not doing it. All she's doing is spinning around and acting wacky. In, yeah, in this, that's and all just she going does. around. And, and she's acting wacky and just going around in circles and it just doesn't go anywhere. And people are just getting tired of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of people are listening or like, Gabe's right. I, you know, they want her villain. Gabe's sus. Yeah, I am very <laughs> sus, but I think, but I think that would be the better choice, honestly. But, uh, but, uh, Back to the prior point, this is this would have been the opportunity to say, you know what? What if we just there was a there's a hint of that in future state where she was using her psychological smarts 
to like turn the villains against each other using their own like crazy neuroses. And, and you could see where you could expand that and do something. This would have been the opportunity to kind of put her in charge of Gotham to kind of basically pay back Joker for all the years Actually, of you mistreatment. Say that these two issues, maybe you should have had somebody say to Teeny, listen, go full evil. Go full evil with this and see go if people evil. and actually use it as a litmus test to see if people actually do because people will yell that they want that. But are are those people yelling gonna actually buy a Harley book? And maybe you could uh, use this as a I, test. I'd bet that would go that would go over well. I, I'm I, telling I, you, I would, you know what my storyline would be? My storyline would be that she she kicked Joker to the curb. Why doesn't Batman? And I'd have her go after Batman because of the idea that the Joker just is allowed to keep doing what he does. And it must be just a slap in her face every single time. And even in this, they play out the idea that, oh, you know, you're friends with Batman. Well, we had donuts together. Well, why isn't this come up? Why isn't the idea of why do you keep letting him do what he does? And and even if it's not just being fully against Batman, it could be the idea of almost like a Red Hood situation where she's like, screw it. Batman won't do it. I'm going to do it myself and go to kill the Joker. And, and if Batman gets in my way, Bat family, I'm going to have to take you down because this is what I need to do. And you never do it. Uh, and I know this is way off track, but I'll go even further back from that. Remember when uh, what was it Tidian and it was when oh, oh there was, it was like Gotham was burning. And there was, there was a moment in there where uh, Batman and, and Harley confronted each other. And Harley was saying like Joker I'll, war or whatnot. Yeah, something. I think it was Joker war. She said, I'm going to kill the Joker. And Batman's like, no, I'll, no, I'm not going to let you. And they sort of like parted with that contention to say, I, I, I bet it would have been interesting if there was a, like some kind of fight where uh, either Harley killed Joker or almost killed Joker or the other way around where Joker killed her, killed her like shot her, shot her in the head or something. And then it just snapped her. She's like, well, that's I'm done thing. with this. If she goes off to kill Joker and almost does it, then that gives you the, you know, you're out of the Bat family. And that's right now she seems, Eric will tell me all the time that she's fully part of the Bat family. People yeah. don't want that. A lot of people don't Nobody accept it. What, what Harley fans want, again, isn't just a hero Harley. A lot of Harley fans just want good stories. They want Pam and her to be together, which you have here. And that's the only actually maybe good joke is the refrigerator. Where you end up having Pam as a salad in the fridge. It's a wink wink thing. I know that's silly. Yeah, that was silly. That was Sully silly. got a hold of me and said he loved it. He actually liked this issue. I ended up telling <sighs> him, I said, Sully, I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody that you are endorsing a TV Howard book. And he told oh, me, Sully. no, no, don't do that. And I was laughing, but he thought that was hilarious. Sully's inhaling too many kitchen fumes. It, I don't it know. might be. He's oh, cooking too goodness. much soup. That is... But yeah, he liked it. It made yeah. me laugh. So I'm like, really? You really? Uh, but again, we're going through what this could have been or should have been or whatnot. But again, that's what you end up. And I even earlier in the, in the podcast, Rocky ends up saying that, he hates script doctoring. And I said, even then, yeah. I do it all the time. And it, sometimes I do it because it's so easy to see where things could have been. And I'm not saying that I'm a better writer or any kind of writer, but when you're doing this, somebody has to get a hold. I blame editorial as well going through this and like, okay, we got to tighten this up. We have to do this. Why don't you focus on that? But in an event like this, they were just told to do what the hell they want it's hard to really criticize it's just a hodgepodge of bullshit is what it is and at the end like you said all it ends up doing is now lady quirk says okay uh you're powerful and i might need you to be on a team with me 
which then makes it the bullshit where if people said, I don't want to get involved in this night tears, but there are hardly how these have to be read or at least no, it's nonsense. But then we have a backup. Uh, Leah backup. Williams. I mean, this is the the dangerous duo here. When you get Teeny Hour and Leah Williams on one book, holy moly. But this backup, <laughs> I'm telling you, I ended up starting to read it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. We didn't talk about it the first time, I think. And I ended up, I bailed. But I, I, I read through, I, I read through briefly. Basically, what it is is it's Harley confronting her, the older version of herself from the from the from an alternate universe. It's basically picking up, I think, on the last one or two issues from uh, uh, Stephanie Phillips' run, where they had that whole bit where it was the Harley who laughs and all the different Harleys coming together to and the mermaid Harley and doing all this stuff. And she was just confronting herself and talking about, you know, how things could have gone right and how they could have gone wrong. It doesn't matter. Exactly. It's a waste of paper. There, there's absolutely paper. no reason to read that thing. There is All it does is zero lean into... Point zero. Exactly. <laughs> there is, there's no reason to read it. There, it. It gives you nothing. It has nothing to do with the main uh, story. Uh, it, it it's, it's harkening back to Stephanie Phillips' run, which wasn't great in the first place. And it's, still, and it's all it's doing is saying, hey, Harley, you better... Better watch out. Are you going to turn out like me? Who who cares? Yeah, who cares? It doesn't matter. <sighs> it doesn't matter. And, and because yeah, that, like, because that older version of the, of of uh, Harley, who's like scarred and, and everything mm-hmm. else, is coming from a universe where Earth is devolved into this Mad Max post apocalyptic type of scenario, which is is not happening on art. It doesn't. Uh, it is so funny, and you, it's you, a waste of space. It's a waste. You of space. reminded me because again, where we've already had so much multiversal stuff, and I kind of want to get away from that anyway. I even forgot. That Stephanie Phillips ended her run with the multiverse story. And then you go into Teeny Howard instead of, you know, doing something original, doing something new or fresh. She just goes multiverse as if that's the only thing she ever read. Those last four issues of Harley by Stephanie Phillips. And when you go through this, I mean, the, again, the brainiac, I keep like saying, what are you doing with the But again, you're going to get the play of, oh, that's a multiverse or that's this or that's a dream or whatnot. Even at the end, you kind of get that. Was this a dream? Was it the was it a simulation? Oh, and then she blows up the whole thing, and that was the you passed the test. This nonsense, and then that backup bullshit. But what would you give this? Oh boy, this one I gave a four point five, and I, the only reason I gave it a little bit more than <laughs> the Titans book is because the Titans book was just tried to do the thing and just messed it up completely. This is messed up, but at least it's messed up that's consistent with the rest of the run. So I gave so I gave her a little bit more credit. I gave her a four point five. I would be remiss if I didn't say that you you did end up giving Predator number one and nine. I had to say that for oh, sure. Boy, I'm, I'm, <laughs> never gonna, I'm never going to live that down. I'm never going to live that down. I'm going to go three. Oh. <laughs> it's not a, it's, it, I don't blame you. Here it is. It's a diarrhea three. That's what it is. That's what I'm giving it. It's disgusting. Uh, this, it's Teeny Howard's bad. And now from here. Most people say, well, you know, Teeny Howard, screw her. I don't need to read the Harley book. A lot of people aren't. But now we're going to the Gotham War, where she is going to be part of the Batman-Catwoman crossover. I, I just, I don't get it. I don't know why they're going so heavy in on Teeny Howard here, because she's not good. We even just had that Tales of the Titans Raven issue by her as well. Like, you can't get away from her. And I want to get away from her. That's what I want to do. I'm I'm going to, I'll come up with all these reasons why Eric needed a break. I'm going to now blame Teeny Howard. I think it was all T.D. Howard. 
and her nonsense. So the the strange thing is, by all accounts, she's she's an, she's a lovely person. She's a very nice person. Yeah, there's she a, does seem very nothing nice. Nothing is, and she she certainly hasn't reacted to us uh, as harshly as Stephanie Phillips has. So I'll I'll take that as well. But man, oh man, just. I have yet to write, read anything from Tini Howard that I genuinely no. liked. And that's Marvel and DC. I mean, we, we've read all her nonsense. I remember the reaction when Stephanie Phillips made the the, uh, the announcement that she was rolling off of Harley. And they said, okay, well, who's taking her place? It's Tini Howard. It was a collective groan. Yeah, it was. Like, oh, it's a lateral move at best. At best, it's a lateral move, and and so far it's playing out, playing out just like that, and maybe even a little worse. Yeah, yeah. I <sighs> I did get a a mini review from Eric uh, last night. I think he ended up reading this issue because the weird play is he'll still tell me, poor Eric, he's never going to come back if you keep making him read he's these still things. Read? I don't even make them. He just reads them and then randomly just says, "Oh, do you read Harley yet?" And I'm like, "Why are you talking on DMs?" I come on, but he said uh, that was fucking horrible. <laughs> It was. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. You're right. So yeah, I'm, um, I think I gave it a diarrhea three. All right, is that the new one? That is that. But thanks a lot for joining me, Gabe. Oh, thank and you. I'll have you back again. I don't know how long Eric is taking this break, so it could be however long. Who knows? But I will definitely have you back again. Go to Comical Opinions that will be in the show notes, a clickable yep. link, and check out Gabe's reviews on our Weird Science DC and Marvel. I almost said shows, websites as well. There yep. you go. Gabe, he gives us nines for Predator, but most of his other scores are right <sighs> on. Fine. I have to do that for Stork. Stork, I know, would not let me go. I kept thinking throughout, when am I going to mention this? Because I got to mention it or people get mad. So there you go. Never going to lose that You are down. the Predator 9 guy. But thanks, Gabe, for joining me. Thanks, Thank everybody. You. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to go off right now. And we're going to finish up with my man Trevor joining me to talk about the finale of Tom Taylor's Elseworld story that I actually thought was over by now. And that is Dark Knights of Steel number 12. And here I am with Trevor. How are you doing, Trevor? Not bad. How are you doing? Nice. I'm, I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I, I'm actually hopefully going to be in a little better mood talking to you. You're more of a positive comic book fan than I am. And a lot of times I... I'm down on something and you end up sending me messages and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll check that out again. And you ended up you, you do end up elevating my enjoyment. I will. Thank you for that. Except for Nicholas Scott's art, which we were talking about <laughs> right before we got on here, that you were one of the people who ended up pointing out, man, her faces look really odd. And I'm like, oh, God, you ruined it for me. I cannot unsee that now. But we don't have to talk about that here because we're talking about the Dark Knights of Steel. It's the finale, number 12. And I asked you, and I'll ask you again here, What have you enjoyed Dark Knights of Steel so far? Uh, I have. I, I enjoyed it as like a surface-level story. Like we said, it's nothing that blew my mind, but I had fun with it. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same way. As we were going through it, I at points I thought it might be bigger, but then with the delays and things like that, I kind of just did roll with the punches. And I really do like the setting. I think that that is ripe for a lot of things, and we'll see by the end. Seems like it's going to be ripe for a sequel, which I, I didn't, I, I kind of expected. You expect that from anything, but I didn't expect it as much only because this was so delayed that I thought that maybe Tom Taylor was like, yeah, I was kind of into this, but maybe I wasn't. And me and you were talking about this before. We don't know if it was Tom Taylor, Yasmin Putri. Tom Taylor is a nice guy and would probably take most of the blame on himself so i don't know how that would play out but 
it's been 21 months since this started and we're only you know we're on the 12th issue of the finale that's a whole lot of time for a 12 issue miniseries but i'll give it credit that by the end i kind of went into this didn't have to really catch up on anything and, and did really like it mainly for you know the setting and, and what that means but i'll give the I'll give the credits here, and then we'll jump into it. It's written by Tom Taylor, Yasmin Putri on art, colors by Ripriano, letters by Wes Abbott. And one of the things of this is the art has been really good. When Yasmin Putri has been on it, it's been really, really good. It's been great. So I was really excited to get to see interiors for the first time. Yeah, and and they're good. And the covers that they've done throughout were really, really good. Look like almost like fantasy novels, which makes sense. But when we jump into this. You have that whole play, and Amanda Waller, it was revealed she has been working with Protex, with the White Martians. And when you start off, she says, listen, we have this plan set. You have to strike now. All the houses, they're all together, and we can do this. And she says, we're going to end up where the fire's outside of the castle, where you do have the Amazonians and the, you know, the house of, what is it, storms. We'll end up taking those fires out. That'll be your... Kind of like, hey, that's the signal come in. And I thought that it was kind of cool as you have that and and you have the plan going with the good guys then where they end up getting. I I laugh that it's Harley, but it is the advisors, Harley, Lois, Constantine. And then just for good measure, they throw in. We talked to the smartest guy in all of the kingdoms and that ends up being Bobo, which I thought was a kind of a cool little thing at the end. I wish Bobo came in drunk as he always does, but. He's kind of sober here with Constantine, but I, I I do like the way that you had from the beginning this whole prophecy and and really heavy on Constantine's shoulders about what he should do and how this comes about blaming himself. So I do like when Bobo you know realizes that and says, "Hey, if this goes well, I hope that you end up taking some credit because you know a lot of this was blamed on you." And then he basically says, if it goes wrong, I'll blame the monkey, which was kind of funny. But have have you liked the characters as they were portrayed in this? I, for the most part, I like the characters we were portrayed. I mean, I think most of it was pretty much Constantine's fault. Yeah. <laughs> he did kind of get played for a fool. Yeah. He's going like the, the good guy route by the end, at least. He's, he could be redeemed here. And you even said before we started, one of the problems with this, I mentioned to you that whenever I read a finale and tom taylor has done it a couple times he did it with the end of the deceased deal is that it's heavy narration because there's so many of these plot lines going and so many things you have to tie up that you really can't so you go heavy narration but you're, you're kind of right with the constantine stuff it is kind of like kind of washed over a bit when we get <laughs> into this with the idea of how how bad he was and maybe they should maybe it shouldn't have just been bobo and bobo actually plays it up you have been blamed for not of that he doesn't actually say listen jerk a lot of this is your fault. I hope this works, <laughs> yeah. so at least you're not blamed. But I, I, I like Bobo anytime he does show up, especially when he shows up dressed like Green Arrow, it looks like. But he ends up where, you know, says, I hope that you take some credit for it. But then we go and see the plan. And we one of the things that I thought was neglected a lot was the Amanda Waller and her kind of suicide squad that she was getting together, because that seemed like a really, really cool idea. And when we get glimpses of it here with Captain Cold. Captain Cold, yeah, that was great. That's really cool. And I wanted to see more. And I thought that a book like this, it could have done well with maybe if it's going to be delayed. Maybe they say Tom Taylor comes, hey, it's delayed this, it's art, whatever. Maybe they could have had little mini one shots or things like that with, say, an Amanda Waller 
and the Suicide Squad or the like the anthology issue they did with the little stories on the side, but focused on the Suicide Squad. Yeah, a little more on that. Do the Suicide Squad do some other things involved? But yeah, when you see Captain Cold, I'm like, man, I wanted to see more of him throughout, but he ends up causing a blizzard. That does put out the fire. They got him like a badass ice wizard. You know, he's got the freaking (laughs) scepter. And he ends up putting out the fires, which then has the Martians come in. I was actually a little confused at first because all of a sudden they're like, and then came in this green mist. I'm like, oh, well, what's that? Is that? Oh, oh my God, it's the Martians. It's the Martians. Dinah ends up doing her canary cry and disperses them. But pretty much all that does then is fights on. Yeah, they just change back. I can give props for the battle not lasting too long, but in this finale, it seemed a little like not enough. You end up where the Martians are just straight up attacking, and then boom, word gets to, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and and Zara, and they come out to fight, and then it just shifts to them. I might have wanted to see a little bit. Of the battle One page battle yeah. yeah and it looked good But it's just one page So and again You only have one issue To get this all tied up And we're going to want to Concentrate on our heroes But still Maybe it could have shown A little bit more of that But the big plan Is to draw the Martians Off to Mount Kristoff Where it's the volcano That we found out At the beginning of the series That was the erupting volcano that the elves ended up stopping. That's how they became what they were and became in charge, all of that stuff. So they do draw them to this volcano. You see it, it's still kind of smoking, right? I mean, I, I kind of see it. If I'm the Martians, you don't have to actually follow them there. You can just say like bullcrap, but they do go there and you end up having the House of Storms. They're going to do pretty much the heavy work here to bring this whole volcano and make it active again. They end up hitting it. With some lightning And I thought, okay I mean, I get it, it just didn't feel like I don't know, it didn't feel as big It felt like something that was like a MacGuffin To happen, when all of a sudden they just hit it And you end up where it's Anissa And Jennifer who end up hit it with the storms And then it erupts And then what did you think of the idea? Because then the idea is to cover The heroes themselves with pitch So they catch on fire and then attack the, the Martians. And First thought I had was like, okay, these guys, you know, fire's their weakness. We got a bunch of people who can't be damaged by fire. I mean, you would think they would light themselves on fire. It was, uh, it was a thought I had. <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, that, that's pretty crazy. I mean, it, it is a crazy deal and it works, but oh my God. And by the way, work. Martians, I'm getting the heck out of there even before they are able to set themselves up. I mean, do they not have volcanoes on Mars? I mean, they don't. They don't see the giant volcano with the smoke rising out thinking, hey, fire. <laughs> <laughs> and and in my mind, you did have where Protex kind of goes and Superman says, we're not going to fight here. We're not going to let these people, regular people, get hurt. And then they go off. Where is it? Now, you do have that weird play because Alfred slash like Martian Manhunter kind of deal. He ends up saying, listen, they're not as smart as they think they are. But I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> They just follow them to a volcano and don't think anything of the idea of why did they go here? Why why was it that? Because they at first are like, oh, look at them. They're retreating. They're they're going away. Luckily for them, the Protex and the rest of the Martians didn't think at that point, oh, this is cool. Let's just destroy everybody here first. And then go, right? Why wouldn't they do that? They would. I I think they would just say, screw you. They go off. We'll deal with you later. We're going to destroy everybody here. But they chase them to the volcano. 
I guess at the end, you have to just go with that idea that they're just not that smart. And you end up where Alfred said that, right? Yeah. And they just go with the flow. After all this time, all the espionage, all the subterfuge, all the intelligence that takes. And then they're like, yeah, we'll just follow you guys. We're not going to. I mean, we should dictate the battle. Protex seems like a guy who would dictate the terms of the battle. But instead, he's like, "Okay, I'll follow you guys. Let's go. (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, and, and you even bring up the big point. They have been undercover for years, and then they decide, voila, it's us. Oh, follow us to the volcano. Okay, we'll go there. <laughs> and even when you get near the volcano, I mean, in my mind, too, Protex would be somebody would be like, all right, I'm going to destroy all these people here. You five, you, you go see what they're up to. Report back to me where they go, see if you can find them or whatnot. Then they come back to Protex. Oh, they're near this volcano? You know that, you know, screw that. <laughs> Set up that they have to come to you. And the best way to do it would be to destroy the kingdom that they're right at. But as Alfred said, they're they're not as smart as they think they are. Now, here's another thing. And Tom Taylor does this. And there's times where I think that things are, yeah, it ends up being something that I, I can't say it's cool, but it works out. But the idea that you have Alfred go and go back into the Alfred look. And he says, oh, Bruce, you know, I can't he can't go with them because they know the plan is to set everything on fire. And Alfred can't deal with that. But he says, I want to look like Alfred. Please allow me to do that. If you don't want to, if you think it's too deceptive, then I won't. And you have Bruce is like, no, no, no. I like it. I like what all this is setting up. So when Alfred dies, it doesn't you get the feels that it's Alfred, not like Russian Manhunter. Right. I mean, the idea if they came back. Oh no, Martian Manhunter's on fire It's not going to hit as much Than seeing Alfred catch on fire So they do that and I thought By the end that was a little forced But it ends up with a, not a nice scene But at least it gives a scene Where Bruce gets all fired up and, and, And what's going on with this But the other problem with this is I mean, this volcano plan it goes off without a hitch, right? I mean, there, there is nothing that goes wrong for, the, you know, our heroes here. It's just volcano. We're on fire. We'll attack you. I told you beforehand that what really made me giggle here is the idea that Tom Taylor has gotten some flack for not, quote unquote, not liking Wonder Woman, writing Wonder Woman as too much. Me and you both agree in injustice. Wonder Woman is the straight up villain of that the whole devil. deal, right? I mean, she is <laughs> the devil. So. In this and in a deal where Tom Taylor really doesn't like his heroes to do a lot of physical punching and whatnot, especially killing, you end up where Wonder Woman, when this fight's about to begin, and it doesn't last long, but she says, which one of you killed my mother? Now, first off, I I understand that you want to boast, but why would you even say I feel like it's it's this guy, like me and you. We're standing there. It's Trevor. He did it. It was him. Playing at each other. <laughs> exactly. We're like that. It's like one of those me, you, and, and Eric are there. And they're like, whoever is the one who killed my mom, step forward. Me and you step back. Oh, it's back. Eric and I kill. So we play that. But Wonder Woman says, listen, who was it? Which one of you son of a bitches killed my mother? One guy's like, ah, it was me. And I'm going to do the same to you. So as this battle goes on, you do end up having Wonder Woman go to this character. What is your name? And at first, I'm not going to say, what's your name? Says his name, and Wonder Woman cleaves off half his head, just destroys him, just kills him right before everybody says, whoa, 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 we don't kill. We're going to be nice because Protex is the one that should be killed. They should kill Protex straight up 
let Wonder Woman do it. She's already killed this other guy. Just turn the other way if you don't like it. But you end up where now with Protex, oh, we're too good to kill. I'm like, what is Wonder Woman thinking at that point? Because she has just yeah. killed somebody a second before. Like, no, 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 we don't kill. We're good people, Wonder Woman. Everybody's staring at Wonder Woman. She's not a good person. <laughs> yeah, like, we are. Yeah. We don't mean her. Just watch out for her. I'm surprised when they end up sending the White Martians off to the Phantom Zone. Like, Wonder Woman's like, why am I here? Why am I in the Phantom Zone? But yeah. they end up sending them off. They they send them off to the Phantom Zone. And, and that makes sense. But Which is magic, right? They They say it's magic. And I like the way they play that. I like that because of that way they're playing the fantasy thing it's also a way that if you want Protex to come back in a sequel or something like that there he is you didn't kill him it kind of made me roll my eyes a little i actually was hoping this was going to be one of those stories that 12 issues it ends up pretty good and we end it because even people who love deceased i i do think it got watered down by the end and i don't want to see that happen to this but dc is going to grab onto any else worlds thing that tom taylor does cuz even the people oh, yeah. who don't like him as much they'll always come out with well he's good but the else worlds stuff so all this happens and it's like oh my god like that that didn't really take much it really took all the kingdoms to come together come up with a plan volcano we're on fire <laughs> so you know and so i'm like okay well what else do we have to do and we do have to deal with amanda waller this is where I think that where Alfred said, listen, Martians, they're not so smart. He's going to show you that because he's a Martian and he's going to show because there's no reason for him to open his mouth right now. You end up where everybody's out fighting. Amanda Waller and Deadshot come in and he says, oh, Waller, I see what you're up to. You have some words on your mind. But your guy here, Deadshot, he doesn't. And I see that this has all been white eyes. all that. Why? Why does he mention this? Why doesn't he wait five minutes for Batman to get back? Why doesn't he wait for everybody to return for him to no then witnesses. say, listen. He just pops out. <laughs> he just grabs her in the arm. And she must have that ward there where he catches on fire. And he is going to die. He yells out a scream. Batman hears this. And even then, Batman gets back in seconds, right? This is his first time, right? His first time, right? Yeah. And I like that. You you have that in a lot of origin deals where somebody had not just DC Comics, comics in general, where you have that ability that you really can't nail down. And then some tragedy or emergency happens and boom, you know, you do it the greatest. That is cool because it's like innate, like it's a part of who he is as a it's it, it's great. It's like a reflex suddenly. Then yes, just because like you, you get that. Yeah, you get that play that they were thinking too much of it when it really is just a part of you. Why didn't he just cry out before? I, oh, my God. I just read Deadshot's mind. They're bad. Bruce, come to me. And then Bruce <laughs> oh, comes no. and they can take care of it. Right. I mean, that could be taken care of easily. He grabs her arm and catches on fire. And now, now he's going to die and he can't be stopped. I'll give Tom Taylor credit. Because Amanda Waller is so evil here. Oh, my God. That it actually did get me excited for if we continue to see what she gets up to. Because when Bruce comes back, he sees, again, Alfred because of that, you know, change that he said, can I be the guise of Alfred from now on? He's on fire. He ends up falling. You end up where Bruce shows up. And now Waller has to think on her feet and ends up just running through Deadshot <laughs> yelling, you traitor. Now, in my mind, I know that she puts a sword through him, but you kind of think that he might live a little bit, right? Like, I'm waiting yeah. for him to go, it was her. 
Like, it wasn't me. Like, come on now. But he dies instantly, it seems, or he can't talk. And she ends up saying, oh, man, I tried Captain Deadshot. He was working with the aliens all along. I discovered his treachery. Pretty bad. I mean, that is straight up evil. And I think it's the best part of this entire issue where somebody's at least smart. Here, right? Because she ends up doing it. it. It's crazy. The only smart person, really. <laughs> yeah, really. And it, it, it it's funny when we say that because a lot of this book has been dealing with people who were maybe overly superstitious, not very smart. It plays out in that medieval type setting where Amanda Waller seems to step above everybody. You know who the two people are in my mind? Harley and Amanda Waller were the two kind of smartest people in the room. Lois, too. But we didn't get too much of Lois. That's another thing that we could have gotten more of. But you end up where, there you go, Amanda Waller. And Amanda Waller wanted to control this House of L. The whole play was she said, now, I'll ask you in a second. But she went to protest and said, listen, I'm going to sell out everybody. But you have to leave the, the L's, you know, my kingdom aside. I will rule that. You can take over the rest of the world. Do you think Protex would have went with that? Because I don't. I don't think Protex would have kept with that body. He just would have destroyed everyone. Even out of fear of... Because even... she, He can't harm her, but he can still kill everybody else and leave her the last person on the planet. So after it was all said and done, he would have tried to figure out a way to screw her to take the entire planet for himself. There's no way he would Because he wanted this planet for them. I don't think he was ever going to share it with anybody. Yeah, he might have pretended for a while, but I think you're right. The idea he can't do anything to her, that's what set up that kind of, you know, fail safe when Alfred went to grab her, which was a cool call out. It really was. But still, I think everybody else would have been dead. Imagine her like alone on the planet, chasing them around, trying to get them to attack her so she can kill them. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going Twilight Zone, almost like with the glasses broken. She's just on this throne by herself, ordering nobody around. Get me my <laughs> slippers, and and there's nobody there. And then just one tear going down. I'm like, oh my god, it's the Twilight Zone. Uh, that would have been great. Uh, but you end up where? All right, everybody. The day is won. Amanda Waller gets out of getting caught. She still would want control. She's still going to be scheming behind the scenes, but. You might end up where she learned her lesson even because she really got out by the skin of her teeth there. Maybe she's like, "Mm, that didn't work out. Maybe I'll just be happy with what's going on. But you couldn't think that that would be the case. She'll just try to find people who will be upset because they even say they're going to unite the three kingdoms. A lot of people won't like. So you get to the end here and they're going to sign this treaty. It, it, this doesn't play well for me and, and just because we still have a queen Queen Laura is still the queen I understand that you might want to say Listen, Bruce, you know You found out you weren't this bad All this stuff, you're next in line You're not, There's still Queen Laura Who's there and she's just like I think you should lead I, I thought that was a little too much I thought that, or maybe in my mind They thought, listen, let's get rid of Kings and queens, let's have a council, let's have a, they end up being a league. So I, I would hope that you would have that, like a group rule, but they want Bruce to sign this peace treaty. They, they give him the symbol of a, it's a neat looking pen. It just, I'm like, all right, it's a symbol, let's go. And he does say, I don't want to rule. I don't want to be that. I, I'd rather serve the throne than sit on it. It's a nice little play. And it works out too because with Bruce and whatnot, he's now gonna go travel the world. He's gonna do Bruce Wayne Batman stuff. He's gonna go and 
and try to figure that out. And you have this little last second thing with Lois and Clark and a lot of nice little things. The the weirdest thing though is nobody really bats an eye to Constantine. He's just hanging. He wants he wants to get drunk. Nobody wants to get drunk with him. <laughs> Lois is there. We're gonna plan because we know people are gonna be against us. I think that Lois is really taken to this mentorship, like, oh man, we came up with a great plan. We beat up. Let's make more plans. And Constantine wants to get drunk. Harley wants to be Harley. But Lois does say about Clark, hey, and I forgot all about this. And she's like, how did you escape Amazonia? And he's like, well, you know, I do my thing. Uh, That's a story for another day. I'm like, I would have liked more of that. I would have liked more connection with them before we got to the end. But again, this could all happen in a sequel. And then you get Bruce saying, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go see the sites. I'm going to train. I'm going to do all that. And then Cal says, when you come back, I would love to follow the back king or my brother, and that's nice. And then they show that they end up signing this treaty where they form a union, they form a league, and you get the whole deal, and it's pretty cool. I wish, here's the things when I'm looking at this stuff. There's a couple things that are really that I wanted to find out more about that we didn't get. One being Prince Jacob brought back from the dead. In this, he causes, you know, a rainstorm so they don't catch on fire. But I'm like, what's up with him? Like, what's going on? Because that was always up in the air of you shouldn't do this. And they warned, right? Like, dire consequences. And you kind of push that aside. And even at the end, I'm like, he's not even in this league. Like, did they just marry him? Like, what happened to him? Uh, And that's one of the big things with Constantine. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised that you don't end, because you set up with Bobo, something of, well... We won the day, but there's still some things that have to be resolved. Listen, we could charge you with a lot of things, Constantine, but because you came through in the end, we're going to wipe that out. But you can't raise people from the dead anymore. You can't do your nonsense. Stop with your prophecies, all that. Maybe that could have been something that could have been resolved quickly, but at least something. But then, like I said, a lot of the other things are, boy, I'd like to see more. And then even that, you see the league, there's Ivy just there again. And yeah. Harley's looking at her. We didn't get much of her except, hey, if you come into my forest, you die. <laughs> yeah. And so you didn't really get a ton of all the characters. And maybe that could be rectified in a sequel because it does say, you know, we formed a league. We would need it. And so that does set up. At least it doesn't say the end with the question mark that drives I, me insane. I was expecting to see <laughs> the question mark. Too. I was like, where's the question mark when I get to the book? Or the classic, not the end, or just yeah. begun, or something like that. But I guess maybe this is the way, because it had been very delayed. Tom Taylor has a bunch of things going on. You have that Beast World stuff coming up. And, and if they do have a sequel, I would even guess it'd be like next Beast summer World. or whatnot. But yeah, Beast Squirrel. So with all that, maybe he's just like, I'll say the end, but say maybe not in the deal. And if we get to it, we get to it and see how it ends up, you know, what people want. And I, I still think this is pretty popular, though, overall. But what would you give it as a score? Uh, if I, uh, I give it a 7.5 for me. Yeah, I think I'm a 7.5. Some things that I would have liked to have seen more of. I think 7.5 is the right score. But thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming on. And. As we go through what is going on now with Eric not being, you know, on the show for however long he decides, I will probably have you come on multiple times as well as everybody else and try to get a bunch of the Get Fresh crew, uh, uh, get everybody involved so it's more of a, a family setting here. 
than me and Eric screaming, yelling at each other. So there you go. But thanks a lot, Trevin. And I'm going to go off to finish up the show. All right. And that is it for all you weirdos. Before I tell you my books of the week, because it is plural, I'd like to give one last shout out to everybody who helped out this week with this week's show. Please go to the show notes and click on all those links. A bunch of awesome people doing awesome things. But here we go for my books of the week. And it is plural. As I said, it is Night Terrors Detective Comics number two and Superman versus Meshi chapter four. And I give a special shout out to Rocky for getting me all excited about that Detective Comics. But also the Superman versus Meshi, while it's probably not for everyone, if you know me, I'm like Cindy Lauper and all the girls. Jimmy just likes to have fun. And that fun factor does elevate that book for me. And it might not be for everyone, but check it out. Check it out and see if the goofiness might be something that you didn't realize that you needed all along because it's a lot of fun. Now, before I talk about next week's show, I do want to let everybody know that going forward, we're going to do this whole thing where we have a bunch of special guests, guest hosts, all this stuff going. And while this week went on, because this episode, It did take about five days to record. When me and Eric do things, it was usually us just getting together on Saturday, pumping it out three hours done. This actually where, because of people's scheduling and things like that, I had to start on Wednesday. We kind of each day had somebody else, whatnot. More and more people during the week ended up getting a hold of me. And that really does mean so much to me that people would take their time out from their busy schedules to help me out on this show. But also, Eric stepping away, it actually let me kind of remember and refocus on why I do the show, which is just to have fun, talk comics, and meet people who like to do the same. And everybody that I've met through this podcast, you're all part of the Get Fresh crew. Even if I haven't met you, you're part of the Get Fresh crew, people, because you're listening, but you're also part of the Weird Science family. And I've met so many people that I I consider great friends of mine now through this podcast. And I think I kind of forgot about that a lot of times and maybe why Eric stepped away doing it each and every week. While I like to do this show and I don't want to take any time off, it does kind of make you forget about what's really important and things like that. So I just want to let everybody know that you're all important and I do appreciate each and every one of you because like I said, people taking their time out to join me to record but i appreciate the people who you you people take your time out to listen to the show as well and that really does mean so much to me and i want to give everybody a big shout out to then tell you that next week we have a patreon only show it is what we do each and every annuals week it is an annuals week a fifth week of comics this wasn't planned and actually when me and eric were going through and trying to figure things out We thought episode 500 was the first week of September, which we thought, oh, that's cool. We'll be back to the dawn at D.C. somehow. And I've even talked to him since and said, how did we get it wrong? He said he he said he was at his his work counting down on the big calendar. And he's like, this doesn't make sense. But here we are. Episode 500. It will be Patreon only because it's annuals week that you can go and listen to on Patreon. Patreon.com slash weird science for as little as a dollar. If you go there and sign up, each level gets you more and more shows. But if you just want to listen to it, a dollar makes you holler. Here's what we're going to be talking about on that show. Action Comics Doomsday Special. 
that that cover of that looks incredible, but we'll see. I don't really know anything about it. It's something that actually came out of nowhere for me. But we're going to start off the Gotham War. Batman Catwoman, the Gotham War Battle Lines number one. And I think people are going to use that as a litmus test of if they get involved in the crossover. So I hope it's good. I'm being cautiously optimistic of it. And I do have to tell you, Eric had me record a parody song for the Gotham War. And I did. And that'll be on there as well. Hopefully, Eric will get to hear that. And then finally, Night Terrors, Night's End number one. It's the epilogue that finishes the story. But really, if you ask me, if I had to be a betting man, which I'm not because I'm really cheap, I would actually say that it's not going to be quite an ending. It's going to be more of a beginning because there are no events at DC anymore that actually end. I'm sure that it will just set us up for the next deal. And from what I've kind of gathered and whatnot, it's going to set us up for Beast War. It's going to set us up with Amanda Waller targeting the Titans. But we'll see. We'll see when it comes out what that's all about. But we'll be talking about those. And I might get a bunch of people from the Get Fresh crew to join me. Maybe talk about what they thought in general of Night's Night's Terror. Night Terrors. And also what they're looking forward to getting back to the Dawn of DC. So I'm going to try to get a couple extra special things. But again, if you want to listen, go to the Patreon. If you, if you don't want to do that, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll be up with episode 501 with the Dawn of DC. But I hope that there's some people who will want to join us for that show. But that's it. Thanks, everybody. And with that, I will talk to you all later. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.